Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Broward County Commission. Uh, we're very excited to have everybody here today. Uh, the first thing that we always do at our county commission meetings is have the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'd like to ask Harold Goldberg, uh, Chris Kapish, Angie Curtin, and Bernie Parnes, who are being recognized in this year for the, today's Broward Good News, to lead us in the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Uh, Commissioner Lamarca has requested that um, we uh, postpone the moment of silence until after the year of good news because he has a number of folks that he wants to recognize today and he said that he's caught in traffic. So we are gonna uh, do that after good news. Um, so we can all sit. This morning, we heard the song Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel and New York State of Mind by Billy Joel featuring Tony Bennett at the request of Commissioner LaMarca. This year, I designated the, uh, the year of good news and at each commission meeting, we will bring good news to the public by highlighting the successes of our county, the economic engines of small businesses, residents who are good Samaritans and other positive happenings. This week, Commissioner Mark Bogan will be providing good news to the public today and he's gonna be honoring Howard Goldberg from Winmore uh, Chris Kepish from Turtle Run, Capish from Turtle Run, Angie Curtin from Palm Air, and Bernie Parnes from Century Village. Uh, Mark, take it away. And thank you all for being here. And Chris, thank you for your service at NBSO. We appreciate it. Mayor and fellow commissioners, it is my great honor today to bring great news to the county and recognize some of the great community leaders in District 2. These folks are pivotal figures in their respective communities. They work diligently and oftentimes thanklessly to make sure that Broward County is the best place to live and work. With me today is Angie Curtin, president of Palmyra United, Bernie Parnas, a community leader in Century Village, Harold Goldberg, president of Winmore, and Chris Capish, president of Turtle Run. So whereas the mayor has designated this year the year of good news in each commission meeting, the commission will bring good news to the public by highlighting the successes of our county, the economic engines of small businesses, residents who are good Samaritans, and other positive happenings. And whereas Angie Curtin, who's a resident of Palmyra, Bernie Parnes, a resident of Century Village, Harold Goldberg, a resident of Winmore, and Chris Capish, a resident of Turtle Run, whereas they volunteer their time daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly to serve their communities, and whereas they dedicate their time to make life better for residents, and whereas they are always seeking to enhance their communities and Broward County as a whole, whereas they enjoy helping people to have a better quality of life, whereas they give unselfishly to their communities and never expect anything in return, all of their time is volunteered. And whereas they demonstrate their dedication and commitment to their communities. And before I do the now wherefore, just to point out, Palmyra has approximately 15,000 residents, Century Village, 12,000 residents, Winmore, 8,000 residents, and Turtle Run, 5,000 residents, and these individuals volunteer every day of their time. 
be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County that the Board of County Commissioners hereby recognizes Angie Curtin, Bernie Parnes, Harold Gobert, and Chris Capish in appreciation of their hard work, commitment to Broward County, Florida. Thank you. Hold on. Let me give this to you. Harold, this is for you. Chris, this is for you. Angie. Hold on one second before you do some pictures. And today I'd also like to recognize Mayor Mickey Belvedere from Coconut Creek who came here today to be here with us. And uh, Mayor, thank you for coming. I'd like to also recognize Pompano Beach Commissioner Barry Moss who also came here today who's sitting right next to her. And the other hardworking folks who manage a community of 9,000 people came here. Um, Chick Chase, Larry Schwartz, Ernie Hartog, Selma Bass, Neil Noda, although Jackie Riley couldn't be here, to the, these individuals who work every day volunteering their time to help their community. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Let, let's get some pictures. Picture with the whole commission over here, you guys. Would you mind coming up? Would you mind coming up here? I would like to thank our management team. Mark mentioned their names, and they're the reason why we, I am where I am today. Also, the administrator makes it very interesting for us to work and to come in each morning. Thank you.
Thank you, Harold, and thank you for the great work you do. Now we have, I know generally we don't do proclamations at uh, 10 a.m., but Commissioner Holden has requested one from yesterday that I think is very special because it's honoring the Teacher of the Year in Broward County. And this was the only day uh, that he could be here. And so I wanted to give Commissioner uh, Holden the opportunity uh, to honor him. This, this is a continuation of good news. And, uh... But um, uh, Commissioner Holness, if, uh, if it's okay, let's wait for everybody to, uh, okay. uh, to leave. And then, um, Okay. Well, this is a continue. No, it's not. It's in bullets. Okay. Let's, this um, is not Stoneman, but let's do the uh, let's okay. do the proclamation. Not teacher of the year, principal of the year. Principal of the year, principal of the year. Sorry about that. My bad. Yeah. No. I, I started a war off. So, so this is a continuation <laughs> of, of good news, and uh, uh, this this uh, Ely High School is in uh, Commissioner Bogan's district. It's, I served in that district when I got here first, and built a strong relationship uh, with that community, and, and and particularly with Principal John. Principal Dr. Johnson, and as such, uh, he was up for uh, nominated for Principal of the Year for High School Principal of the Year. Uh, that was Friday evening, uh, and I attended. It was really great uh, what happened there. Uh, so I, I thought it fit in that for the great work he did there, and, and actually I was a part of uh, helping bring the community together to give him support. I thought we would be good to to honor him this morning. Uh, especially since we're talking about good news, because this is great news. Uh, Dr. Johnson, would you join us, please? This proclamation reads, whereas Dr. Carlton Odell Johnson, one of four children of Gloria Alston, was born and raised in Suffolk, Virginia, and attended John F. Kennedy High School, where he was an outstanding basketball player. And whereas, in 1985, he received a full academic and basketball scholarship to Florida Memorial University, where he quickly displayed his talents and became a collegiate All-American, the first in school history. And whereas, in 1989, he graduated from Florida Memorial University with a bachelor's degree in business management and a minor in elementary education. He later attended Nova Southeast University, where he received a master's of science degree in educational leadership and a doctoral degree in education. And whereas, after 26 years of working at various high schools and middle schools in Miami-Dade and Broward County, in 2003, Dr. Carlton Johnson joined the Broward County School District with his desire to be a part of the high level of commitment to academic performance and curriculum. And whereas, during his tenure, he served as interim principal at Dillard High School 
before becoming principal at Blanche Ely High School, where he focused on improving the school, buildings, infrastructure, test scores, stakeholders' communication, parental involvement, community involvement, and serving as a role model for up-and-coming educators. And whereas for nine years, Dr. Carlton Adele Johnson served at Blanche Ely High School as the instructional leader, where he improved student performance successfully, promoted cultural awareness within the school and the community, dramatically reduced behavior, referrals, and drastically increased the graduation rate by 20%. He and his leadership team at Blanche Ely High School were instrumental in moving the school grade from a D to an A for the 2010-2011 school year and repeating the A in 2011-2012, the highest graded in, his, in school history and in the state of Florida among high schools with similar demographics. And whereas throughout the years he has been a most deserving recipient of numerous awards and accolades, a few of which include the Student Athlete of the Year at Florida Memorial University in 1989, receiving the keys to the city from Miami-Dade County in 1995, Miami-Dade Public Schools Exceptional Educator, Education Administrator of the Year for 2003-2004, Broward County Schools acclaimed Nominee Principal of the Year in 2009, ranked among the Broward School District's top percentage with a 90% graduation rate 90% graduation rate. And Broward County Public School Principal of the Year in 2016. Whereas Carlton and his wife, Davida, the interim cadre director with the Broward County School District, have two daughters, Imani, a senior at Florida Agricultural and Memorial University, and Niara, who is a student in the public school system. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the board hereby designates Friday, April 1st, 2016, as Dr. Carlton Odell Johnson Appreciation Day in Broward County. That's the day he won the nomination. Thank you for your great work, Dr. Johnson. Good afternoon to all, Mayor, Chair, uh, and, no, and all of your local officials. I speak on the behalf of 340 instructional leaders, 340 for our fourth instructional leaders and principals throughout Broward County. We do such a phenomenal job preparing our students for college and career readiness. We have a superintendent that is totally innovative in making sure that we care and we critical think how students can maximize their potential. With the Office of Performance and Accountability with Dr. Wanza that's supporting all the principals throughout Broward County, I give all the credit to the city of Pompano Beach, Florida, along with the community, the students, and the staff for doing such a great job and having me in this position today. I will continue to represent this Broward County, Florida, in my quest to work in the state of Florida as going on to the next level to compete for the principal of the year for the entire state of Florida. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank our community. Uh, I thank our city of Broward County for believing in uh, Broward Public School. And Broward Public School is the way to go. Uh, our graduation rate has increased uh, uh, from the statewide over 78%. We're doing a great job with children. We're making sure that students are able to go off to these major colleges and universities and the career track and be productive citizens in society. As I continue to thank you and continue to move on to the next level, I thank you and wish you all the best and thank you for the support. Can we, can we all come down for this photo, please?
All right, we have one more thing to do before we get to the business of the county. And this was a special request by Commissioner Ryan, uh, who has, uh, has a quick 30-second video he'd like to show us, and then he wants to talk for about 30 seconds, and then we will get on with the business of Brer County. So uh, if you uh, can hear me in the back, if you can please uh, play Commissioner Ryan's Manatee video. Tim met a friend. I'm not allowed to play music. <laughs> Marine? It's not his, his weekend. <laughs> Marine life? Hooking up with canine. That's the chest of a 17-year-old. I noticed what you paid oh, to <laughs> yeah. So over, <clears throat> over the holiday, I went out on the boat with uh, three of my children and our dog, Cassius. We were fortunate to have a manatee swim right up to the boat, and they're so friendly uh, that the dog, Cassius, and the manatee made immediate friends. So I thought it would be important, and I thank the mayor for allowing me to show that video, uh, to remind everybody that um, we need to be careful out there with regard to having fun while you're boating or on a jet ski. Uh, last year, 86 manatees were killed in Florida from being hit by boats or other water watercraft. Only one of those deaths was in Broward County, although this year we've already had two manatee fatalities. Uh, even though we're at the end of the high season for manatees, congregating in warm inland waters, it's still important to pay attention to the posted uh, speed signs. Try to stay in deeper, well-traveled waterways and avoid shallow areas with seagrass beds and heavy vegetation. If you want to learn more about 
the safety of manatees. Uh, you can look online at the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission website, which is www.myfwc.com slash manatees. If you see an injured manatee, you can call 888-404-FWCC or star FWC from your cell phone. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you for, thank you for doing that, Tim. And uh, let's have our moment of silence. It's customary before the beginning of each county commission meeting for us to observe a moment of silence to honor people from our community who have recently passed away. Colleagues, do you have anyone you'd like to remember during this moment of silence? Commissioner LaMarca. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I've been privileged to serve on the Transportation Management Authority Board uh, for the past three or four years. And we had a gentleman on, on the TMA board that was there long before me, uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan Nyack, uh, and he was a uh, just a great guy all around, but he uh, took a leadership role with, with the TMA and trying to get some things done. One of, one of the in interesting things was he was the one that was responsible for the Sun Trolley tra Tracker app, so you can get around downtown and on the beach where the Sun Trolley goes. But uh, he was a father of two, an executive with Merrill Lynch, and unfortunately uh, he succumbed to a very quick bout with, uh, with cancer and passed away over the weekend. Um, also had, uh, last uh, two weeks ago, we, we lost a 45-year-old uh, driver engineer, uh, firefighter for the uh, Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue de uh, Department, uh, Daniel Falcone, uh, and one other one that's uh, particularly personal to me, uh, my wife and I go to St. Gabriel's Catholic Church in Pompano Beach, and uh, the associate pastor who spent 30 years there at the church as well as 30 years at Cardinal Gibbons High School uh, as an advanced math teacher, uh, Father Charles Newburn, uh, succumbed to cancer as well. And it was uh, just, just Sunday that the, that the pastor said he was doing better. Uh, so it was terrible news to hear yesterday. But uh, if you could keep these three uh, really community leaders and great all-around people in your thoughts and prayers and their families as well, I'd appreciate it. Commissioner Holmes. Dr. Margaret Mitchell Armand uh, passed away uh, this past week. She served us uh, greatly here in Broward County. She was born in Haiti, but moved here at a young age. She graduated from the University of Texas as an educator. In 1980, she became the first Haitian American certified teacher to be hired by the Broward County system. She also served as visiting professor at national and international universities. Uh, she served as a member of the Broward County Cultural Council for a very long time. Uh, chair of the Cultural Diplomacy Partnership Advisory Board, member at uh, Nova Southeast University, Mailman Siegel Child Studies, board member State of Florida School Readiness Correlation, advisory board member coordinating council of Broward County and Broward County State, member state. Uh, she also contributed to her talents to NSU Art Museum. Uh, she was a writer, an artist. Uh, she's gonna be certainly missed uh, within our cultural division. <coughs> Many of them attended. She was a strong advo advocate for inclusion and diversity and, and brought a, a wealth of knowledge as to the culture of, of Haiti, especially the voodoo practice that they have and 
let folks understand, demystify it to a great extent. Uh, she certainly will be missed. Again, uh, if you would have her in your, and your, her family in your thoughts and prayers. Thank you. Let's also keep the women and men who serve us valiantly both at home and abroad in our thoughts and prayers as well. Okay. For those of you in the audience, please turn off and silence your cell phones. Any member of the audience who wishes to address the county commission on an item on today's agenda, please come forward and fill out a speaker form located on the dais and furnish it to staff. Once an item is called, further speaker signups will not be allowed and you may not be permitted to speak. When you are called upon, you will have three minutes to speak. Please keep your comments to the subject being discussed. We ask that you address the commission in a polite manner and that you refrain from making impertinent remarks or personal attacks. If you fail to do so, you will not be permitted to continue speaking. Please be respectful of those who are speaking today. We do not allow any applause, cheering, or booing during the meeting. Any person disrupting the proceedings will be asked to leave the chamber. I'm now going to read the Monday night memo, Tuesday night memo, Tuesday morning memo. Uh, I request the following withdrawals and uh, consent items are numbers 1 through 20, 39. I request the following withdrawals and Scrivener error corrections and inclusion of additional information. Item number 38, withdrawn for further staff review. Item number 48, withdrawn at the request of the sponsor. Item number 19, page 13, please add the following at the end of the Port Everglades proposals. Free Trade Agreement of the Americas. Support the establishment of a Free Trade Agreement of the Americas, FTAA, along with the location of the Permanent Secretary of the FTAA in Miami, Florida. Item number 19, page 14, please add the following after Child Care and Development Fund. Support funding for subsidized child care services for parents and professional development opportunities for child care workers. The mayor requests without objection items number 43, 45, 46, 47, and 53 be moved to consent. Please note that item number 51 is time certain at 10.45 a.m. and item number 49 is time certain at 11 a.m. or immediately following item number 51. Oh. Additional material uh, for the 10 a.m. meeting. Item number seven, Broward Future Scholarships from Broward College submitted by Human Services Department. Item number 13, memo to the board submitted by the Port Everglades Department. Item number 35, memo to the board from Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department. Item number 41, advisory board membership applications submitted by Office of Intergovernmental Affairs and Professional Standards. Item number 42, additional information for PBMI response submitted by Aviation Department. Item number 44, memo to the board submitted by County Aviation. Item number 44, subsection 2, memo to the board submitted by the County Auditor. Item number 48, memo to the board submitted by Finance Administrative Services Department. Item number 50, memo to the board submitted by the Office of Management and Budget. Item number 51, memo to the board submitted by the Department of Transportation. Item number 51, subsection 2, letter submitted by Commissioner Wexler. Item number 52, article submitted by Commissioner Lamarca. I'm now going to ask if there is any uh, pulls from any uh, member of the County Commission, starting with uh, Commissioner Furr. Commissioner Furr, do you have any polls? 36, please. 36. Commissioner Wexler. Uh, six for recusal. Six. And seven, please. Six and seven. Um, Commissioner Ritter? Six. Commissioner Ryan? None. Vice Mayor Sharif? None. Commissioner Lamarca? I'd like to leave item 43 on regular and pull, uh, pull 14 and 34. 14 and 34? Commissioner Holness. Seven. 
34. Um, Commissioner Bogan. Okay, so consent items are items number 1 to 39, 45, 46, 47, and 53 minus 7, 14, 34, oh, 43, 6, and that's it. Do I have a motion? Motion to approve. All in favor signify by saying aye. All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. We're gonna, we have five minutes till our, our time certain item comes up. The first is item number six, and uh, Commissioner Wexler, would you like to make a brief statement? Yes, consistent with ethics advisory opinion, CEO 07-5, I do not believe that I have a conflict preventing me from voting on this item. Never, nevertheless, it's okay. In an abundance of caution pursuant to section 286.012, and considering my, um, position as the chairperson of Broward Behavioral Health Coalition, I'll abstain from voting on this item. Move it. All in favor, all in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show the item passes eight to zero uh, with one abstaining. Uh, now that we're moving on to item number seven, which was pulled first by Commissioner Wexler and Commissioner Holness, but we'll start with Commissioner Wexler. And this is a motion to file Broward Futures Endowment Program Scholarship Report for at-risk students. Uh, Commissioner Wexler. Thank you, Mayor. Um, first of all, this kind of brings back such old memories because I'm going to really date myself and tell you that from the start of the Sales Foundation in somebody's living room in Fort Lauderdale is where this concept came to fruition. and it morphed and changed over the years until it became a tri-party partnership. And um, I think that the fine work of the Broward College Foundation is evident in the results of the performance of these kids. And you, if you read this report, you can see the risk factors of these young people. And it's pretty significant. What I find very troubling, though, and this is something that has gone on and on and on. In 2012, we had an agenda item before us that significantly changed the manner in which performance was measured. And it was also noted about the cost of administration of this, these dollars. So I, I, I saw that in this report there was not one mention of the number of scholarships that have been given out over the last three years, and there wasn't one mention of the cost of administering the scholarships. And I think that it is imperative that that be required in future reports. When I mentioned it yesterday to um, staff, they had no issue with it, but the real question is, does Broward College have a problem putting it in their report? So at this time, Mayor, I would ask a representative from Broward College if they would step forward. And, um, I, I, you know, they provided it, but I had to ask for it under se separate cover. And only because of, I think, my history with all of this and remembering what, what um, the audit findings were 
three and a half years ago did it um, encourage me to ask the kinds of questions that I asked um, yesterday. So would the, uh, would the representative for Broward College please step forward and answer Commissioner Wexler's inquiries? Hi, Nancy. Hi, good afternoon, and thank you, Commissioner Wexler. Um, yeah, absolutely. When we, when we reviewed how we were going to measure the success of this scholarship, we included performance measures for the students, but including the financial information that you're asking for, absolutely, we can do that. The, the two things that I asked for, because yes. uh, I asked for over the last three years, which is when the last report was submitted, how many new scholarships were um, presented to deserving young people. So okay. you presented that, right. and then I came back and I said, okay, so now tell me how much money we're talking about okay. that was given out and the administrative costs. Right. So I think that it's very, very important since um, about $263,000 and change was given out um, over the last three years, and your management fee is $228,000, which is a significant management cost. And I didn't know if there was any way that the foundation could take a look at reducing those costs in any way, shape, or form, because the more money that gets to deserving kids, students, um, the better I think we'll all be. Um, in moving forward. So I, I, I don't know if there's anything you can do about that, but I would request that you at least take a look at it okay. and, and let the commission know, yeah. um, at, you know, in a month, in six weeks, in a few months, if there is anything can be done. I don't even know if that is the normal going rate for a management fee. It just seems to me that um, 70 some odd thousand dollars a year to manage that account <laughs> it seems high, but what do I know? It could be very, very well what the norm is. I mean, I don't know if the Community Foundation and the Broward Education Foundation, I don't know. I, 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 I have a scholarship fund in my um, husband's name, and I know what they charge every year for managing it, and it's far, far below mm -hmm. the number that's before us here today, far yeah. below. So I, I, that, that's my only realm of reference. But if you do agree to, to in future reports to at least provide that information okay. for future boards to review and, and um, understand what's going on. Okay. okay. And also provide you with an explanation of the management yes. fee and how that works. Get that yes. to you within okay. a couple of days. You got Thank it. You, Absolutely. Um, if uh, we actually have a time certain item uh, right now at right. 1045. And so what we're going to do is just uh, we can just table this. It, uh, so or we can just postpone I, it. We don't have to. We don't we, have to do we a motion. Can, we can move it. We can, we can just move it, and we'll, we'll bring it back up uh, after the next two items. So okay. thank you. Unless you all want to move it and just. Uh, are we, but I think there's there are folks that want to speak on it, so let's hold off on it, and we'll come back to it after our next two items. Uh, but right now we have uh, item number fifty-one, which is a motion to discuss extending Broward County's paratransit route to make Florida Atlantic University and Boca Raton a stop on the route. Uh, there are a number of speakers, but it's Commissioner Wexler's item. So um, uh, Commissioner Wexler can, can open it for us, and then we'll uh, move on to the public speakers. I, I'm very, going to be very brief in opening this item. Um, it is something that I feel very strongly about, that I have reviewed extensively. After the speakers have come forward, I will identify various documentation for you within the packet that shows how far we go into Miami-Dade County versus how far we go into Palm Beach County. I will also share with you the um, 
philosophy of this Board of County Commissioners that pays for paratransit services for all of our needy and qualifying individuals, even though it is way beyond the three-quarters of a mile of the fixed route bus service. With that, if we could have public speakers, I'd appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. you, Commissioner Wexler. Um, there are uh, nine public speakers on this matter. Uh, each speaker will have three minutes to speak. Uh, the first speaker on the list is Karen Fortman, uh, who is the chair of the Broward Advisory Board for Individuals with Disabilities. Uh, Ms. Fortman, um, when, when you are ready, you I'm may ready. start. Here I am. Great. Good morning, and thank you, all of you, for your advocacy on behalf of individuals with disabilities. And uh, certainly, I, I personally thank each of you for the um, high quality of individuals that you have appointed to the advisory board for individuals with disabilities. It's been a fun year to work with such great professionals. As chairman of the advisory board, what we um, always do is lead our members in a workshop in December where we identify issues as pertinent to the ordinance. That is our responsibility to identify issues and make recommendations to this board. Um, I, I'm going to say it's probably uh, five years now, it may be more than that, that we have brought forward this particular recommendation. I pulled the annual report from 2013 exactly um, addressing this issue. In the spirit of regional transportation planning, the advisory board strongly urges this board to extend Broward County transit and paratransit services for students who live in Broward County and directly need to go to Florida Atlantic University campus in Boca. Uh, in this case, we received a response from the staff and it, it, quite frankly, the, in summary, it was no. We then came back the following year with uh, suggestions in order to implement this particular recommendation. Again, emphasizing that these are students who are enrolled at FAU and because of coursework, where those courses are requ <coughs> um, required to be taken at the Boca campus, and this is not uncommon, except that many students jump in their car and drive. Uh, this is not a population who we want to jump in their car and drive. Uh, they're accustomed to using their paratransit program, but they are forced to go to a drop-off spot where they then have to organize a transfer um, trip in order to get to the FAU campus. So we're very concerned about safety, we're concerned about um, organizing their time, and so on. Here's one of the things that I want to emphasize. These, all, these students are already customers of the paratransit program. They already can call and ask for a trip to uh, the Meisner Park drop-off spot. So concerns about, from staff about this issue being expensive is not. Our recommendation simply asks that their destination be rerouted from the current drop-off site directly to the FAU campus on Glades Road. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your service on the, on the board. I appreciate it. Uh, the next speaker is Elaine Tenner, uh, followed by uh, Roland Mendonca. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am the chairman of the uh, Transportation Committee, and I'm very happy to be here and honored. I think Karen laid out the situation quite clearly. 
And just to reinforce it, I want to introduce Roland Mendonca. He is a former student, and he's now the access an accessibility consultant at FIU, and he can tell you personally what he's gone through. And his letter is part of the attachments in your packet today. Thank you, Commissioner Wexler. Good morning, Mr. Mayor and Good morning. Um, Commissioners. Yeah, um, my name is Roland Mendonca, as was mentioned, and um, as a former student and a current employee at Florida Atlantic University, I am living the, the struggle, and also I am seeing the struggles of students who have um, varying disabilities. Uh, my compassion level um, went up a few levels um, about a year or so ago when I noticed a, a large percentage of students with disability, um, visual impairment, <coughs> are using the paratransit services. And um, it, it's actually endangering uh, them to having to make that connection. But from my own story, it takes me approximately two hours. I would leave work at 5 and don't get home until about uh, 7, 30, 8 o'clock. And that's usually on a good day. There are times I would get home at 9 o'clock and then have to start again at 5 o'clock in the morning to do that same process. Um, and what we're asking is um, not nothing uh, super special, but just for us to have an equal opportunity because students are being disenfranchised in my estimation, and um, it, it will actually reduce the cost because on a given year, I'm paid about $3,000 for transportation costs. So one, it's costly, and two, it's time consuming. Um, a third element is that students who are uh, with disability, they can do their, their bachelor's degree, but if they're attempted to do their master's or their, their PhD program, Many of these classes start at 4.45, and some go all the way to 10 o'clock at night. Many of these students will not be able to take it because the PAM trans stopped working at a certain time, and so they wouldn't be able to pursue that education. So I'm asking um, the commissioners, if you can please um, look at this situation a bit closer and to see if you could just help the students who are trying to pursue um, the tertiary education uh, so that they also can be uh, uh, productive citizens in our beautiful county and state. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we now have uh, Farrah Robles, followed by Monica Vesquez. Hello and good afternoon. I'm so happy you guys are seeing us today. I really appreciate it. You guys are looking into this issue. I am an FAU student. I, ha I am finishing my bachelor's in social work with a minor in sociology. I'm hoping to go into my master's in August. And the reason why I bring that up is because I currently live in Pompano Beach. And um, I do this every day. I see Roland all the time. We meet at Starbucks. Um, but I want you to bring up to mind that 93% of visually impaired individuals are jobless, are unemployed right now. So it's only a 7% that are working. And we all know that this correlation between education and you know job opportunity, money, income, way of life. Um, there is no uh, four-year university here in Broward unless you go to Nova, which is not an option for everybody. It's not public university. Our choices are FIU or FAU, and FAU is the closest one. Um, to the current situation right now, it's only a quarter of a mile of a difference. 
you have to drive by FAU to go to Meissner. I don't think that anything we're asking is fair. <laughs> and I would really urge you to look into it because this will really benefit our quality of life, not only now for me to not wake up so early or for me to be there so late, but also for our future. You know, if we really want to invest in students and in people with disability, giving in a quality education in a timely fashion should be a priority for our county and for everybody here. So I really urge you, I really am happy you guys are looking into it. I, I want to do better for myself. Um, I need the extra help because I can't drive to go to school. But um, you guys could help me and us if you guys um, pass this through. I really urge you. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for being here. Our, we now have Monica Vasquez, followed by Tracy Stafford. Hi, good morning. Thank good morning. you for being here, uh, commissioners from Broward County and also the residents of uh, Broward. Um, and a special thanks to uh, Commissioner Lois Wexler. Appreciate you bringing this issue back into the forefront of accessibility, uh, fair and safe, uh, accessible transportation for the county residents. Uh, <coughs> I can't, I'm baffled. I was, I stood here um, 10 years ago uh, with the same issue when I was a student at FAU. Um, again, the different challenges that the uh, residents face uh, and having no choice but to go to FAU because of certain classes only offered on the Boca campus. I don't think it's too much to ask to go a quarter of a mile difference just to drop off uh, students at a university. Uh, we all know that universities are hubs for thousands of students. Uh, and here you have a, a, your um, constituents in, in the, um, the residents here wanting to get an education to better their lives and knowing that unemployment rate is so high among people with disabilities as it is and having to go through the daily challenges um, I, and, and, and all the, the different limitations uh, on a daily basis. So I'm asking you if you can for a moment close your eyes and, and try to imagine um, walking in, in our shoes. Have any of you taken the bus or paratransit before and seen that it can take three to four hours um, to make the connection and uh, to get onto the school and also that sometimes there's limitations in the uh, with the other county at night and uh, services end earlier so if, if um, I urge you to consider the uh, options for going to the FAU campus and to take the challenge thank you thank you uh, we now have Tracy Stafford, followed by Felipe Rodriguez. Mr. Mayor, Commissioners, uh, my name's Tracy Stafford. Um, I am privileged to serve on your advisory board for persons with disabilities, and Commissioner Ryan and the board gave me that privilege just in the last year, and I appreciate that. Um, I have a background as an elected official. I'm a former mayor of Wilton Manors and a former legislator for 10 years. And 
now I'm a person with disabilities. Um, I wasn't born a person with disabilities. My public service was as a person without disabilities that impeded me from carrying on in a in a normal way that with issues that that now I find obstacles and I've thought back so many times about the the years that I spent in public service and how I had the opportunity to to do things that that maybe didn't get done not because I was insensitive or didn't care I just didn't know and um the the fact that um, Commissioner Wexler um, asked that this item be agended and that you're sitting here listening to it um, is an encouraging sign for the disability community, and, and I appreciate that. Um, I know that you deal with scarce resources and that you try to apportion them out in a, in a way that makes a difference to people. Um, it seems like, um, from my experience and background, that this is an opportunity for you to to do something that makes a huge difference to some, to some people and without a big price tag. And um, I would encourage you to jump jump at that opportunity. And um, thanks for listening to me. Thank you. Thank you, Representative Stafford, for your the great service you provided to our state and also to Wilton Manors. Thank you. We now have uh, Felipe Rodriguez followed by Shaniqua Miller. Good morning. Um, well, my name is Felipe. Um, next year, I'm planning to go to FIU. And um, FIU is just uh, less than a quarter miles. And imagine we have to travel a lot and um, spend um, almost $14 a day. And definitely, I'm here to support uh, current students and future students. They're um, going through you know, this uh, time-consuming um, uh, my problem that we have it right now. And um, I would like to see a change because that's definitely going to benefit uh, current students and future students that are, um, you know, struggling uh, to get a FAU. And, um, well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we now have uh, Shaniqua Miller followed by uh, the final speaker, which would be Michael Rayner. partner here doesn't like public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> She's nervous. <laughs> um, myself, currently I'm working on my bachelor's and um, I will be finishing that up in December. And I am looking into, well, where am I going to go for my master's? And right now, <laughs> the way my student loans are set up, Nova's not necessarily looking like a positive option. And as I spoke to my colleagues about where to go, everyone's urging me to attempt to go to FAU. But then when I speak to my other colleagues that are visually impaired, it's not looking to them. I am a single mother of two, and I have played the whole connection game of trying to schedule one paratransit to meet the next paratransit, and it doesn't work too well, because you're either an hour early or you miss it, and then now you have to Uber somewhere, and it's not necessarily a feasible option. I would actually like to attend FAU because they do have what I would like to do for my master's, but 
if this doesn't get resolved, then I might just be stuck at home and not pursuing the rest of my education to hopefully get a job and better myself. So I really do hope <laughs> that this does pass through because I really, really, really would like to continue on my education. So here we go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And you and your partner did a great job speaking. <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> the final speaker is Michael Rayner. Good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. Um, and Commissioner Wexler, thank you for posting this up to the agenda. While I serve as the chair of the uh, Human Rights Board for the county, I'm speaking as an individual. Um, I'm really proud that this item was posted here so that you got a chance to hear the stories when I saw Commissioner Wexler posted this on Thursday. Um, this is a 10-year struggle, at least, that I'm aware of. I finished my bachelor's in social work um, at a time when I struggled um, with HIV with great difficulty and having to withdraw several times because of illness. And I got to meet Monica Vasquez, who spoke. And at the time, I lived a few blocks away from Commissioner Lamarca. And um, I would drive Monica as often as I could to class so that she wouldn't, at that time, have to be dropped off across the street uh, from FAU at Glades Avenue and venture and risk her life crossing either an eight or 10 lane road with um, crazy butt college kids driving out, you know, rushing to uh, enjoy life. Um, it was a dangerous situation. Obviously, Meisner was a, uh, some kind of change within it over time, but I just think it's not reasonable. And I think that as you as policymakers set policy and you have the opportunity to correct something to help individuals who struggle every day to achieve the same goals that we might want to and might easier enjoy. And I think this is a really easy fix for a quarter of a mile. It, it just makes sense. I want to thank many of you who I spoke with prior to this today, or to the item was just called, um, you know, who have articulated your common sense support for this. Um, it just makes sense. You know, you're talking about Florida Atlantic University that <coughs> has a campus in Davie, but to continue education, I had to go to Boca as well. And that trip isn't as easy for everyone. Um, you know, I'm, I regret that while I was at the School of Social Work, we never took this on as an advocacy project with the county to make sure it was rectified. Um, if I were still there, I probably would have. Um, I'm very proud that the Advisory Board with Disabilities has been trying to remedy this for probably 10 years, I think it's been. And it, it should never have existed. It should never have had to come to this quite personally, in my opinion. Um, but I think you have a chance to fix that and make the statement that when someone who's with a disability, um, especially when it comes to FAU, is trying to get to school to further their lives and find uh, better opportunities for employment, this is common sense than to have to have them coordinate with an entire other system managed by another county, uh, have the expectation that that service is going to show up on time without maybe having a tire blowout. What if they had an exam that day? You know, for that little bit of a quarter more of a mile, you could have risked that person not getting to have their exam taken um, for a particular class. And, you know, with the pressures and everything, I think they spoke really articulate to the issue, and I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you, and thank you for your service too, Mr. Rayner. Well, we're now back to the dais. We have a number of speakers on this matter. Um, the first person on the queue is Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. Michael, had I known you were going to school, I would have been happy to drive you, being able to live so close. Um, you, you know, we had we started the day out with uh, Principal Johnson from from Ely um, talking about public schools, and then uh, we have Broward College and FAU items up here today. Uh, and I, I attended 
public schools K through 12 and uh, Broward College as an evening commuter when 595 was being built and FAU as well, whether it's Central or, or North or uh, Boca Campus. You know, clearly we, we want the best for, for folks and certainly if there's one, uh, one roadblock along the way, we want to be basically be able to remove that, but we want to be uh, very cautious and pragmatic about just changing something for uh, a small number of folks. But I would say that you know, considering what we've heard here uh, from Michael and uh, the the other folks that spoke, uh, as well as Representative Stafford, again, thanks for your service. Um, you know, we're talking about if I was I was. A little confused on the issue because I because Meisner is closer to uh, one of these points of origin than, for example, Boca FAU campus on on Glades Road, uh, as as the road goes. But not as uh, if you use the interstate. I wasn't aware that uh, you don't, we don't necessarily have to go to Meisner Park. Uh, if we don't need to go to Meisner Park and we get on uh, I ninety five to Glades, it's a bit further, but it's right off of ninety five. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be 100% in support of making this change, but I'm going to be uh, I'm going to caution that with this would be the only location I'd say we would add uh, because education because of the other issues that were spoken about here. But very carefully, we don't want we don't want the next question to be well you know how about Palm Beach Atlantic College? How about you know that's only up at you know West Palm? So I don't want our folks to have to be driving far away from. Our county, but just into Palm Beach is not a whole lot different than just into uh, Miami-Dade County. Uh, and Florida Atlantic University has invested time, effort, resources, and a lot of other important uh, important investments in Broward County to have our central and downtown campuses. So I'm supportive of the issue, and certainly uh, I know Paratransit will, will do a great job with it. Uh, considering that their uh, education is they're they're for FAU, I'm assuming when we take those. Uh, we take those ride requests that they're uh, that they put where they're going, and and uh, and we're not going to extend it into other places in the Palm Beach County. So I'm in support of the of the item for FAU and for these students. Thank you, Vice Mayor Sharif. Well, first of all, thank you, Commissioner Wexler, for putting this item on. Um, actually, actually, um, a little shocked that it's been going on for 10 years because I consider this to be one of those things that's a no-brainer. Um, secondly. You know, it's hard enough to go to school and to get an education without being visually challenged or physically um, disabled. And um, I believe that they should, everyone should have the same opportunities <coughs> and options. And that if this bus service can provide that for them, then um, I'm supportive of doing that. In addition to that, I am not um, going to limit it I think, uh, Commissioner Wexler, that my children, who do not have any disabilities, can apply to go to Palm Beach College. They can apply to go to Miami-Dade College. They can apply to go wherever they want to go. As far as our bus service can take them to get them there safely and to get them there consistently, I'm willing to put the dollars in to do that. And so what I'm going to say here today is that if I do receive another request or we do have another item, Commissioner Wexler, I'd be more than happy to support that, whether that be going to Miami-Dade County or whether that be going further into Palm Beach County because for them to have the type of tenacity and spirit to pursue higher education the way that they are pursuing it, 
I am very <coughs> motivated and enthusiastic to support that, and I will do that at every item. Thank you. Commissioner Bogan. I totally agree with Commissioner Sharif and Commissioner Wexler. I think it's great that this has been brought, and um, we're here to help those in need. And again, I agree totally if, if there's another request, because if those people, if we can't help those people who really need it, then we shouldn't be here. And so I'm fully supportive. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you, Mayor. You know, I've been on this commission a really long time. Um, and I've seen lots of people who really need bus service. Not necessarily paratransit, but BCT, BCT, regular service. I've seen people come before this board during the depths of the recession begging us not to cut bus routes. Bus routes that impacted hundreds of people, not a dozen, hundreds of Broward County residents who wanted to get to school, needed to get to work, wanted to go shopping, um, and many of them were from District 3. There's not a whole lot of bus service to begin with in District 3, but we cut bus routes in the district I represent, as we did in, in at least most, if not all, of our county commission districts. And that service hasn't been restored to where it was prior to the recession. I don't expect that it will get restored for a bunch of reasons. And while I appreciate the people here today who have come, who have asked for this service, and while I'm going to support it today, um, I also feel for those people whose bus routes were cut who, and who haven't been restored and who don't have cars, and the only way they can get around is Broward County Transit. Um, and they're still asking us for help to put back what we took away, and that's not happening yet. Um, those people are often more impacted because they actually have to take more buses and spend more time on those buses to get from point A to point B than the people who, who use TOPS. Um, I, I would bet that in the unfortunate circumstance where someone missed a, an exam because of a, a transfer that didn't occur, that any professor would be more than willing to allow a person to take that exam later because of that unfortunate circumstance which may have been foreseen. And when you talk about roadblocks, it isn't just the people with disabilities in this county that have had those roadblocks put up. It's the people who continue to clamor for Broward County Transit to go where they need to go, when they need it to go there, that have been cut or were cut as a result of the recession. Um, so I'm, I get it, you know, I would like, I want it to be as easy as possible for the people who have come to us here today who are directly impacted by this and I think there were maybe one or two of the speakers who were actually directly impacted by this today. But I would not want to see this go anywhere else. I do not think that, this, that, that, that going down to FIU or Palm Beach College or um, anywhere outside of a certain limit outside Broward County would be a, a, an acceptable use of tax dollars. 
Um, not, and that doesn't limit people's choices any more than those people who are currently using Broward County Transit or would like to use Broward County Transit but we don't go where they need them to go any more than it impacts them. Um, so I'm going to support this today. I think it's the right thing to do, but I would not support extending the service beyond that extra quarter mile. Um, and and I, while I, I actually agree with Commissioner Lamarca that eliminating the Meisner stop might be um, a good idea, I would like to know how many people would be impacted by that. Um, I'll bet it's more people. I'll bet more people go to Meisner through Tops than go to FAU through Tops. So uh, I know you're not, but Commissioner Lamarca had brought it up, and so and I think I I I think it's. I mean, it would certainly cut the time off. But um, at the very at the very least, this this is as far as I'm willing I'm willing to go, and so I'm going to support this today. But I would not support an item that came up in the future to go anywhere outside this really small northern southern border of Broward County into the into our sister counties. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Holness. Yes, I, I, I think whenever we can help those who are in need by empowering them to take charge of their lives, we ought to do that. Uh, and this is what we will do with enabling uh, these uh, people to get to school and get to where they can invest their time and talent in bettering themselves, thereby bettering our community by potentially helping in many ways. But on any note, we have to look and be prudent. Uh, to At this point in time, for me to say, you know, I'll support any others that come, I can't. We have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis and see the benefits and, and how it works throughout the whole system to ensure that we have balance. And, and as uh, Commissioner Ritter stated, uh, there's, there's a lot of need, needs that exist in our community for transportation, uh, for people who actually do need the help to get to work, to get to school, to function, and to be productive. So I'm definitely in support of this uh, because it's, it's a worthwhile thing for us to do. Thank you. Commissioner Furr. Thank you. First, I want to thank Commissioner Wexler for, for bringing this up. I think it's a, a very important article yeah. that you brought up. And I also want to thank the people that talked today because I, because I think you put a face on what paratransit is all about for this county that very few people have had a chance to see. I don't think, I don't think a lot of people know what paratransit is or does. And today, we had a good I chance. passing the torch. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Um, and I appreciate the fact that we're, this is an investment in those people that are, are taking this, that we're investing in their education, and they're going to be, you know, productive people in society. So I, I appreciate that. The one thing I would like us to maybe look at is the, 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 the extra cost on this is because it's a one-way trip, and there's no passengers coming back. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we might want to look at um, those possibilities of alternatives, such as either some of the TNCs that can go up there and then they can bring somebody else back. I keep pushing, well, I look at Uber Pool. As you know, I just took the debut ride on it. Um, but those, those possibilities, even, or taxi cabs, there, there should be a way where it's not just a one-way tri trip so that, you, that they can actually um, pick up someone on the back and it, and, it, 
and it de de uh, decreases the cost of the trip. We should be looking at that. We need, we need to be smart about it. I'm in full support of it. I'm, I'm thankful you brought it up. Thanks again for the people that, that uh, spoke. But I do want us to think, think ahead and think of how to make this uh, smart fiscally as well. So um, uh, I support this. Thank you. All I want to say is I just want to thank Commissioner Wexler for bringing up this very good item and for your leadership in this. It's, it's uh, very important. And with that said, Commissioner Mayor? Wexler, would you like to? Oh, Oops, of course, uh, Ms. Henry. Thank you. Um, in defense of the staff, but certainly in deference to the board, this is where this decision belongs. This is, this is a policy decision of the board. Um, for some of you that may remember many, many years ago, our paratransit program um, was in, in disarray. Uh, we had people going any and everywhere, and uh, we pay for it dearly, or those of us that pay property taxes for the large share pay for it dearly. So what we, um, as a staff, um, we design a system to fit within the, um, the confines of what um, the federal statutes allow us to do. Uh, as Commissioner Wexler indicated at the, at the beginning of this, um, where we deviate today from what the statute allows, and it says um, you can provide, you are required to provide paratransit service three quarters of a mile from a fixed route. So we have a fixed route that goes to a certain ex um, uh, distance within Miami-Dade as well as Palm Beach. The only place where we deviate from that is that there are areas within Broward County that fall outside of the three quarters of a mile. The, the county commission at that time made a decision to support all of Broward County residents. So we're so that was a that was a decision of the board. We get requests all the time to go beyond that, and the staff had no ability to uh, be selective in which ones they want to support or not. So um, in this case, um, my conversations with Commissioner Wexler. Um, centered around um, this, um, at least at the moment, um, I can speak to, uh, we have about uh, 10 of our para frequent uh, paratransit uh, <coughs> customers that utilize um, FAU. Uh, there will be a slight financial consequence to that because we'll have to make some amendments, but um, this isn't a significant financial issue. The issue for the staff has always been we don't, we don't know where to stop the line. And so as long as this decision is brought to this board and you make that decision and tied with that, um, the financial resources that go with that, the staff will implement whatever the board would like to do. Thank you. Commissioner Wexler. Thank you, and I do understand that, and that's why the item is before us today. And Ms. Henry and I discussed this for the last two weeks, and this was the way that it needed to go forward, which was as a policy decision of the Board of County Commissioners. I, I, I recognize that. But I, I, I think that one of the things that's so important of what you said is that this board did make a conscious decision a number of years ago. This paratransit system was very much out of control. And the, the recession itself, as well as trying to do things differently in our paratransit system with separate dispatch, as well as um, buying our own vehicles and, and, and modifications like that, we believe have given us much more control of the system. The three-quarter of a mile rule, rule are federal guidelines. 
that have direct impact on pay. But when you look at the map that I provided for you in the um, and is Exhibit Two in your packet, what it shows is in white huge holes in Broward County, and almost all of Weston, if not every bit of Weston, is not in the fixed route system because buses are only allowed on Weston Road. They're not allowed in the city of Weston. And so we make that co conscious effort as a board of county commissioners out of our general fund to pay for that. If you also look at it, and I bet you this is gonna surprise the mayor because this is your hometown here, um, a good portion of the town of Davie is out of the fixed route. It, it falls out of the system, so it's also in white. We make that conscious effort, Imagination Farms, out of it. And all that area out there is all out of it because there is no fixed route bus service. And it is a fascinating, fascinating and uh, um, um, opportunity, and it's got so many layers of, 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 of information that you as commissioners and colleagues really need to learn over the years. Um, I passed him the torch because I've been carrying this torch for 11 years now as far as paratransit. Um, Roland, <laughs> Roland, I know you do, but Roland who originally wrote the letter doesn't live in my district. He lives in Plantation, but not in my part of it. I believe he lives in your part of it, Mayor. And, but, but, but I, you know, I got involved because this is one of the things that I've taken up the paratransit issue all of these years. I'm sorry that it's taken this long to bring an actual item forward. We have a great opportunity here today to fix a wrong. The motion that I'm going to make is to extend um, paratransit route to make Florida Atlantic University Boca Raton um, campus one of our stops in Palm Beach County, which increases it from two to three. Um, and that's, that's the motion. Second. Uh, there's been a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I just, just for... Um, Mr. Garland, can you, um, and I'm sorry I didn't ask you this yesterday, can you let me know what the steps are? Do we have to have a public hearing? Because we, okay, good. So I just wanted to make sure that we will send you around um, um, a, uh, a timeline as to when this could be implemented because it wouldn't start tomorrow because we're gonna have to amend some contracts and I didn't know if there were any other uh, administrative things that we have to do, but we will do that. You do know that our paratransit service now goes right past FAU. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Um, if somebody would let uh, Ms. Fortman know what's going on so she can let the people that were here today, I bet you she has um, names and email addresses and phone numbers for everybody that spoke here today because I'm sure they're very interested. Yes, we will Thank get this you. done as quickly as we can. Great, the uh, item has uh, been passed. Uh, we now are moving on to item number 49, which was also time certain after uh, this item. And this is Commissioner Furr's item, which is a motion to direct the Office of the County Attorney to draft ballot language for placement of the November 2016 general election ballot, which would address an inconsistency in the charter of 
charter provision governing the term of the Charter Review Commission. Uh, there are a number of public uh, speakers on this matter, but before that, I'm going to allow uh, Commissioner Furr to uh, kick off the item. Thank you. And you said it. It's really just a, uh, an item to resolve an inconsistency. I think before us, really, I, I think most of us probably agree that a three-year term on the Charter Commission is too long. 18 months makes a lot more sense. I think the, the main thing that we have to decide between us is whether or not we want the Charter Commission to meet every eight years or every 12 years. And that's, that's the issue that I think we need to decide how the ballot language should read. So we'll, I think we're going to listen to a few people, but I think that's what we have to decide amongst ourselves. Thank you. Uh, so the, the first speaker would be uh, Tom McDonald, who is the board chair of the Charter Review Commission. Uh, Mr. McDonald. Hi, Tom. If, hi. If I may, I'll just be here for questions. I'd like uh, Larry Davis to speak. Sure. He's, got, he's got the position of the board. Thanks. Uh, Mr. Davis. Thank you, Mayor. Um, good morning. Good morning. Um, still morning. <laughs> uh, I know. Um, we brought this in front of our uh, charter review um, because there was inconsistency um, because it said that they, uh, we were appointed for two years, but we were supposed to report out in June of uh, 18 to, and get it on the ballot for November of 18. So uh, there was an internal inconsistency. So we brought it to the board. We unanimously uh, brought it to uh, Commissioner Furr to bring to, uh, and we met with uh, Joni Coffey as well. And we think it's an easy fix for our terms just to uh, extend us for the three years, which is it really, and I agree with uh, Commissioner Furr, that's a long time for us to be meeting. but. Um, uh, and then subsequent times, uh, the commission would be appointed um, in uh, January and would have an 18 months to report back to the board. As far as the eight or 12 years, um, we brought it to Commissioner uh, Fur for eight years, but I don't think we have a strong feeling one way or the other. Um, it, it, the commission would rather that the charter meets only every 12 years instead of eight years. Um, that wasn't something that we really focused on. What we wanted to do was get a fix for us so that we knew when we had to report back and put things on the ballot and that uh, would um, eliminate any possibility that an outside group could bring a challenge to our authority if we didn't get this straightened out. So that's pretty much where we are. And I'll answer any questions uh, for the charter board if you have any questions. Good, thank you. Of course. Uh, well, there's uh, before we go on to that, but there's a few other public speakers, um, both Sam Gorin and Carl and uh, Carlos Verney. Do you are you all deferring to Mr. Davis? We are deferring to Mr. Davis. Great. Perfect. So we'll uh, uh, actually Commissioner Davis has a nice ring to it. Um, so uh, uh, anybody, uh, Commissioner Wexler, of course. Did you um, discuss the Management and Efficiency Committee? It hasn't really The been, reason I say I know, is because, because it's every it, five years. Exactly. And in um, my mind, that 8 or 12 has the impact if we get rid of the Management and Efficiency Committee, then I'm more apt to support one or the other. Well, it, it, I can only say this, that there has been some discussions 
with the group in regard to it, but there, it hasn't been finalized. Um, there are some commissioners on the Charter Review Commission who don't really see a need for that, but it hasn't been decided or voted on or put into our structural committee at all at this point. Um, Commissioner Sharif. Hi, yes. Hi, Commissioner. Just um, my question was if, if you change it, I don't have a problem with the 18 months versus the three years, but if you change that and then you change the meeting time to every 12 years, if there was something that this board thought needed to be addressed, could that be, could a, could a commission, could a special commission be convened sooner than the 12 years? This, this I can always, answer that, I think. This, this board always has the authority to place right. items by a, a six-vote <coughs> majority on the ballot. Like this, this item itself Without will, convening the will be, be placed on the charter, it would be a charter change and, and can be done with uh, six votes instead of a majority. So, yes. So, uh, and, and so I wouldn't have a problem with the, with the 12 years and the 18 months, Commissioner Burr. Thank you. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. Um, <clears throat> I think the work that, that this Charter Review Commission is set out to do is, is very important. Uh, it's important to this community. Uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little, uh, concerned or disappointed that maybe out of all of our, and I don't say this because I know who I appointed, but I, I don't, I don't know that anybody appointed anybody from the no party affiliation area. And unfortunately more than, more than 25% of our, our county is registered that way. So I, I feel those folks don't necessarily have a voice and I'm going to reserve judgment until the, until the work of the board is done with, re, with regard to the cost and the time. Absolutely, eight years would be the most I could stomach. I mean, the idea that we would go 12 years for something, I mean, we've got costs associated with it, and we have a, when I'm, I'm less concerned with the, uh, with the board uh, executive side and the board's uh, council spending, uh, spending on outside things, because I know who the council is, and I know it'll be very responsible. I mean, like some other districts in this county. Uh, but I want to make sure that, you know, I want to fix this glitch. And I also would, would say that eight, eight years is about, you know, you can't get the work done in eight years. I mean. Well, Commissioner Lamarck had that. No, no, at the most, before they would meet again. Before they would meet again. 12 years before they would meet again. Right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. You'd rather she's, have the 12 she's years She's doing my thing for you, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 12 years, 12 yeah. years, 12 years. Well, yeah, we under, I, I think I often, got it. Less often, sorry. Right. I, I so was just, you know what? The thought of all the outside legal bills of some of these communities, organizations, is driving me nuts. I just, you know, I get caught yeah, up we, on that. Again, we, when we addressed the issue of the eight or 12 years, it wasn't, what we want to do is get the fix in for us so that we would have the full three years and bring the, uh, we'll bring it back to the commission in June of 18. As far as whether we meet every eight or, or 12 years, um, knowing for myself, I, I'm sure I'm not going to be on the commission. Um, but um, we wanted to keep it on a presidential year because we thought that was a better way to go. And dealing with <coughs> Commissioner Wexler, I think we probably will deal with the commission. The study Agreed, and just to confirm, 12, 12 years and the presidential makes sense and uh, do some good. We're yeah, trying. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. Um, I don't have any questions for you. If you want to sit down, Mr. Davis, you can. Thank you. I guess that's an invitation to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ms. Coffey, um, Mr. Davis suggested that <coughs> there, if in the event we don't change 
put this on the ballot and change the language um, that outside groups could challenge the authority of the Charter View Commission. Do you have an opinion about that? I actually think that it would be very unlikely that after the work of 19 people over the course of three years, the court would deprive voters of the opportunity to vote on their recommendations. That said, there is an inconsistency on the face of your charter that came about with the most recent revision. Um, this is nonetheless your item, and I, I appreciate, if I may, just the opportunity to explain that these are very good proposals developed um, by Commissioner Furr, but you can do whatever you want with this proposal. You can limit it only to this particular term and not deal with 8, 12, whatever else, the 18-month term of the CRC, um, and, and leave to the Charter Review Commission what happens to future Charter Review Commissions. That said, this is a nice package. I would like to clarify that as drafted, it does three things. It cleans up the current CRC. It provides that the next one will be appointed in 2027, which is really 10 years, and serve up its recommendations in 2028. And thereafter, which is really long range, it would meet either eight years or 12 years. So that's a very long view, um, and it is a comprehensive fix. You may not deal with those long-term things, you can add other things to this item. So long as you have six votes, you can put any part of this package on the ballot that you wish. So it is six votes? It's six votes. Okay. Yeah. For you to put your right. okay. agenda um, on the ballot. By the way, uh, Ms. Coffey, uh, Commissioner Furr, you should thank Ms. Coffey. She just said that you put together a nice package. Um, so <laughs> you have a nice package is what she said. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. I heard it. I heard it. Um, is, is the charter of a county basically, I mean, if you were explaining to um, a member of the public what the charter of a county is, would you compare it to a constitution? Exactly. Okay, so how good am I, right? Very. <laughs> you answered that really well. Um, so the Florida Constitutional Convention meets every 20 years. Correct. Uh, I don't know, maybe we want to follow what the state of Florida does by only meeting every 20 years. Um, because the, the truth of the matter is the charter can be changed by the commission or by the public through a petition drive, <coughs> notwithstanding the fact that we have a charter view commission. So I'm just throwing that out there for thought. <laughs> well, you, Commissioner Lamarck gives me a thumbs up, but you actually were advocating for eight. <laughs> so you meant 12. I know you meant 12. Um, and. You know, I, I chaired the Management Efficiency Study Committee from 2004 to 2006, and um, it was a great learning experience for me running for the county commission. But I'm not sure that it achieved what, out, what whether ours or previous MESCs or subsequent have achieved what we thought we were supposed to, um, through no one's fault. And we spent, the two years that I chaired it, we spent a lot of money on staff, um, on uh, field trips, um, to learn as much as we could about the county. And I, and I think we did a really good job of doing that. But I think that, like most management efficiency study committees, the report sat on a shelf where it is today, 
collecting dust on top of the previous Management Efficiency Study Committee reports and the subsequent one. So um, I would like to amend this, and I, I think I, I would consider it a friendly amendment. I hope that you would, Commissioner Furr, to eliminate the Management Efficiency Study Committee from the Charter um, in, in perpetuity. <laughs> If, if, you know, and, and Commissioner Furr, if, if, if you do not, then I'm happy to put it on the agenda next week for. Totally agree with Okay. That. So that would be. And, and I, if the 20 years doesn't have a whole lot of support up here, I would, I would say the 12. We get, we have 12 years um, as county commissioners, three terms of four years each, except for Commissioner Bogan, who gets like 60 because of his special election. Um, so I would go for 12 if the, if 20. If I floated a lead balloon in a 20, thank you. Um, I guess I just have one quick question for Ms. Coffey. Uh, I would actually support what uh, Commissioner Ritter just proposed and that uh, Commissioner Furr uh, agreed to. But I have a question. I know what, if a constitutional amendment on the state constitution is put on, there's a single subject rule. Um, do we have that same rule? And would this uh, violate the single subject rule, since it appears to be two different things? We need to take a look at it, but if you give us the motion to direct, we'll take a look at it and put okay. it either in one or two different okay. drafts. Great. Perfect. Excellent. So, um, uh, Commissioner Furr, would you like to close and make a motion? I'll just make a motion to pass. For, with, with the 12 years. Exhibit three. Exhibit three. Thank you. Second. And, and the dissolution of the management committee. It's a friendly amendment. Yes. There's been a, a motion and a second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, show the item passes unanimously. We're, we're now going to be moving. Thank you all very much. We're now going to be moving back to item number seven, where we had uh, left off. And I believe uh, that the folks left on to speak were Commissioner Holness, Commissioner Lamarca, and Commissioner Bogan. Um, so, uh, you know, actually, Commissioner Wexler, were you uh, finished speaking or were you still ongoing on item seven? I think you were given a mission, right? Yes, I was. Okay, thank you. Thank Great. You. So, uh, Commissioner Holness. Yes, uh, this is this is really something that's uh, I think very good in, in terms of uh, the results, but even beyond that, the fact that it, it really encourages uh, our youths, our children, to to stay focused. Uh, and, and to probably get this opportunity. And as with anything, and over time you need to adjust, you, you need to uh, make amendments, and, and I think we've done that, and, and I'm, I believe we're going to continue to do that as we go forward into the future. Uh, one of the things that I, I spoke with uh, Ms. Campbell yesterday about was the fact that this addresses students who actually finish high school because it's a requirement with at least a 2.0 average. But we have another subset of uh, young people who never finish high school, who drop out. And those are the most at risk for ending up in our criminal justice system based on the statistics that I've seen over the years. In fact, I believe 80% of the people who end up in our jail system, prison system, have no high school diploma or GED, and 40% can't read. And, and I'm just asking our, our commissioners and our county staff and others to see how we find probably some other 
efforts, some collaborative efforts, uh, where we can bring uh, agencies together that provide for these folks. And I know that OIC is one of, at the forefront of this, and I know they have a relationship with Broad College and with Career Source. And I'm looking to see how we might even look to see how we strengthen what they do. And, and they get, they do a great job in, in grants writing and bringing federal funds in. Uh, how can we help them to expand that and to really move uh, even deeper into the system to get more people before it gets to where they end up in jail? And then, and then we have to pay a whole lot more money to take care of them. Thank you, Commissioner. No, we, we can certainly look into that. We have a number of youth mentoring organizations that are feeding students to the scholarship. Uh, we did add a high school equivalency or GED uh, as uh, part of the criteria, so uh, they would be eligible, but we can certainly reach out to OIC. And part of what we're doing with our Jumpstart program is going into the high schools. We'll be in all 33 of them by uh, the end of May. Uh, talking to students who do not have a plan uh, even before they, they finish uh, their senior year to make sure that they know the opportunity that the scholarship provides for them. Commissioner LaMarca. Thank you, Mayor. Um, you know, I pulled, the, I pulled this item for, for, to, to thank you for the work, the work that, that is being done. And, I, and I, as much as I saw that number that Commissioner Wexler saw, uh, we spoke about that yesterday, and the fact that the uh, the, the initial endowment of $2.5 million is still there, and this is based on what the market will bear uh, with your investments and for the foundation, and what and what this uh, what you decide to, to choose for scholarships annually. And I, I know that's really going to be dependent on who applies, but I I think the the addition of the three organizations that you picked, the Urban League, 100 Black Men and Broward County Schools Mentoring Tomorrow's Leaders is excellent, but the real thing that I thought was fantastic uh, was this uh, Broward College Academy of Excellence, because it, yeah. it basically, you know, I, I reflect on my high school years, I didn't spend a lot of time speaking about planning and whatnot with my, with any of the guidance counselors, and quite honestly, with a single, single parent, my mom didn't uh, really off, offer much in the area of what I was going to do for uh, engineering or information technology, and, and uh, I scooted off to school up north, and ultimately, due to financial reasons, came back, and Broward College was 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 there, and I was able to go at night, and FAU at night, and I would say that the the, the fact is, this is it wasn't for lack of understanding what was going what was waiting for me at that twenty six thousand dollar year institution, um, but it was basically all the other factors, and I think this is so important to families that don't have the ability to, to guide and counsel those children as what they're going to find when they go out and go to Broward College, I mean, you know, or, or really any other school, but, but we're talking about Broward College in this situation, and that's, that's a real big plus. Um, and for me, it's, it's you know, I, uh, when I talk about the Boys and Girls Club, for example, uh, I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I say. It's not just, it, there is a strong thought about every one of those kids, every one of their situations, their families, uh, the opportunities to, to break out of uh, the darkness is a good friend of mine uh, says that you know they don't know that there's an opportunity out there, but the real issue that I want to talk about is, is the money. And Commissioner Holness mentioned it. We need to either invest in these children who have the opportunity, the opportunity or the decision to go this way or that way, and we need to make sure that they go the right way. Uh, and now that could be through uh, through Broward College, through other other organizations, through OIC. We want to make sure that they have this opportunity and the ability to, to tell a student that, hey, you know, there, there might be an opportunity for your Broward College. A 2.0 grade point average, 
could be a could be a general equivalency general equivalency diploma. That's that's a big deal. So uh, I hope we can build the number of uh, scholarships that we are giving out. But I know that uh, I participate, and I hope everybody else looks into the American Dream Scholarship and other things that Broward College does. I mean, it's really I'm I'm ranting about Broward College, and it's pretty pretty important for me to make sure that I disclose that I am an alum. So keep up the great work, and I support this. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Bogan. You know, hi, Nancy. Um, I, you know, as we met this morning. We did. And this is our first meeting, and Greg as well. Um, so I heard you responding to Commissioner Wexler about a management fee of $70,000. Is that to manage the $2.5 million? No. Well, actually, let me bring Bev up. But Bev, our, our financial consultant has probably explained it better than I could. Bev? What? No, 70000 annually, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we do assess a two and a quarter percent management fee on our endowed scholarship funds. Who does? The way I'm sorry, Broward College Foundation. You assess a two and a quarter percent. Yes. Why, why so high? I, I work with we, pension funds, uh, and I just while things were going on, I actually text one of my clients saying, "What kind of what kind of fee would a bank like BMO charge?" You know, to manage 2.5 million, they're telling me 30 basis points, maybe 50 basis points, max 100 basis points, which would equal, you know, 90% less than what you're being charged. With the funds community college um, situation, it's not uncommon to assess a management fee. Maybe ours is a little bit higher than others, but if you look at other community colleges in the state, they're around 2%. Miami-Dade is a 2%. Some are a little bit less. Every fact and cir circumstances change. Our county is a little bit different than many of the other counties in Florida. But let me explain how we calculate the 2 and a, two and a quarter percent and the impact on, on Broward Futures in particular. It's assessed on the rolling 12 quarterly averages of the fair market value of the value of the, of the endowment. When I say the fair market value, you're looking at the corpus plus the earnings account. You roll those averages over 12 quarterly quarters, so you're not going to hit a peak or a valley at any one point in time to stream out the calculation. And you multiply that by two and a quarter, divide it by four, and you get a quarterly management fee. The quarterly management fee is around $19,000 a quarter, $70,000 a year, as you were talking about, as Commissioner Wexel was talking about, the 228 nets over three years. Yeah. And then if you look at what your investment was, $750,000 divided by the total endowment, it represents 30%. So your investment only represents 30% of that, of that management fee, and that turns out to be like $22,000 uh, So year. is this a, a, an internal decision by the college of how much they're going to be charged? It's a, it's a, a policy by the foundation. Okay, so in, in today's day, just out of curiosity, what kind of return are you getting? At? I, I just, what kind of return are you getting on an annual basis? You know, when the when the market was really good. No, I don't. I know when the market was good. I'm talking about now. Now we had a it was a tough year. Calendar so, year 2015 was a tough year. So what kind of return we're, did we see in we 2015? Were down, we were down five and a half percent. The overall endowment was down five and a half percent. Yes. So that but includes the fee. Does that include the fee or no? No, no. So you're down more than seven and eight percent. No, 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 no. This is it includes all the the management fees, the investment right. advisor fees, net of fees. We're always quoting performance. 
I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that's horrible. I mean, I, I mean, you're you're going to charge two point twenty two point two percent to but to an endowment of two point five million. You know, in today's rate market, that's outrageous. I mean, two and a quarter percent though has no bearing on the scholarship allocation. What does have a bearing is we have a spending policy to maintain the buying power of the endowment on, on in perpetuity. And that spending policy represents 4% of the fair market value of the, of the, the corpus plus the, the Wait, wait, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If you're taking $70,000 a year, that's $70,000 that can go for scholarships. Isn't that right? If, you, if your fee was free, let's say you're free, that 70000 could be used for scholarships, correct or not correct? Not necessarily correct. In in that, the calculation is based on four percent of the the fair market value of the of the corpus. I, plus I don't the care how it's calculated. You're not answering my question. I, I'm asking you if you didn't have a fee, would that seventy thousand dollars go to scholarships? Greg, Nancy, would that go to scholarships? Yes or no? You guys. Yeah. It, so it, it is a separate. Isn't it a separate fee? It's a separate. It's a separate yeah, yeah. It's a separate. So. The seventy thousand dollars would not impact scholarships, right? How? So that's that. Your question is how, right? Well, how's that possible? You got a fund that you don't touch, right? And so you use the money, the interest, or the uh, you use the money that's earned from that two point five million to give scholarships, right? And so if some of that money goes to a management fee, then that money could could go to help students with scholarships, right? Getting back to the spending policy, we'll make a mathematical calculation of 4%. If the spending policy came up to be, say, that mathematical calculation is $100,000 a year, and say within the earnings account was $90,000 a year, obviously we couldn't have an allocation of $100,000 it was only $90,000. Conversely, if it's the policy was $100,000 math mathematical calculation, but there was more money, we'd still be bound by the 4% policy. Do we, do I, oh wait, before you take the dais, what, what authority do we have regarding this? Do we have any authority? Does the Broward County Commission have any authority? I, I just want to go on record that I think it's outrageous the type of fee that's being, I think it's wonderful what you do. Don't get me wrong, Nancy and Greg, what you guys do. I think it's outrageous the type of fee that's charged because I can go and get a variety of banks to manage that money and save, save your fund maybe 60,000 out of the 70,000. You want to take me up on that? I could save your fund 80% in fees uh, if you like that. Would you like to save 80% in fees? I'm putting you right on the spot right now. Would you like to save 80% in fees? So look, part of the reality is uh, what we would love to be able to do is compare where the allocation is going. Uh, I don't have, I don't know if you have the list in front of me. The allocation goes to expenses, not just a third party management organization. <laughs> With personnel, et cetera. But the bottom line is this, to the point that you had raised earlier, we would absolutely love to be able to investigate where the numbers are going and seeing if there's any way to reduce that. And we'd be happy to come back to you with the numbers along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I care about the students getting more money. So right. if we get more scholarship, more students, I, I, am, I could sit here and tell you right now that I could have someone next week from a major bank in your offices telling you they could save you 80% in fees to manage the 2.5 million. Well, we would obviously welcome that conversation. I'll set up a meeting next but, week. But I, I also want to, but we, but we want to do that, of course. And I think the other part, which frankly requires a better explanation from us, and that is the question about whether or not if you reduce the management fee, 
the impact on the students. And there is a spending policy that is actually the demarcation between the spending policy and actually the management fee. And so that is something that requires. Yeah, I, you know, I have no clue what you what you right. just said. I know. I mean, there's yeah. a there's a there's a correlation between saving money and the students. I I I, I don't. I'm sorry. Right. I'm stupid. I have no idea what. No, you're I, just I wouldn't go there. <laughs> but listen, Greg, I'm not yeah. trying to be a smartass. I'm no, just trying. I'm just trying to tell you that the, the, that. From what the fee is, the management fee here is, you guys could save a lot of money. And I and, and, and like I said, we'd we'd love to have the contact that you could provide, and we'll do everything we can to look at that number. Okay, appreciate it. That's Commissioner Wexler. Want. That's exactly what I wanted, and I, I'm going to tell you. And Greg, you and I spoke last sure. week, and one of the issues that I had was that the document was not originally shared until I personally shared it last Wednesday with the county auditor, and the reason that all of this came to be in 2012 was because when he took his, they took a look, the auditing people took a look, one of the issues was the management fees, was a really big deal, and it was kind of off kilter. And Mr. Lukic, would, would you mind, I, I know you and I didn't get back to each other after I forwarded you that information, but can, do you, are you prepared to make any comment? Because I think that oh, what that. Commissioner Bogan is saying is, the more money you can save in management fees, at least in my mind, would be could we possibly get more scholarships allocated to kids in need? Okay. And that's what th and that, that's my motivation here. And I support Commissioner Bogan 100% on this. Uh, when we looked at this several years ago, the management fees that were paid were actually in excess of the scholarships that were paid out. And we raised that issue. So I do believe there is a there's room for improvement in the fees over the investments, and uh, I think it's worth uh, working with the organization to get those fees as low as possible. Absolutely. Possible. I I, I know that um, Mandy Wells and Kim Campbell through Human Services. It's their name that appears on here, but t typically social workers aren't um, finance people. And I think it's really important for either someone in Bob Miracle Shop or your office, with you know Miss Henry's permission, to at least be. At, you have you, you, since you report directly to the board, we can ask that you at least keep an eye on the conversation as it moves forward. But I think that to give that responsibility to the Human Services Department is a stretch. And I think that someone in your finance division needs to kind of. When, when you start talking basis points and you start, you know, I'm a social worker at heart. So the, now, you know, I'm sitting here saying, okay, where's Rodstrom? Because this was his, his, his forte, not mine. But I know that when I look at the number, it just seems way too high. So, can, I, can I just tell you, so while the other thing was going on, I text a gentleman who manages billions of dollars at a bank and asked him, there's a $2.5 million fund sitting here, what would the average cost be? He says, average cost 30 basis points, maximum high end 100 basis points, meaning you know less than 10 grand for the year. He goes, we could do this for less than 10 grand for the year, manage a fund of 2.5 million. So, you know, unless you're telling me that they're doing 100 other things with this fund, I, you know, that's why I'm, where I'm coming from to tell you I could Save, save money. If I may, Commissioner Bogan, sure. you know, Broward College is the second largest community college in the state of Florida. And yet when you look at the funding we get from the state of Florida, we're in the bottom quartile. 
So we have got to be entrepreneurial. We've got to be smart about how we can bring more revenue to Broward College so we can serve our community. Much like the Broward County Commission and Broward County Government, we're here as a public service. There's no possible way that we can charge students enough money to cover our costs. So we are, we are held by tuition caps and, uh, and we can't go any higher. So in order to be successful and to do the great work that we do, we've got to look at ways to bring resources into the college. One of the ways that we do that is by assessing a management fee on our endowments. Now, it is a little higher than most of our peers throughout the state, but we live in a very, uh, very highly concentrated uh, area where there's a lot, a lot of students that are low income and we have a lot of extra services that we have to build around that to make sure that they're successful. So what we do is we take that two and a quarter management fee over the entire pool of endowments that we have under advisement, and we take those dollars and we invest it back in the college into our infrastructure. And that infrastructure includes the Office of Advancement. So just in the time period that we're talking about, by taking some <coughs> of the dollars, which covers a little bit of our consultants, it covers a little bit of the uh, audit that we have to go through, money is invested back into the staff. And we turn that around, and in the last three years, we have brought in more than $28 million in new resources to the college to fund programs that, are, that these students are eligible for. We're, we're bringing in new curriculum in manufacturing and healthcare and information technology, logistics and supply chain management. So what we're doing is this is our way of actually helping underwrite the costs of administering everything we do at the college, particularly this unit, not just managing the fund. Mark, um, it, your mic's not on, but as but soon as you're done, we still have two people on the queue as well. I, I'm sorry. I, that, that's okay. you know, I just want to finish by saying, I, you know, I, I think you guys do a great job. This is just fo focused solely on the on the fee. I understand now what you're doing is you, you're using, you, you're just needing to generate revenue to help pay for things. Yes. I'm, you know, okay, I got you. Um, before I go to the, Miss Henry, you have your mic on. Do you need, did you want to say something? No. Oh, okay. So Commissioner Lamarca. I was going to ask the question when, when this debate was going on, and um, the management fee when you first when, it, when you were first asked about it, it was basically it was insinuated that fee was just the management of the of the endowment fee, the, the, the finances. But what I think it is is you have some folks at Broward College, employees, administrative folks who are dealing. It, are your reviews of scholarships any of those other functions? Like, what are the other functions? Because clearly, this isn't just a way for you to make money. I mean, I think you have costs that are assessed against that. Absolutely. Well, it covers a number of things. I mean, when you look at the number of nonprofit organizations in Broward, I mean, we're competing with, you know, close to 2,000 other nonprofits. So part of it I think is it's how we. Closer to 3,000, believe it 3, or not. 3,000, yeah. I mean, they're and growing by the, yeah. right, by the day. So, you know, part of the money that we bring in through this management fee covers our cost of communicating communicating with donors, communicating to the community what we're doing, communicating to students about the scholarships that are available. Uh, it, ever, it, it also covers the cost. We have to have an independent audit, which, by the way, that audit has been clean without management, uh, notes to management for over 11 years, which is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, yes, it does cover the cost of some of it uh, for our financial consultants to make sure that we are invested for the long term. What's so unique about endowments is that it's here to exist in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we are very strategic about where we invest our dollars because it's not that we need to, you know, fund everything tomorrow. This scholarship is going to be around for generations to come. So just, just so I'm clear with the details, there are a lot of other things involved in, in this quote-unquote management fee. And maybe yes. uh, if I know David Armstrong even a tenth of what I think I know about him, he can get uh, water out of uh, a rock. <laughs> so my, my, my guess is that maybe in, in 
moving forward, you include what this management fee includes, i.e. the audit, uh, audit work, any other financial services outside of just bringing one banker into a room versus another bank and trying to get the lowest price. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Holness. Yeah, I'm glad we got to this because for a while, while there, I, I, I was sensing it wasn't just to hire a financial uh, advisor or, or to have someone invest the money, that it goes much beyond that. That's a yes. part of it. Uh, but also, you have to administrate these uh, scholarships. So you've got to review uh, those who would apply for the scholarship. You've got to make sure to get the allocation. And, and, and there's some cost in ensuring that that's being done also beyond all the other things that you do. So, again, as Commissioner Lamarca said, maybe when you send us the report, you probably try to break out some allocation as to what are the different aspects of, uh, of where these money go to, to ensure that the, the scholarship continues in perpetuity, of course. But beyond that, what is it that you, you take to reach out, outreach for the children, okay. uh, for, the, for, the, for the folks? How, what, is, what does it take for you to ensure that you review those applications and, and process them and then allocate and manage that piece? And, and, and also of the greater good that you're doing with the funds in terms of additional programming that you're able to go out and seek grants for. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, that logistics grants that you got was huge. I mean, it, 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 and I'm sure from what you're saying here is some of the money, the money that you have from these endowments actually help you to go out and find these additional exactly. funding. So yeah. it, it is way beyond uh, from what I'm hearing here. Just, you know, we have $100 million to invest. What would you charge for us to invest that money and manage exactly. that money? Yep, exactly. Thank, Thank you. you. Commissioner Wexler. So it took Nancy's coming forward and actually answering Commissioner Bogan's question um, um, thoroughly versus all the dancing that was going around for the 20 minutes before it regarding the management fee, including when I asked that question in writing, I still only got a number. I didn't get a breakdown of what you've just verbally said. And if indeed the case is that this management fee covers much more than just the management of the money, but individuals that are um, promoting the program, identifying students, and many other role and responsibilities that I may not even be aware of sitting here today. I think it's imperative that you communicate that in the report. And, and, and I don't think that we needed to have this long of a conversation mm -hmm. if information had been included that was thorough. And so I'm really going to ask moving forward that that report include the number of students, like I asked for separately, and you gave for each scholarship, for the scholarships from year to year that are given out, and that management fee, and what is actually under the umbrella of costs in that management fee, because the raw data that you gave us is disturbing. But yet, when you finally gave us more information, it made more sense. Albeit, I really would like to see that in writing. Okay. okay? We'll make that happen. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Um, with that said, there's nobody else left to speak. Is there a motion? Second. Uh, there's been a motion and a second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, show the item passage unanimously. We're now going to move on to item number 14, which was pulled by Commissioner Lamarca. 
and that is a motion to approve additional non-federal proportional share cash contribution to the Department of Army for pre-construction engineering and design. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. Um, <clears throat> didn't know that the early consent agenda items were going to take so long for us to get to, so I, I want to apologize in advance to Mr. Uh, Wiltshire and anybody else from Port Everglades. I think you have some later items. I don't know if they've been moved moved off the agenda, so I do apologize if I kept you here. Uh, I just wanted to highlight uh, that this is, this was something that uh, really the credit goes to no one person but the, the, the greater community. Uh, the, the DC fly-in, uh, the chambers, the workshop, the different folks who have gone up, the Port Everglades advocacy team that have gone up uh, not to take vacations in Washington, DC, but to do a, a 24-hour turnaround on a snowy, quite honestly, gray and crappy afternoon to go knock door to door to, to speak to our representatives, to speak to the Army Corps, to speak to folks who can get this done. And uh, when our government, our federal government was so uh, broken, as it, I'm not sure it's fixed yet, but it's, it was so broken that it couldn't even operate and they sequestered any federal operations, we were already on track to go up uh, with the Fort, Greater Fort Lauderdale Chamber and Congresswoman Frankel, uh, worked with us as well as some of our other members in transportation, uh, Mario Diaz-Balart and some other folks. But I have to tell you, this this was basically uh, so the ingenuity of a, of a few people saying, hey, how do we not stop our port expansion project that's already been 18 years in this, this chief's report at that point? It's 20 now, but we have it. Um, when you think about how long these permits take, I mean, literally, if they were, if you got married, had, had a child, and that child was this permit, that child would be looking, looking to go to uh, university by now. So it's, it's pretty amazing. But I wanted to thank uh, the port and really the, the other players uh, in the Port Everglades advocacy team, all, all the different organizations, for their hard work in doing this. What, this. what this basically did was enable us to use dead time because the government wasn't meeting and we couldn't get this moved forward. So while they were not moving our chief's report forward, we were able to do pre-construction engineering and design and just last week, I had, uh, had the opportunity <coughs> to spend some time with the, uh, the executive director of the Department of Economic Opportunity from, from Tallahassee. And in the port was a, a jack stand uh, barge that basically was, was a flat bottom boat that, that had legs on it. And it was out of the water because it was resting on the bottom of the, bottom of the port and it was doing borings to uh, decide where and, and what the topography was underwater. So when we deep, when we do the, uh, the dig and expansion the, uh, at the port and we do the dredge, uh, this is what the data is gonna be uh, based on. So I wanna thank uh, those who are involved in it. And, and Glenn, again, thank you for you and David Anderton, Steve Cernak and everybody at Peg Buchan, everybody at the port who's put so much time into this, but uh, to get a 50-50 cost share out of a total of almost $6 million was fantastic. So with that, I wanna move it. There's been a motion and a second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed. Show item number 14 passes unanimously. We're now moving on to item number 34, uh, which is a motion to adopt a resolution declaring Broward County's commitment to an expedited development re review and permitting process for the Broward Municipal Services District. It's been pulled by both Commissioner Holness and Commissioner Lamarca. We'll start with Commissioner Holness. Oh, uh, oh uh, show uh, Commissioner Wexler in the affirmative on 14. And um, actually, Commissioner Holness, I just realized we have uh, two public speakers. So if we can hear them first, then we'll come right back to you. Uh, the first public speaker is uh, Deborah Mink, followed by Bob Swindell. 
Good afternoon. Thank you, Mayor, Vice Mayor Sharif, and Commissioners for this opportunity. My name is Deborah Mink, and I'm representing the Permit Action Team of the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance. And I want to thank you for your consideration in supporting the streamlined permitting within Broward County. Now, as you heard, Bob Swindell, our President and CEO, is going to be supporting this issue and making a couple comments. You may know that we have 21 of our 31 municipalities designated by the Alliance as a platinum. What does this mean? It means we have three key points. We have the support of the Commission, we have transparency in permitting, and we have a concierge, concierge you can call up and talk to at the city. So what are the key points involved in this platinum permitting? Some of it is smooth permitting for the consumers and for the businesses. Why? Especially for your businesses, jobs. Jobs are the top, are at the top of the <coughs> national, state, and local agenda, and economic development is the key driver for the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance. We're actually seeking for our communities to become more business and consumer friendly and encourage job creation programs and best practices, as illustrated by the Broward League of Cities President David Rosenov with his, and what is his initiative? Building One Broward. Our platinum per permitting process is one part of his overall initiative, and he wants to see every municipality become more con consumer friendly. And just last week, he sent a request to the remaining 10 of the 31 municipalities to become a platinum designated municipality. We've established a tremendous amount of collaboration, working with the municipalities, the Broward League of Cities, the Board of Rules and Appeals, the County Environmental Protection, and we're moving in the right direction. Actually, your recent support of the county's request for concurrent review illustrates your support of a better permitting process. So we're not asking the county to change its codes, processes, or who answers what question. What are we asking the municipalities and the county to do? But to make a permitting, to make permitting transparent. And in communications with the county environmental protection department, Jeff Halsey, which you know, and your building official, your designated building official, the county is already operating with a transparent system. So as we've mentioned earlier, we have to push to get all 31 municipalities and the counties designated as platinum permitting, then we will truly say that we are building one Broward. So what are we asking the county commission to do is to adopt a resolution that supports the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance mission of marketing designated platinum permitting municipalities and for the county to join the other 21 municipalities designated as the platinum permitting business friendly community. So on behalf of the Alliance Permitting Team, thank you, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Commissioners for your time and support of job growth and economic development in Broward County. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Bob Swindell. Good morning, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Commissioners, uh, County Administrator Henry. Um, I want to thank Deborah Mink, who serves as one of our board members, and she's actually leading this Platinum City effort. Um, this has not been something that's just happened overnight. We've been working on this for four to five years now. Starting with our cities, um, we thought a great milestone was half of our cities approving it, and we've got 20 of our 31 municipalities that have adopted the principles of platinum permitting. And what we said to the cities was, we're not going to tell you how long it should take to be, uh, for a sign permit, for example, to be uh, permitted, uh, but we want you to please be transparent and accurate. When you say it's going to be 45 days, it, then that make it 45 days. 
If a neighboring city can do it in 20 days, well, that may be a competitive issue that you want to talk to your staff about, and maybe you can get a little bit more competitive with that neighboring city. But help the cities come through with a more transparent process. And that single point of contact is key to success in this. And that single point of contact typically has a relationship with the city manager. And again, it's to make sure the process goes smoothly. So thanks very much for your support. Um, hopefully you're supportive of this uh, resolution. Um, it's great to have the county joining this. This has been, as I said, a four to five year effort, but we've got the cities, the county at the table working together and how they can bring permitting online. So we have e-permitting, make it a more transparent process and a more collaborative process among our cities. We're finally getting the fire marshals involved in this, which was a big step. And they're a, they're a big part of the permitting process. Um, I think we've been doing it long enough that there's a high level of trust now. This is not anything other than we wanted to make the system more responsive to businesses and consumers in Broward County. Appreciate your support on this. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, that's all the public uh, speakers that we have for on this item. So now we're going to come back to the County Commission, and it's uh, Commissioner Holness. Yes, I'm glad uh, Ms. Mink came up uh, because some of the questions I had were answered primarily how many cities do we have uh, that is uh, uh, in this category. And it's great to see that the city that we're in charge of, which is the unincorporated area, the Muni Broad Municipal Service District, has joined the ranks and, and that we're in now to this. You know, over the years that I've served, there are oftentimes when contractors or business owners call me and says, you know, we have a permit in at such and such a city, and it's taking us so long. We don't know what's going on. Can you interface for us? Uh, having this in place is going to save a lot of those things. Uh, and, 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 and to be honest, uh, there is a couple of contractors and, and, and business owners uh, that, that have indicated that as contractors, they don't want to business, do business with certain cities. It takes too long. It's too cumbersome. Uh, and, and, and I have one uh, developer, business developer who says, I don't want to buy anything within a certain city because it's too much of a hassle. So making this process uh, less cumbersome, more transparent, and, and hopefully reducing the time by streamlining and creating efficiency uh, will increase productivity and, and attract more investments into Broad County uh, because businesses are going to go to a place that is friendly to ensuring that uh, their processes are easy, that they can come in and, and it's efficient and, and, and they don't have to waste a lot of time in trying to get a permit to build out a building or to build a uh, a manufacturing center. It's essential for us to be competitive with not just the rest of the country, but the rest of the world. There are other countries now that are looking to see a one-step process that you come in and within a couple of days you're able to get all your stuff done. Uh, this is going to help grow the economy, continue to grow the economy, create more jobs. And I applaud you uh, for your leadership in this and making sure we're at this point. Thank you. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, you know, th this effort would have, been, would have been really awesome for the last 25 <coughs> years prior to me getting into public service or when I was spending more time in the construction industry. I, I would tell you that a large-scale large permit for a project that includes all the disciplines, say electrical, mechanical, plumbing, and building, and a few others, um, can take six months on the short end, could take a year to a year and a half to get through. And well, that people might just chalk that up to, oh, that's, that's government. Um, or that's you know that's how that building department works or another one. The, the 
uniformity from where it started and where this project is, um, I have to say, and I'll use Pompano as an example, when you turn in a set of plans for, it could be a, it could be a two-stall bathroom out in the middle of a park in Broward County somewhere, you're probably going to need three or four different uh, permits to put that in. And when those plans get reviewed by one person or another, for example, and they come back for corrections or concerns, you've got to go back and see those people again. And what this project does and what this program does is it uh, digitizes everything. So whether you go in with a thumb drive with your drawings from your architect or engineer or you go in with, with printed plans that sign and sealed, they turn them into digital. And basically while you're building, zoning, planning, fire, mechanical, electrical, pl plumbing, are looking at that set of plans, are looking at them at the same time, mm -hmm. concurrently. So that's gonna save so much time for, for a project. And what does that mean, as, as uh, Ms. Mink so eloquently gave in her speech, what does that mean for a company moving down here? She's in the real estate industry, as is Commissioner Holness. If a company says, well, I wanna move, to, I wanna move down to South Florida somewhere, I don't really care where, because if they're coming from uh, you know, Hershey, Pennsylvania, they know they want to be in the sun, but they want a good piece of property and, and they want to build a building. They're going to probably pick that out based on how quickly they can be to market with their, their goods, whether it's manufacturing or, uh, or something else. So the fact that this is, is moving forward here at the county is very important. I, I'd, love, I'd love to continue the dialogue w through the alliance with the fire marshals because really that, is, that's a, that could be a, uh, a step that uh, could really be made more efficient, not on behalf of the fire marshals, so to speak, but by the time they get something, it may have had changes that, that affected them that the other building disciplines didn't know. So if they're working concurrently, it would make a big deal. So uh, excellent to have this on the agenda, and I wanted to, to support it 100%. I see no other speakers. Is there a motion? Is there a second. Is there a, a, a see, uh, uh, there's been a motion and a second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show item number 34 passes unanimously. We're now moving on to item number 36, which was pulled by Commissioner Furr, and it's a motion to authorize the Director of Purchasing to negotiate and execute a third amendment to the agreement with Carl Systems, Inc. Um, pertaining to libraries. Uh, Commissioner Furr. Thank you. Um, I, I really just I had a question here of wondering why it's going to take three years to go to the next generation system. This seems like a long time. Uh, it should, I mean, you, you're asking for an RFP and at the most a year's worth of training. So three years is a long time. And I guess I'm, I'm interested in wondering why we're taking so long on that. Commissioner Furr, we believe that we can accomplish this project within two years. Um, the three-year term that's proposed today gives us a little flexibility in the event that uh, we need more time for implementation. But we believe that within a certain agreement that we can conclude the project earlier. Uh, that's what I thought as well. But do we have to pay for all three years? No, we have the option to terminate for convenience. Okay. The second part is with when we do the RFP, I think we should seriously be con considering how to do partnerships with the school board on this, uh, both as everybody knows the funding for both schools and uh, public libraries has been, you know, reduced. And this and both need help. And it makes sense that those are going to be the future people using, uh, the kids will be the uh, future users of the library, and it would make sense to have some systems that are compatible for so that they start to, to learn how to use our library and as well you know, on a regular basis. I would like to see if there's a way of, of, of that happening, it, you know, putting that within the scope of the RFP. I know right now they're using Follett and using Destiny, which is not going to be, is not compatible with a large 
library system, but it would be interesting to see where they're going. And if, and if they were, and if both of us, both the county and school board start to think together on this, it would make a lot of sense. So given the fact that we're doing three years here, maybe that gives us a little time to, to approach school board and see what kind of um, ways that we could work together on this. Okay. Absolutely. I'll make a motion to approve. With that direction. There's been a, a motion and a second with Commissioner First direction. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed. Show item number 36 passes unanimously. Um, we're almost at 1230, but we do have a delegation request. So the only thing we're going to take now before we break for lunch is item number 40, which is the delegation request from Eugene Steele. Um, and uh, uh, Mr. Steele, uh, you're definitely welcome to address us, and you have three minutes to speak. Thank you. Uh, sorry that it's taken so long to get to you. Thank you. Fluoride was discovered in uh, 1886, and its first use was as a rat poison. It's still a rat poison. You can go buy it today, and uh, it's, as I say, it's a rat poison, and it's still in effect for that uh, use. In 1909, a couple dentists in Denver, Colorado, discovered that their patients were coming in with brown spots on their teeth and damage to their teeth. The reason was that the the, the source of the water had too much fluoride in it. It was a natural uh, event. And so they decided over time in 1950 to put fluoride in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan's water, and that was at the time the DDT was thought to be a good thing. In addition to that, right now, only 5% of the world uses fluoride in the water, and the CDC says that if you have fluoride in the water, it should not be given to somebody eight years old or younger. You are distributing uh, fluoride to everybody who drinks water in the county. So uh, in addition to that, if you read your toothpaste label, it's, uh, it's, there's a fluoride warning. So if it's safe, why does it say to, if you swallow fluoride to call the uh, poison control center immediately? Fluoride is a, is a, is a topical uh, event and uh, also the FDA classifies it as an unapproved drug. Unapproved drugs usually if you do something like that you're looking at going to jail. Uh, in, uh, it's a neurotoxin as well. It, it goes by the uh, blood-brain barrier and it costs the average person seven points of IQ. My IQ is ten points away from Einstein. I'd still like to have those seven points. The uh, the name of this problem with the teeth is fluoridosis. And so the thing about it is they've even named diseases after the stuff that you're putting in the water. Uh, and there's another thing called skeletal fluoridosis, and that causes a crippling disease as well. You spend about $200,000 to do this to the public, and aside from that, a study was done by the World Health Organization and it showed that there was no benefit from putting fluoride in the water versus uh, people who didn't. And it, that covered several countries across the world. Most of the world doesn't use it. Some of the counties in, uh, in Florida do not use it. Some of the states in the United States do not use it. It's being promoted because <coughs> when you spend $200,000 for something that is a waste product and the result, and it's not even made at a... Uh, pharmaceutical human basis, 
Uh, there's a lot of people making a lot of money. There's 67 counties in Florida. If they're all spending $200,000 to poison the water, then they're making a lot of money. Take that through the whole United States. You'll find dentists and everybody coming in to support this. Read the current literature and you'll find you're hurting people, you're hurting the young, you're hurting the poor, you're hurting children, you're hurting pregnant women. And uh, you don't want to do that. I, get, like, I, I love these two guys over here, Chip and Dale, you know. But, but you're, none of you... We love them too. You know, yeah. yeah. That's a Disney line. So, so none of you, all of you want to help. You wouldn't be here and gone through what you went through if you didn't want to help. And children you are, the, are the targets. Now, you're violating the CDC rules. Thank you for your thank, time. Thank you, Mr. Steele, and have a, thank you for coming. Uh, with that said, we are going to uh, break now for lunch. Uh, we'll be back at 2 o'clock, which is when we will, we will resume the regular agenda. Thank you.
We're going. There's no auditor. Wait. Wait. Evan's here. Sweet. <laughs> we got it. I see. One, two. Oh, sorry. We're good. We have, uh, we, exe we have five folks, an assistant county administrator, the attorney, and the auditors here. So we are ready to go. We are going to uh, actually pass on item number 41 just moment for the moment. And we're going to move on to item number 42, which is a motion to approve the first amendment to the airline airport lease use agreement with Delta Airlines. And I believe that... Um, Mayor, Mayor, I need to interrupt you. Oh, sure. I'm sorry. Of course. With respect to number 42, um, uh, I have an employment relationship with Delta Global Staffing, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Delta Airlines. Because item 42 would in order to the benefit of Delta Airlines, I ask that the minutes reflect that I am abstaining from voting on this item and will be leaving the dais. No, will we have a quorum? Uh, we will no longer have a quorum. Oops. He doesn't have to leave. There's only four. Or just I will be leaving. Five. I have been instructed to leave the dais during any discussion of the item and until the vote of the item is completed. So with that, I am leaving. Excellent. So it's, uh, uh, it's been moved. Is there a second? Uh, all in favor signify by saying aye. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mr. Holmes. Yes. Uh, just, just to get on the record on, on this item. Uh, that I had a concern that it was expressed to me previously on the uh, on the Southwest Airline uh, construction, and I discussed with our staff the possibilities of Delta bringing primarily folks that they have worked with before to the table, and not allowing for our local. Uh, businesses to, to be the general contractor, contract manager. Uh, I was given good assurances uh, by review of the contracts that Delta had uh, procured for other sites, and there seems to be diversity. There's no one pattern of the same company repeating itself through their process. So uh, I just want to make sure that as we go through the process, uh, that our local businesses or local companies are given every opportunity to compete fairly and, and, and be a part of the, the, this economic opportunity that we're creating here at the airport. Thank you. Uh, with that said, there's been a motion. Is there a second? second? All in favor signify by saying aye. All opposed? Show item 42 passage unanimously. And uh, to all the good Delta folks out there, I hope you're flying Delta home. Definitely. Have a good trip. <laughs> yes, and show that uh, Commissioner Bogan had, uh, abstained. We're now moving on to item number 41, which we're going to, it's a public hearing, and we are opening the meeting of the Water Control District. Uh, is there a motion to open the meeting of the Governing Board, Kokomar Water Control District? There's been a, a, mo a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. We're now moving on to item number B, which is motion to appoint one of the following individuals to fill one vacant position on the Kokomar Water District Advisory Board. Anybody from the public wishing to be heard? There is nobody that's wishing to be heard. So there, I guess we must pick either Marilyn Burkower or uh, F. Beal Tilton. 
Um, does anybody have a motion as to who should serve on this board? Of course. When did this additional information come in this morning? On 41, which are their resumes? It uh, came in, I guess it came in. Don't uh, believe it was this morning. I believe it may have been yesterday. Yes. Late? Sometime in the afternoon yesterday, yeah. yes, Commissioner. Mm. Would it, if, maybe we should just defer this to the next meeting so that we can review their resumes and try to pick the best person for the job. Is, um, is one of them currently on the board? Is, on the Kokomar water? Is there anyone here that can answer that question? Well, at, uh, item Mr. Hutchcock, can 42. you answer the question? If not, I, I apologize. I didn't realize that. that we had to pick one of the two. No, I know you had to pick one, and I just didn't. Tom Hutchcock, Public Works Director. Neither applicant is currently on the board. Can, can, he said neither neither applicant I'm sorry is on the board okay. so can we just spend a little bit more time on the candidates to give you additional information if you'd like because right now it appears that all we have are the resumes right maybe it's best let's defer this till the 12th so that uh, the staff can do a little bit more thank you is there a second all in favor signify by saying aye all opposed uh, show the item is deferred we're now moving on to item number 43 uh, which is a motion to approve the ninth amendment uh, oh yes of course we have just been informed by our legal that one of the applicants is actually sitting in the audience oh, okay and has been the whole time oh I'm sorry. so I don't know oh, I okay I, Let's, uh, why don't we bring it back up then? Motion. Second. Uh, all in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Uh, show the item is uh, back up. And uh, so now I, I would, is that uh, Mr. Tilton? Yep, it is. Mr. Tilton, would you like to come and would you like three minutes to uh, speak to us? And, making presentations. Uh, my name is Bill Tilton. I've lived in Coconut Creek since the early 80s. I grew up on a tributary at the Chesapeake Bay on the shores of that, so I've always lived on the water all my life. I'm very familiar with the canal system in Coconut Creek or Cocomar. Uh, when they did the, the uh, dredging project up there, I was able to go out and enlighten some of the people that were doing it to how the canals used to be, what they were, etc. I believe with my experience serving on several boards with the city of Coconut Creek, I do have experience working with city go with government, and I think I'd make a good candidate for the job. Anyone have any questions? Well, um, actually, uh, Commissioner Bogan, do you have questions, or uh, did you uh, want to speak? We'll bring it back. Uh, we're, so actually, anybody have any? So I think we're good to go. Uh, we're actually coming back to the dais now. I, so that's why I wanted it. Right. We'll start with Commissioner Bogan, then we'll go to Commissioner Wexler. So with that, I wanted to make a motion to appoint Mr. Tilton, who came here and uh, came here to uh, motion to appoint him. To the, mm -hmm. um, before the Commissioner Wexler, would you like to? I was just going to ask Mr. Tilton if he's retired and has the time to devote to this board. <coughs> 
I, I'm just glad. The director of that OMA retired, I think, one to the third board on retarded. Serving, <laughs> serving for to, free. I don't want to say yes. that, but okay. I am retired. Thank you very well, much. Thank you. Um, well, there has been a motion and a second to appoint Mr. Tilton to the uh, uh, Cocoa Mar, Mar Water Control District. Uh, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Uh, it shows item number 41 passes with Mr. Tilton as a new appointee. Congratulations, Mr. Tilton. Thank you. Um, we are now moving on to item number 43, which is a motion to approve the Ninth Amendment. Oh, before we do that, show uh, Commissioner LaMarca, Commissioner Sharif, uh, and I think Commissioner Holness, uh, I think he was here. Uh, show Commissioner LaMarca and Sharif voting in favor of item number 42. Uh, we're now moving on to item number 43, which is a motion to approve the Ninth Amendment to the agreement between Broward County and the White's Company. This pertains to our courthouse. Uh, Commissioner LaMarca uh, asked that the item stay on uh, regular agenda. So, uh, Commissioner LaMarca, please take it away. Take it away. I wish I could, uh, Mayor. Really will. Um, I am, uh, Mr. Hammond and, and his team were in my office yesterday, and, and I really appreciate their time. I appreciate the work that they do. Um, I just, I, I'm just having... Got a big, beautiful building that's built there, and there's no one in it. And we're, we're continuing to pay our owner's representative now another $475,000, uh, which totals almost $14 million to be our owner's representative and, and look at issues that are going on along the way. We picked up clearly the, uh, the improper sizing of our uh, mechanical equipment, generator, and, uh, and heating and cooling way back, and that was a big deal. Um, nothing to say about the White's company. They're our owner's rep. They're doing a darn good job. But unfortunately, we, we now are looking at the end of the summer with this building, and we're having them uh, stay on at our you know, taxpayer expense at $475,000, which, again, going up to almost, I think the total is at $15.4 million uh, for this project at almost 1,400 days. And I'm just, I'm getting a little fed up with the, the delays. And, you know, I, if we look at who started the project, it was James A. Cummings. And I think most of, most of the folks here in Broward County know that the people with the Cummings group know who they are, know the work that they provided. And at the end of the project, we are left with Tudor Perini. And that's not to say that <coughs> they're not a good company, but <coughs> sure aren't doing a good job here in Broward County. We've got a runway that, that we've got a... I don't know, whatever it is, $32, $40 million lawsuit for it, um, for their work. We've got the, the courthouse, which is delayed, and certainly liquidated damages there. Um, I understand there's other projects that they've done with, whether it's the city of Lauderhill or the library system, however that is qualified, it's still a large project. Just frustrated. I wanted to pull it to just vent for a second. I mean, I just, I, I would tell you that the most important project, one of the most important projects to me, we're on the, on the, verge of deciding how to go forward with it over at the convention center and that's pretty much who we're left with and I am absolutely never voting for these folks for anything I wouldn't vote for them to build a lean to in my backyard um, it just it is what it is a lean to a lean to lean to I don't know what and had those in Chicago um, <laughs> it, it, it's just we continue to pay our owners rep I mean this is big money guys I mean five hundred thousand dollars and you know, this is just for, for another extension. So we have to support this because we've got to keep them on board. But I would just like staff's uh, assurance 
that we were going to go after the, these dollars as well as the other liquidated damages in time because we wouldn't have these expenses if it wasn't for, for that situation. And then we have the B and the C items that are, well, one of them is for the, for the mid-rise, but the other one is for architectural services that's going to increase based on that. So um, maybe if I could, Ms. Henry, just ask, ask Mr. Hammond to come up because I'd like to have, have him say the word yes, that he would make sure that we go after those liquidated damages. Steve, would you please come to the podium? While Mr. Hammond is making his way to the uh, podium, because I know exactly what he's going to say, because we've had this conversation any number of times, uh, we're in lockstep with this project with um, all of our internally, um, with our lawyers, with our, with our staff, with our own project managers, with our owners reps. So there are a lot of people involved in the project, and we, and we want to get to the end of this project. And yes, we believe there will be a fight at the end of this at the end of this project because we are keeping track of everything that we're doing, uh, as well as the company on the other side. So there will be mm -hmm. uh, there'll be claims and counterclaims, I suspect. But I understand. I, and, I, and Mr. Hammond, I know you're not the one that who's going to do the, le the litigation or the legal arguments at the end of the day, but you're the project uh, per the project management person at this point, And I just want to make sure that. In, you, in your process that we are going to be looking for delays, liquidated damages, as well as recouping our owner's rep costs because there are a lot of judges and, and uh, prosecutors who want to get into that new building and work. Good afternoon, Mr. Mayor, Commissioners. Um, I can answer that in the affirmative, yes, stalwartly, resolutely, and relentlessly. I love it. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope so. <laughs> with, with that, uh, prior to me moving in, Ms. Coffey, if uh, I could have your assurance that we'll, you'll be having uh, your full time with them on both the project over at the airport and this one and whatever else going on, that we'll continue to, to fight for those dollars for taxpayers. Absolutely. We're fully staffed on it. Thank you, ma'am. With that, I move the item. Uh, Commissioner Ryan. Mr. Hammond, can you come back up? <laughs> It'll it'll still there'll still be easy questions. Um, those of us those of us county commissioners that also are in the legal community have um, a lot of inquiries from the judiciary with regard to uh, when the move-in date will be. And I know we had originally um, discussed a move-in around June, and you were reluctant to to keep moving the date kind of like a moving target, but um, it's my understanding that perhaps we'll have a temporary CO in June, and at that point we'll have 30 days to decide whether or not we're going to accept the building and, and then begin the 90-day move-in process. I want to see if we can get that on the record. Does that sound like it's, a correct timeline? It's very likely that the contractor is going to be trying to obtain their TCO They've already started doing that with the vinyl inspections and all of that. They have some building issues which um, they need to take care of before that TCO is issued. And I should probably also remind you that the TCO is the, the prerequisite for our acceptance. So as we get that TCO, we'll be doing the um, full slate of inspections to make sure the buildings fit proper correctly built, ready for occupancy. That process will take us into the summer, but it is ongoing and we think it's getting very close. 
So um, while I still can't pin down the calendar date and time, um, everybody is working to try to make that happen as quickly as we can. We all recognize that a project of this magnitude will, will have, you know, some issues that arise, and two of the most recent ones um, had to do with the fact that the, um, the uh, walkways, the elevated walkways, uh, had not been appropriately aligned, and we had some difficulty <coughs> with, I guess, some of the courtrooms uh, may have been reconfigured at the request of the judiciary, and, and all of those changes in the course of construction do uh, ultimately result in some delays. Um, Commissioner Lamarca mentioned that early on we had um, a major, major change with respect to the um, AC heating systems. Uh, the most recent ones, I think we had a problem with, um, uh, I guess, is it a right-of-way or an easement issue? And um, uh, we may have had a couple other small problems, um, but... Uh, yeah. As I said, the... There's a number of building issues that we're still we're continuing to address. Those that you mentioned, and a handful of other technical issues that are, you know, in the process of being resolved. There's also a large slate of various um, submittals, approvals, um, certifications. If you want, to, uh, for example, one of the things you mentioned was the courtroom um, reconfiguration. So. The mill work has to be certified by the American Woodwork Institute. So those kinds of things are happening right now and ongoing, <coughs> and we're just working through the process to get those things done. So um, right now, um, you know, there's people in there working. We're watching them. Um, hopefully with your consideration of the items this afternoon, we'll have um, the OCPM, the White's company, and the joint venture um, by our sides, making sure that the buildings fit out and proper for you. So, of, of necessity, we're not going to be able to demolish the the old central courthouse uh, until we are able to move the judiciary, there's a, administrative staff, there's a very state attorneys. Sequence of um, operations once we. Um, accept the building and we get everybody moved out. We're going to pretty much lock down and decommission the central and west wing so everybody's out and then we'll begin that process of abating it and demolishing it. Well, I know you're going to be making um, substantial changes to uh, the north wing of the courthouse and also to the mid-rise building. Are those uh, construction projects uh, also delayed? No. Until the court, until the, the tower is completed, or are you able to go no, forward in, with those in, now? In fact, item 31, which you approved today, is the construction contract for the mid-rise. And so that is starting and going independently on its own volition, if you will. Um, so that's not impacted. The other modifications that we have to the complex, primarily the east wing, is still in the sort of that world in between programming and design. It's not delayed, it's actually somewhat accelerated at this point um, to try to take advantage of the market and try to get it in as cheaply as we can, as quickly as we can. Right. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Wexler. Mayor. No, don't go far. Sure. This time I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, just a couple of quick questions. First of all, 
I, I appreciate the amount of effort that you personally put into this project, and I know that it has been very challenging. We did start out with a contractor that was per purchased or name changed, and from local it became international. And so that was almost a different feel as far as the individuals that you were dealing with. But item C on this, I can't let go without at least making a comment. And I'm going to make the same kind of comment that I made when we spoke about it last week. Um, White's has, been do has done an outstanding job for us as the owner's rep. And the county staff has found a way to continue to move the mid-rise forward as quickly as we can and as cost-contained as we can. I don't want to use the word cheaply because that's not, nothing's cheap around here, but thinking about what we're spending and tapping into the expertise of the White's company, which is Motion C, to kind of oversee the construction moves them out of the owner's rep responsibility that they've had with us. And so my concern, and, and Mr. Hammond and, um, assured me that there was going to be um, more of a robust involvement of our project manager in this role, although I don't see anything in here in writing um, that indicates that, because basically what C gets us to do is have the fox watch the hen house. And that's not a very good place to be in government or anywhere. And so it's very important that your staff um, fill the void because they need to step into that role of, of almost um, co-architect, um, manager type thing to continue the project moving forward. And then somebody needs to assume their role of owner's rep, and that would be the owner. And so having said that on the record, I think that it is imperative um, to make sure that the county staff does indeed step to the role and doesn't get comfortable or complacent in allowing them to do dual roles for us. Yeah. So would you comment the, on that? The um, What I think is advantageous for us with bringing in the whites, like like you said, it, it's a, an expeditious, it's time-saving, right. it's cost-saving. But I think one of the good things that I'm very comfortable with in this arrangement is that the White's company on the larger project has acted more as an extension of county staff. They work side by side with us day by day. We know what they're doing. We know how they're responding to things. We give them instructions on how we want our interests looked out for. So it's a very good relationship in regards to protecting your interests. What I think um, works good with the mid-rise is that the architect is becoming more remote. They're Connecticut-based now. They have very little, if any, local presence. <clears throat> so while we substitute out some of the services, 
the actual boots on the ground, so to speak, the day-to-day -day process with the White's company to supplant these sort of absentee, more remote architects um, very much works in the county's favor. And I think it is something that I'm happy that we're able to do. And um, I'm happy, happy to we're able to it. do that too. But they are also our owner of RAM. <coughs> and they are. And, so, and we do have, with the Construction Management Division, right. a full slate of project managers and accountant types and people right. who will be looking over the project as much or more than probably what I do day to day right. in the courthouse. I just wanted so. to make sure that we understand that shift in role and responsibility and that your staff now recognizes that they need to be the owner's rest. Yes. And they're very much prepared to do so. Okay. And Thank stand you. by ready to do it. Thanks. Um, Mr. Hammond, I have uh, just a couple of quick questions. You know, and, and first, um, you know, I personally recognize that, that you've been working very hard on this matter and that the experience, the problems that, that have been, that are, we are experiencing are not your fault. I know you're working as, as hard as you possibly can to get this to come to My, fruition. Myself and others. Yourself and others. Um, part of my frustration with this project um, is as elected officials, we always try to be 100% honest with the public. And we give county updates. And I give them just about everything, every single night to a different group here or there about what's happening in the county. And the information that was provided to me last year about this project, about how much it costs and about when it would be done is, is information that I provided to folks last year. And that's much different, of course, than the information that we have now. And what I found recently, and this is very frustrating to me, is in a few places that I've spoken at, people have actually said, Marty, you told us this project was going to be done you know, months and months ago, and, but it's still ongoing. And then I have to explain to them what has occurred. And that's frustrating to me. So I found, find this issue to be one that's coming up more and more. And so I need to ask you, what can I say to the residents that I speak to when they bring this up? When will we be in this building? Is it definitely going to be, I mean, are we definitely going to get a CO in, in June? Are we going to accept that? And, and is it going to be operational in September? I, I would like to be able to give them something concrete. I would very much like to give you that as well. Um, I would stay with this summer. That's the best answer I have. Um, I can't speak to the city of Fort Lauderdale and the jurisdictional authorities and what they'll do approving the TCO, the CVO. Um, I can't speak for the contractor in terms of their correction of building deficiencies either. So oh. mm -hmm. there's the quandary that I'm in as far as giving you a, a fixed date and time. Mm. I, well, I, I just I uh, certainly could. I, I understand. I just hope that you, you continuously stay on top of it and that your staff right. stays on top of it because at the end of the day, it's very hard to explain to the public that this project is a year overdue and millions of dollars over budget, and we don't have any time in sight as to when it's going to be operational for the public. Under, it's very frustrating. And we'll communicate robustly with you as far as the developing project um, mm. timelines, costs, and make sure that you have all of the information you need. Please do, and if you could put that in a memo and written form sure. to us, that would be helpful. Would be happy to. Thank you. Um, with that said, Mayor, does, and, oh yes, uh, of course. Just a, a couple of things uh, I wanted to add. Um, uh, let me just start with the, the 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 project being over budget. I, I do want to caution that had the 
had the architect properly sized the mechanicals in that building, which was a major change order that I know you and I have spoken and you referred to as project being over budget, um, they would have, that the cost of the building that was, the, the, the bids that were received would have been higher. So I, I don't necessarily characterize that as over budget per se. It, it was just that the project, there were elements of the projects that were undersized. The second thing that I, I feel it would, I would be remiss if I didn't tell the board that um, uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, um, I have had representatives from the contractor reach out. We are meeting um, in the coming days to try to get to yes on a lot of outstanding issues, and I'll be happy to let you know the outcome of that because, you know, it's not good for either it's certainly not good for us, but it's not good for them either. That makes sense, and I appreciate it. Actually, it's a, I'm gonna let Commissioner Lamarcus speak, but I do, and I appreciate that, Ms. Henry. I do have to say from my own perception, when the fact that this project is costing more than anticipated, uh, that's how I view it as being over budget. But I understand what you just said. Commissioner Lamarca. It's not costing more than it's anticipated. It's I not? apologize. No, it's not. It's not? So the no. delays and the amount of money that it's cost, all this, that doesn't factor into the actual cost of the building? It appears to me it's well, well over than what, is, uh, what was anticipated. I think it would just be better if I give you the original okay. budget and a reconciliation. Okay, I'd like to see it. What, of what the, uh, uh, this, the whole issues related to this project. Okay, no, Thank I, you. I'd like to see it. Um, hello? I, I think hello? the money was in the, I'm sorry. Sorry. I understand. Commissioner Lamarco. Mayor, you wouldn't feel so bad if you just thought, thought about the original $600 million project. That makes you feel better. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just want to, I want to go on record and, and just say, look, this is an important project, <coughs> and the decision whether to build a new building was done a long time ago, so I don't want Commissioner Ritter getting mad at me. But what we have, we had a plan. We had, a, we had, the, we had state-of-the-art design and plans and there was a there was a miscalculation in the in the uh, mechanicals that being said I would tell you that the contractor we didn't pick that was going to save us four million bucks is working up the road down the road and everywhere along the beach and I, ju I just I get frustrated when we don't when we make a decision and not not go with someone based on if it's a low bid because and I don't want to put Mr. Hammond in a difficult situation but Apparently, our contractor is treating this like a low-bid job, and it's a 200-plus million-dollar job. It's not a low-bid job. It may have been picked with cost in mind, but the lower-cost contractor, at the day, time, and exact moment of uh, bid reception, didn't have all of their CBE uh, uh, contractors and, and uh, partic uh, their, you know, their team listed. So if we think about that, I know that I know that we've done. If we're doing business with a con with a contractor, for example, in five different places, say they've rebuilt most of the terminals, and they're they're a company that we've leaned on when we've had to get out of another uh, jam at the port. I would say that look, moving forward, we always want to respect and have our CBE numbers. We want to we want to be uh, an open and accessible community and government in, in the world of construction and. My friend to the right of me is always keeping an eye on that as well, and, and I will tell you, I do as well. But 
let's make sure that delivering those CBE numbers at the end of the job is more important than making sure that you have uh, some data at a certain point in time uh, before we disqualify someone that's going to that probably would have had this building up, building open by now. With that, I'll move the item. Oh, uh, Commissioner Ritter. <coughs> so, um, trying not to uh, be too. Um, uh, what's the uh, arrogant about this? As the only person on this dais to have actually voted for this project, um, and and since I was mayor at the time and made this a priority of the year I was mayor. I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this was significantly less than the $450 million ballot initiative in 2006. And um, that many of the items that we're discussing today will most likely result in litigation and I would much, I would really not, I would prefer that we didn't discuss them on the dais and talk about our strategy. Um, as it relates to it and and so I would hope that with that we could close this item and move on and any conversations we have about this be done with the staff in the privacy of our offices and not on the dais where what we say today will be misquoted and taken out of context. Thank you. Is there a motion? Yes. There is a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? Show item number 43 passes unanimously. We now move on to item number 44, which is a motion to file the county auditor's memo, a Young at Art of Broward County Inc. agreement for lease of real property. Um, this is, uh, before we, um, I think there are a number of folks from the public that I think signed up to speak, even though I don't have my, the cards in front of me. Uh, the, county auditor, the county auditor has put this item on, and so I want to give him the opportunity to first um, uh, tell us about it and, uh, and to speak on it. So uh, Mr. Lukic, uh, please take it away. Thank you, Mayor, uh, for the opportunity to discuss this item uh, up front. This is an item simply to file our report on uh, Young Adults compliance with our contract uh, that, we were, uh, that we reviewed over the last several months. Um, the, the compliance matters are ones that are left open. We did not include a recommendation because during the review, it became evident that uh, the administration was uh, dis in discussions with Young at Art uh, to potentially uh, change the agreement. Uh, since then, uh, we have received uh, a memorandum from the administration detailing some of YA's requests. Uh, we've concluded that those requests are not unreasonable, and one of the requests, for instance, is the pathway to ownership. We, in response to that request, we've provided you with the yellow sheet that uh, recommends an option to purchase the property um, so that they can have a pathway to ownership to facilitate fundraising. Um, the other item that they, uh, that they have asked for is uh, that the county's share of fundraising should be uh, at the net cost of the fundraising. Currently, the agreement calls for a uh, fundraising at, a gross, uh, at the gross amount of receipts. Uh, it would be reasonable for the board to entertain doing it net because there is a cost of fundraising that they're incurring. And one other of the primary elements is the request uh, to reduce the interest rate to our cost of borrowing. Uh, we think that's not an unreasonable request and it could provide uh, Young and Art a substantial uh, savings and assistance in their, uh, in their payment back to the county. Uh, so we are 
uh, we've recommended the options. We think the other things that are, are before you are, um, are not unreasonable. Uh, we would not recommend uh, wholesale changes of the current agreement. Uh, we're simply trying to facilitate uh, and assist our business partner in their efforts to fulfill their obligations under the agreement. Uh, thank you, Mr. Lukic. Um, before we come back to the County Commission, there are a number of public speakers on this matter. Uh, the first is Mindy Shrigo. Shrigo. Uh, Mindy, you have uh, three minutes uh, to speak on the matter. Okay. Thank you so much, and um, thank you for your time and support of Young and Art Museum. Um, I, actually, I wanted to introduce our new board chair, David DiPietro, who will be moving forward with us and helping us redefine the board and follow us on a path to success for Young and Art. So I wanted to introduce oh, David. Okay. Let me uh, reset the, I'll reset it so you have three minutes. Uh, Mr. DiPietro. Yes, David DiPietro. Um, um, we've been working with the uh, county administrator's office. I'm here for any questions. Okay. Um, we're working on a pathway to ownership. We've reconstituted a new board, um, and uh, we are looking at, uh, I'm looking at as the chair of the board to uh, build a relationship that's going to last. I look at it like if the Panthers came here and asked to buy the stadium, what would the county commission do? As the board chair, I'm asking uh, for the opportunity to at least engage with management or administration to discuss a pathway to ownership. I think that's the best way to, um, uh, for both, both parties at interest. In particular, things like naming rights and other issues that we could look at for the museum, it's hard to do with the relationships we have. It's not that, that the relationship wasn't well intended when it first came about. It just seems from my vantage point that a new relationship of ownership where the museum kind of moves away and parts away from the county and becomes self-sufficient financially so that we don't have to come here every year because what's happening is it's hurting our fundraising efforts. It's hard to put fundraisers together when you have a, a, a potentially negative media out there. And I know the press is, is reporting um, the public business and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But it does hurt fundraising when, when, when titles come out um, and that are reported that way. So we're looking to work with the county administrator's office. We've had productive conversations. And we would ask if uh, this uh, commission would allow us to engage in further conversations in a pathway to ownership because I think the long term, the longevity of the museum, which has over 200,000 visitors, 70 employees, um, is a vibrant organization that's robust in operations and is, um, can work on a new relationship to move forward. And I know there's a lot of historical issues that I'm not a part, was not a party of, and I've, I've been briefed on them, but um, I'm not really looking to regurgitate all those. I'm looking for a pathway forward. It's the best interest of both the county and Young at Art. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. DiPietro. We, we now have uh, Harold Hancock. Good afternoon, Commissioners, and uh, thank you for the time to speak to you and county staff. Um, I'm here, and uh, the discussion that um, we've had and uh, the progress that we seem to be making with county staff has been very good at this point. Um, we want to move forward with the museum. We you know, realize our obligation to the county. Um, the, the museum has always looked at that as very important. I think that you know, in the past relationship, as uh, David mentioned, there's, there's been some communication issues and things that have happened that have, you know, maybe confused this issue, but um, we're glad that the administration is working with us and looking at our ideas and looking at some of our proposals. 
And we think that you know, we will all be able to move forward in the future and come up with something that benefits both Broward County and Young at Art Museum. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, our final speaker is Louis Arslanton. I'm Louis Arslanian, yes. Um, I'm here, I'm an attorney for Young at Art, and I really, I was here to, if there's any questions regarding the, 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 the agreement that's in place right now, and regarding the, um, the audit itself, and, and, and what, what everybody's talked about is this pathway to, to ownership and, and the, the, the problems with the current agreement. And really, when we look at the audit that was, that's brought up here for today, you know, while I'm an advocate, I don't, I don't want to sound like an advocate in the sense that, for example, just for example, the biggest item on the audit has to do with fundraising. Young and Art does a lot of fundraising. I mean, if Young and Art has to do these, and they, they put out these invitations, we're going to have a gala black and white event, and 50% of the gross money raised is going to Broward County. We're not going to have much of a fundraising opportunity, and this is all part of the reason why, you know, we're we're looking forward to um, working with the county for an agreement that makes sense to everybody to to get the um, the most for for not only the county but for the young at art and and and, and the community. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. That's the last public speaker. So now it's going to come back to the county commission, and we'll start off with Commissioner Wexler. As the historian and whose district Young at Art is in, um, I look forward to the third agreement since I'm here. Um, I appreciate that. I'm hoping the third one is the charm, sir, and that we do find the pathway to future ownership, whatever that might look like. I put my full confidence in Ms. Henry and Mr. Lukic to work with you, and I hope that they will both be working with you um, to develop whatever the new agreement might look like in order to make sure that your obligation to the county is fulfilled and you're still able to provide the wonderful opportunities in our community for children. And with that, I actually have, you know, nothing else to say other than when do you, when might you expect that you would be able to bring something before us for approval? My goal is to have something um, to the board prior to your summer recess. Fabulous. Obviously, that's working Great. with um, Young at Art, but um, there's been some preliminary conversations, fact-finding, if you will, between Ms. Uh, the chair, Mr. DiPietro, and myself. Um, and uh, we'll continue those dialogues um, as, as we start to formalize negotiation right. I don't think um, it does anybody any good, Ms. Henry, to say anything other than to move the item forward and continue the conversation. Yeah. And with that, I'll be happy to move it. Uh, Commissioner Bogan. No, I agree. I'm ready to move forward. Second. Okay. Uh, Commissioner LaMarca, did you want to? Third. Okay. There's been a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. With direction given to Ms. Henry to, to uh, continue uh, speaking with Mr. DiPietro. Thank you. We're now moving on to item number 48, which is a motion to adopt a resolution of the uh, directing. Oh, that was withdrawn. Nice. Actually, cross that off the list. We now have, oh, we did 49. We did 50. 
We are now on, oh, we did 51. We didn't do 50, we're on 50. Excellent. This is a motion to direct the Office of the County Attorney to draft an ordinance authorizing Brereton to increase from the current $25,000 to $50,000 the additional homestead exemption for persons 65 or older who own real property as their permanent residence and have household income that does not exceed the statutory income limitation. This has been uh, brought by Commissioner Holness. There's also a, uh, an item B as well, but Commissioner Holness, take it away. Thank you very much. Now, do you know a budget workshop I'd asked that we look to see how we might find some way to help uh, or moderate and lower income uh, property owners to get them some relief. And, and indeed, there, there's an opportunity here for us to do that. Uh, certainly, the economy is rebound a bit and uh, uh, prices are going up. And we have a, a good number of seniors who are on fixed income. Uh, so as uh, property values go up and, and taxes increase, it, they'll, find it, they'll find it more difficult to stay in their homes. And this will help with that relief. There, there are actually 15 cities in Broward County that's already enacted item one. It basically allows for 50,000 in exemption of uh, property value from being taxed uh, to people whose income is less than uh, 28,500 dollars approximately. Uh, that would give them some relief. That's for item one. Item two actually goes a, a bit further, but it's also restrictive further in that item, item B allows for exempt property value exemption in totality, but you have to have lived in the property for at least 25 years uh, as your residence, that same property for 25 years and again, this seeks to ensure that those seniors who have been there for a very long time, maybe way up in age by now, uh, the opportunity to be able to stay in their homes. Uh, the first item uh, will have a econo uh, an impact on a budget of $1.1 million. Uh, the second item has yet to be determined, but I'm certain it will be less than uh, the $1.1 million. Staff will work on bringing us these numbers by the time we get to something draft for us to, to vote on going forward. Commissioner Lamarca. Oh, Commissioner Holness, are you yeah, done? If I may, the additional exemption was also enacted by uh, so far five cities, Miramar, Oakland Park, Pompano Beach, Sunrise, Dania Beach, in addition to the 15 that already had the additional 25,000 to 50,000 exemption. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. I, I am so happy. This is five years into this, this gig, and my friend just said tax relief and the economy rebounded. All right. Now, 1.2 out of the 4.2 increase was the number that I put forward. So just want to make sure that everyone remembers that because, Ms. Henry, just, I know you do. Um, Tell me, if you will, um, well, the, the exemptions basically separately. So one, one of them is a increase from 25 to 50, and that is the second homestead. So right now, that there would be that would go from a total of 50 to 75 thousand. Is that correct? That would go from 25 to 50. 
we've already done the first 25, but we didn't do the second 25. But but we so right now, if you pull out your tax bill, you have a you have a standard. Everything's 25 yeah, so, exactly, right That's percent. That's correct. And then uh, 25,000, sorry. And then You're the right. second one is 25,000, with right. the exception of the school board. Right. Right. Yeah. So this would be 50,000, exception of the school board. Would this 20? Yes. Would this additional 25 yes. would be? It'd still be taxed on the school school board tax. That's correct. The school board is not exempt. The school yes, board is not exempt. Unless you live in a city that has a high, really high millage rate. <laughs> really high. Um, okay, and then, and then B, additional homestead exemption equal to the assessed value of the property. So basically removing uh, at under $250,000 and who meet the income level and who have been in the house for 25 years, removing all property taxes? Yes. That's twenty eight if you make less than twenty eight thousand four hundred and eighty two dollars. Well I, so you I, would I believe that. that I'm not sure the school board is exempt from that. I don't think it I think the school board is still exempt. So this would would this just be the Broward County line item? That's correct. It would be Broward County. The cities, the cities would still have the opportunity to, to do what fifteen already done uh, okay, for so the first for the next twenty five thousand, the additional twenty five and <laughs> Uh, five, five already done for the uh, two hundred fifty thousand or less. So, county, and then, county attorney. So, outside of that, yeah. it would be special taxing districts like the hospital districts, the Hillsborough Inlet district, anything Dependent else. districts. It does not apply to the school board. It doesn't. It does yeah. not apply to the school board. It does apply to the county's dependent districts. Applies countywide to the okay. county's portion of the millage. So, I'm trying to wrap my arms around this because the first one had an economic impact of what one point one point one million. Yes. Okay, and that's giving this is seeing, giving seniors a break, and nobody would, nobody even the meanest person in the world would sit up here and say, "I don't want to do that." But the second one, <laughs> the second one, I have a concern with the second one because you could be living on uh, what is called Millionaire's Mile in Hillsborough Beach, and if you don't have an income, and it's less than and it's less than twenty eight thousand. And you've got ten billion dollars in the bank, you don't have an income. But your house won't be assessed well, maybe, for less than two hundred and fifty thousand. But maybe you bought a little condo, but you've got a pile of money in the bank. Well, you're gonna earn interest in that money. Unless you maybe maybe it's in a sock. Maybe it's in a, a whole bunch of socks like Brittany puts online. Maybe it's in a closet. Well, you know, I, I, no, a condo, because Contrary to popular belief, <laughs> most of the residences in the town of Hillsborough, which is a wonderful place, are small condominiums that have been there forever. They're not the four, 25 or 28 homes that are built there. So I could support item A. I don't know that I can support item B. Well, I mean, it's a, it's well, a, well let me say this. Why don't we see what the economic impact is going to be? The, I'm sorry, the tax impact is going to be when it comes back. And then from then we can really make a clear decision. Uh, staff wasn't able to pull all the numbers at this point in time. But when it comes back with the actual dollar amount that we, we would be, uh, uh, the relief would be, then it, I think a better decision could be made then. So when, they, when the ordinance comes back, it's going to have two separate, the yes. financial impact, the tax impact, and right. why each. Right. Okay. Correct. I can, I can, I'd like to see it. Yes. It's actually Thank kind of you. funny. It's like the roles are kind of reversed right here. You know, <laughs> it's true. Uh, Commissioner Wexler. We, we had this discussion four or five years ago at the commission level. And for a myriad of reasons, we did not move forward on it 
I'm going to start with number two first. Um, I actually think that judging the value of somebody's home, um, especially at, two, at a quarter of a million dollars, um, is not a very good barometer of wealth or value of what that person is really worth. I'm not going to necessarily sign up for the sock theory, but there are, there are many opportunities for monies to be in many different places, as well as the fact that there are an awful lot of people that live here in Broward for six months and one day. And as such, they live the rest of the year out of Florida. And I actually would hate to give them this extra consideration. And so your request for number two for this commissioner, I, I no way could I s support that additional exemption. Now the first request, when you look at all of the cities that have already identified providing that additional $25,000 exemption for those people that are under a certain um, earning number, and it's not a very high earning number. I still kind of, just because somebody doesn't have money coming in every month doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have money. And I know a lot of seniors that have the money, whether it's in a 401, whether it's in an IRA, whether it's in a Roth IRA, wherever and whatever it's sitting in, whether they give it away to children every year, that they qualify they, or they would qualify for the earning limitation because their income is where it, it, it's, it's a very, very slippery slope. And yes, there are some people that legitimately would benefit from this. And so my decision would be weighing those that are gaming the system and those that legitimately can benefit from that extra $25,000. And so I would, and since this is a motion to direct, I would say I don't object to one moving forward at this point in time and give me more of an opportunity to look into it but I will tell you that your second part of it, I will, I, I, I'm definitely an objector to it. So I, I, I hope that doesn't put me in the completely mean category. It's the partially mean, mean category. Not mean at all. <laughs> but you kind of said the same thing. You were actually Lamarca. mean. Lamarca. No, you were. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Lamarca. No, no, no. Just part A would be the mean, the meaning one. And consider, oh, considering sorry. who's, who's, uh, Anyway, I won't go that way. Um, I, I would, Commissioner, I would, I would say this. I think, I think there, there is a, there is a, there is a big uh, step in, in towards the area of reaching out and assisting our seniors in in Part A. Part B, I would say that if you if you happen to know of any 100% service disabled veterans, um, they. I don't think there is anything left whatsoever on the tax bill if they're 100% service disabled. And those are the folks that I, I would like to see 
in that situation. So if these hap folks happen to be senior and there's 100% service disabled, then that doesn't necessarily mean they can't walk. Uh, there are a lot of service disabled veterans who can still get around okay, but their, you know, their service to this country has put them in a situation where they're severely uh, disabled. And I would just say that that's gonna affect our tax bill as well. And that we wanna make sure that those folks absolutely have uh, that tax exemption at every level. So I think once we see the numbers, but uh, just to close, I don't think Commissioner Wexler's mean because she likes Part A. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. <clears throat> um, when um, the eight, in the eight years that I spent on the, in the legislature, <clears throat> excuse me, we um, there were lots of feel-good bills that were uh, filed, which gave tax exemptions for different groups of people. And in we were always, most of us were always very eager to co-sponsor and support those items because they made us feel really good. We were giving disabled people an additional exemption or veterans an, ex an additional exemption or 65 and older, seniors an additional exemption or whatever it was. It, it felt really good. But in the, when, when you do that in the legislature, you're, you're never really educated as to how it impacts your county and your cities. Um, that while someone may be saving $144 a year in taxes, that's an individual homeowner and you multiply it by the number of homes that are actually, apply, actually applied to that particular income, to that particular um, exemption and it can often go into the millions as we're seeing here. And the fact of the matter is that Broward County can do so much more with $1.1 million than an individual homeowner can do with $12 a month. Um, when you take away $1.1 million from our budget, you're taking away money that pays for the services that the people you want to have serviced need so desperately. Uh, that's my problem with these things. These kinds of exemptions actually take, take the money away from buses, from health and human services, from parks, from libraries. It's exponential to us, while it's a, a minimal amount of money to an individual homeowner. And I look at many of the people who live in the district I represent who have, um, mo who are of moderate means. They've owned their homes for decades. And some of them are paying as little as $2,000 a month, a year in property taxes. Um, for a home that's value is far greater than what, you, what, what the taxable value is. They'll sell their homes for a lot more than they're taxed. Um, and you're giving people like that an additional exemption when they're paying minimal taxes as it is because of their Save Our Homes exempt, homestead exemption. In, it, and also, in many cases, additional, additional exemptions. Many of them are veterans. Some of them are disabled. Um, some of them are, are, I think there's a widow's exemption. There is um, $500. Whatever, okay. Well, I'm sorry that you get that, by the way. And I'm very sorry you get that, uh, personally. Um, and, and so while this, is, this feels good, yes, yes, yes. Let's give people $12 a month a break on their, on their uh, ad valorem taxes. The downside is that you're taking so much more away than you are giving. And that's, in my opinion, the problem with some of these feel-good kinds of things 
is they have a domino effect that never gets reported, that never gets said. You walk around the district you represent and you say to people, ooh, look what we gave you. We gave you an extra $25,000 exemption and never say, and by the way, that's going to mean that this library's hours are cut or this bus route is cut or this health and human services um, program will be cut. We never say that. And the truth of the matter is that that these do have downsides to them. So um, I won't object to them today, either one of them. I'll, I'll let them move forward. But I think, but, but I hope that as we move forward with this discussion, we have a very deliberative and thoughtful process as it relates to the negative consequences of continuing these kind of exemptions that at the end of the day do very little to the individual homeowner, but can do great damage to the, to the people as a whole. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else that wishes to speak? Um, it's kind of interesting. It, I was just—I just had my staff pull this, and it looks like I actually co-sponsored this in the legislature in 2012. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did. Um, but you know what? Um, actually, I, I appreciate what what oh, I'm, I was going to say. I appreciate okay. what Commissioner Holness is is trying to do. And um, this is a motion to direct, and I would like to see it go through the process. I would like to see more information. I know that. Um, Item number B right now is indeterminate as the uh, impact it would have on local government, but I would like to see uh, the numbers. Um, and so uh, I am in favor of moving it forward today. Uh, Commissioner Holness. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> so two, two issues here. One, uh, if someone has a lot of money, they're not going to put it in socks, uh, Commissioner uh, well, well, that might be the exception rather than the rule. Uh, there might be one or two people who might might do that. Uh, the, the the general rule is they would have it invested somewhere so they can make a return on their money, and and that goes to the second item in terms of income. If someone has a lot of money they're gonna earn interest on that money. So that, in most instances, not every single one. So, 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 so are, are they gonna get some return on it? There'll be some income coming in. What we're talking about is folks who make uh, $28,482 or less per year uh, in income. And, and, and sure, for some people, an extra $150, dollars might not mean a whole lot, but if you're living at 28400 per year uh, in, in, in Broward County, that will mean something. That could be uh, assistance for your prescription drugs or, or for some other item that you have uh, that you could l utilize. And in terms of cuts, we, are, we have seen an increase in the revenues over the past few years. And this year we are gonna see another increase uh, correct, County Administrator? I can speak to what we're forecasting this yes. year, but I can't speak beyond that. This year? What, what is our forecast for this yes, year? Yes, we, we are forecasting a 4% uh, increase. Which amounts to how much? How many millions? I don't remember. Okay. So it, it, it's, 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 it's quite a bit of money uh, that we'll see in, in terms of increased revenue. So there, would sh there should be no need for us to cut back as we did in 2010, uh, what we'll see is an increase in revenues that we can use to do uh, some other things. 
uh, that we would probably want to do. But in terms of cutting back our bus services or library services, uh, I, this shouldn't affect it in that manner. We, we should have more than enough to continue maintaining the service that we have and even to add to the service. So with that, I move the item. Commissioner LaMarca. I don't want to be the one talking against any tax decreases, Commissioner Holmes, but I think we're talking about, uh, Ms. Henry said 4%, I think it's 4.2%. Um, I know that the 1.2% was, was basically $11.5 million. I think we're talking, what are we talking about then? 45, $50 million total? So he's right, it is a big chunk of change. That's always it. Um, so just to leave my final thought on this, Commissioner, people wouldn't leave their money in socks, but you know, you remember the old mattress theory when the, when the, when the market fell apart? What about, uh, what about this thing called uh, precious metals like gold? What if somebody filled their closet full of gold? They have no income. They maybe they got a place up in North Carolina because this whole, this half the east side of this county goes to North Carolina in, in the summer. There might be some. There might be some. All right. There has been a motion and a second for both items A and B to move forward. Uh, all in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show motions A and B in item number 50 pass unanimously. We're now moving on. Uh, before that, Commissioner uh, Vice Mayor Sharif has asked for a point of personal privilege, and I never say no to Vice Mayor Sharif. So Vice Mayor Sharif, uh, feel free to have your point of personal privilege. Thank you, Mayor. Um, basically, I wanted to um, state that, you know, we allow people to come up here and on, on the delegation request say what they feel and they express themselves. But at times, some of them give out misinformation and as particularly when it comes to the health and safety of the general public, I believe that this county commission does everything possible to make sure that they are safe. And so I just wanted to make a statement to correct some of the misinformation that was stated prior to our lunch break, because I think that that needs to be done. And um, I would like to make sure that uh, the public is aware that this county commission is not poisoning anyone in the water with fluoride. Um, fluoride is an added public is added to public drinking water because it prevents tooth decay. Children who do not drink fluorinated public water because their homes use water from a private well often have to take fluoride tablets to prevent tooth decay. Fluoride is added to toothpaste and mouthwashes so it can be applied directly to the teeth to prevent tooth decay. Fluoride is also taken by mouth for treating weakened bones, osteoporosis, and for preventing bone loss in people with rheumatic arthritis and Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease. Um, and fluoride protects the teeth from bacteria in the plaque, and it also promotes new bone forma formation, and um, it also fights against weakened bones. And in pregnancy, fluoride is safe when you're pregnant as well as nursing, and in fact, it can be especially helpful as it prevents some of the oral health problems that are experienced during pregnancy, including gum disease. And community fluorinated water has been shown to prevent tooth decay and be safe and effective for more than 65 years. And the fluorinate, fluorinated water benefits your entire mouth. And with that, that is my PSA announcement for today. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't have people out there thinking that we were poisoning their water 
because we've had so much talk about water during um, the Flint issue. And um, when this gentleman came today, I just felt that we needed to respond. So thank you for indulging me, Mayor. We can get back to the meeting. Thank you. There are two items left on the agenda. Um, uh, we're actually going to take one out of order. Commissioner, I'm going to allow Commissioner Bogan to take his item first, first which is item number 56. Uh, Commissioner Bogan. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I, I'd like to I have a motion to direct the county attorney's office um, and, and the county staff to take necessary action. I got to get somebody to listen to this. <laughs> Thanks, Beam. <laughs> Beam, you, you and I will listen to each other. Thanks, man. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, hey guys, we all for this. I don't even need to speak, right? Okay, so we've got two companies violating our ordinances, and I'd like the, st the county attorney's office and the staff to be able to take action against them. And if there's any questions, I'm happy to answer it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start with Commi Vice Mayor Shreve, Commissioner Lamarck. I was and trying to Holmes. talk, but you guys were. I think you're going to filibuster you, Mark, since you're not feeling well. <laughs> Vice Mayor Shreve. So the only qu question that I had was that um, when, you when you made the item, you never specified the companies. Well, and let me tell you real quickly, because everyone was busy at this when I was talking. No, I just want to let me finish what sure. I have to say, and then you can answer me. That way you can give me a complete answer. So um, I just, what? I'm just, I don't, I'm trying to save time. So I don't know the two companies, number one. Number two, I wanted in my backup the material that substantiates that they're not complying. Because I think when you make these type of statements, you just we just want that. And so that's that's my statement. That's what I want an answer to. Can I, Mayor, can I have so, Absolutely. Uh, one, and I'm going to ask Colleen to come on up. One company's name is Rio. And uh, Rio has not been paying their workers at the airport. The ordinance went into effect January 1st. They have not honored that. Um, now the county has gotten involved. They claim they're going to honor it. The workers deserve back pay. They claim they're going to give them back pay. That's number one. And I'll you know, follow up with the, its documentation. Second is Ulin, which is in, engaged now in wage theft, where workers who are putting in their hours are now being docked uh, time for no reason. Um, and I have Helene who can explain that. Yeah. Uh, real brief. Um, so we actually have some good news. Rio uh, did not, as of January 1st, it's a subcontractor to United Airlines, and it had not paid the living wage. The workers had requested. Um, they protested last week. We brought a complaint to Intergovernmental Affairs. They made a call, and um, apparently yesterday FedEx checks arrived for all the workers with the back pay from January 1st. So victory. Thank you, everybody, um, for now. Um, the other company, uh, Yulin, which is a much larger company, it's the second larger largest airline contract at the airport, um, according to workers, and we have copies of the documents, uh, were retroactively hours were cut after they worked. And so we know that there's a wage theft ordinance um, here in the county, and the workers did follow the first step, which is to deliver a request for payment to the um, to the county, I mean to the employer, and so next week they will bring the complaints. We think it's what's very important is that um, there's like f 
I think there's like 40 or 60 of these types of companies in, again, still a, a low-bid contract environment, and you guys have done a major thing by requiring a living wage, but some of them are still trying to cut quarters in other ways. And so there is um, language in your ter terminal services permits that if they do this, you know, you can go ahead and revoke their permit and within 30 days. It's a month to month. So we have the backup um, for the wage theft. I also have the backup for the living wage. It shows you a pay stub at 1082 an hour, um, which I can give to anyone interested. And we'd love to figure out how to work, continue to work with you on this. Thank you. Mayor? I, I, I know I had the um, floor and I was asking the question. And thank you, Commissioner Bolden, for attempting to answer the question. My problem is this. These are some very, very serious accusations. And if I'm going to go forward with a motion to direct, I would have liked to have seen that back up in writing and have that back up validated by our staff, our county attorneys. I mean, I, I, these are very serious accusations. Retroactive pay theft. Um, you know, I, I, I understand somebody might not comply with the with the with the law or with the ordinance change that we make and they and they will be held accountable for that but to go back and retroactively take money from a an employee is a serious issue and that's that's retroactive pay theft so i i'm i just feel like i'm i support equal pay for all well, I really need to see what they're talking about, and I think that staff needs to bring that back to us um, at some point. And, and Mayor, just in finishing, um, Commissioner Shreve, I'm, I'm not trying to direct a lawsuit to be filed. All we're, the first step is that a letter is sent saying this is what we're, our understanding is, please respond, and there will be a findings of fact, and then if, we're, if there is no finding of fact, there's nothing to move forward. My motion direct is just to take the appropriate and necessary action if there is needed appropriate or necessary action, so they're empowered to do something if they need to do it. So. Um, oh, actually, uh, Commissioner Rice, we have uh, Commissioner Lamarca. Uh, hold this. And then you're right after Commissioner Holness. Commissioner Lamarco. Thank you, Mayor. Um, well, I, I didn't, I'm sorry, maybe maybe it's just me, but I didn't know who the young lady was that came up to speak to oh, introduce herself. Helena Helena. Helena you say that as if I'm supposed to know that. Okay, sorry. Helene O'Brien from SEIU. You guys never called me to see me. I, that's not true. You <laughs> said that last time when we did no, call you. you. Actually, yeah. Jay, I met with Jay Meadow when he actually asked me to meet. So um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it, and thank you very much. Um, wage, as, as my colleague, uh, Vice Mayor said, wage theft is a very serious allegation. Um, and, and isn't this, especially if you're, if, especially if you're a person of, of the law, isn't this when you usually use the word allegedly? I mean, I, I, to presume somebody did something is very, very dangerous. Um, you know, especially when it's not just the media. With respect to, with respect to where we move forward, absolutely the employees should if they're if they're supposed to be paid a living wage absolutely they should file the paperwork with, with their i guess the first step is with the employer the second step is to reach out to uh, mr labrador's shop or you know the uh, office of intergovernmental affairs and i i asked from from his office yesterday so i read a, read an article about osceola county's wage recovery uh, ordinance and how much they're spending on it how much it's it's it's, it's uh returning to employees or folks who have had wages uh, 
recovered. Uh, Mr. Labrador sent me a very, very thorough and uh, an excellent uh, spreadsheet. For the last three years, three or four years, going on four years, how many cases were, how many complaints were made, how many cases were followed through, how, much, uh, how many employees and how, many, how much in dollars was recovered. It, it told me a lot about it. It told me that we are doing a very, very good job as far as being efficient. We're not spending the money that we asked, that we allocated him to, to use. Matter of fact, they're doing it in-house. They don't even have the positions that were originally allocated to them. Um, so with respect to the process, I think the process is, is working very well. Um, and the bottom line is that, you know, the employees should be able to follow the process. I understand if, you're, if somebody is in, in an uh, organized labor union, then, then you can rely on uh, some assistance so that you're not alone in the world and you have somebody to, to rely, you know, a group to rely on. But with respect to the, to the process, unless Mr. Labrador can tell me differently, I thought that the process was to go straight from the uh, employee to the employer if they don't receive uh, a resolution to go to our county. That's why we set up this, this ordinance, that, and it's a wage recovery ordinance. Not, it's not a wage theft ordinance. Uh, it was specifically called a wage recovery ordinance because to put the presumption on the business owner and always make them the bad guy and say that, um, or the bad person, this could be a bad girl too, to, to say that the, the business owner is a bad person and doing the wrong thing when it could be a it could be a misunderstanding in this case it doesn't it doesn't sound like from the information we've gotten but Tallahassee did the same thing and they and they were going to uh, preempt wage uh, recovery ordinances and they actually uh, Mr. Labrador and his his group uh, made sure that they carved Broward out because that was a big issue for us here um, so the the bottom line is I want to make sure people are paid um, I don't. You know, the one, one of the things that, that caught my ear, uh, Commissioner Sharif, or Vice Mayor Sharif said, was she believes in equal pay. I don't believe in equal pay. I believe in equal opportunity. I believe in fair pay. I believe in a living wage. I believe in a system that's set up that if, if there is a set pay number, then that then in that category, in that group, that's equal. I know that's what you meant, but I just, but so certainly if, if, this is, if this is an issue, I want to see it resolved. I just want to make sure that with all, with all due respect, um, I don't expect the employees to have to come here, but um, the one last thing I would say is I don't, I don't, I know who you, I know, I believe you, is you in a uh, food service company, Commissioner Bergen? Or are they? The wheelchair, okay, okay, okay. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I certainly want to see these folks get, get, uh, get e fair treatment, and I want this done. I also want to make sure that we don't have a situation where folks come to our airport in an organized manner and um, certainly when we did this ordinance, it wasn't just for uh, Broward County employees or subcontracted employees, it was for you know, our airlines and everyone else. I wanna make sure that those companies feel welcome here and feel like they wanna operate at FLL. Again, if they're not doing the right thing by their employees, the, that should be rectified and those employees should be paid and they shouldn't have to worry about things like this. Commissioner Holness. Yes, I've actually been out to the airport with the workers uh, on many occasions standing with them and I was there when they delivered uh, their demand letters to uh, one of these providers uh, for their wages that they did not receive. And you know, when someone works for a living, and, and, and many of these people are working 
hard to feed their families, pay their bills. They ought to be paid fairly. And I think that's why we, we got past a living wage ordinance at the airport. Uh, this is one piece of what's uh, coming before us, but there's still allegations that folks are not being given all the amenities to perform their jobs <coughs> correctly in terms of gloves and, and other uh, items that they need to ensure that they're safe in, in the operations uh, of, of, of moving these wheelchairs because many of, of the folks in the wheelchairs are disabled and, and have other issues with bodily function that actually could uh, cause issues for the workers who are moving them about. And the other part of it is this, that some of these providers are alleged to have uh, moved people to part-time so that they wouldn't have to comply to the extent that we want them to comply. Uh, so there are other issues that are in place uh, that we face with uh, some folks wanting to skirt the rules that we have put in place to ensure that our first-line service provider uh, that welcomes passengers into Fort Lauderdale Airport or wave them goodbye and assist them while they're on their way out are given a wage in which they can live on that makes them uh, able to come to work on a timely basis and provide good, courteous uh, service without stress to our customers that utilize our airport. Uh, I am in support of us taking the actions that are necessary uh, and, and I probably need to hear from our staff, uh, Mr. Labrador, and our county attorney, our county administrator, as to where we are with this, and, and do we need to do anything other than what we're doing at this point in time? Uh, how, where's the process? Can, can you help me there? Mr. Labrador, if you can add to what's been said. Otherwise, I think you, you guys have summarized it um, pretty well um, with respect to we have processes in place uh, to address these issues and sometimes they make it through the process. Sometimes they come to you and it gets, it gets convoluted and when the staff doesn't really get engaged or it doesn't follow a process, that's when, it, that's when we, we all struggle. So um, in this case, we were, um, there were three um, that filed as recently as March 31st on the Rio company, and it'll start to, you know, go through the process, and, and hopefully, in, as I guess was indicated, that it, it turned around pretty quickly. We will do, um, um, you know, we'll address the issue, and if we have problems, we certainly know how to make our way back to the board if we have a company that's just being really belligerent. But I don't, if you can add anything else sure. to that what's already been said. And, and, I, and I guess um, there, there are two tracks here. Uh, the first one is under the living wage ordinance. And that's a, that's a complaint-driven track. Uh, once the complaints are, are filed with our office, we assign investigators, we investigate those. And then once, if we find a proposed, you know, we recommend that there's been a violation, then there are due process rights that attach, and uh, the employer can request a hearing, and we have a hearing officer who um, listens to the claims and, and the allegations and uh, you know, renders a final decision. That is the process that you all have set up uh, in order 
to comply with notice and opportunity to be heard and, and, and due process. Uh, the other track that we also have, uh, and it's a complaint that, that someone could, uh, could file, is uh, under the wage recovery program. Now, we don't do investigations under the wage recovery program because the way the commission set that program up is for employees who have been denied uh, proper payment they can file a complaint with our office. We will then uh, look at, uh, make sure that all the thresholds are met, uh, are, are met, and then we will send that uh, notice to the employer and attempt to conciliate the claim between the employer and the employee. If we are, aren't, if we are unable to conciliate, we then turn it over to a hearing officer. The hearing officer conducts the hearing, issues a final determination, which we uh, and the employee can then enforce if there's a violation found. Um, and, and those are the, the two processes that we currently have that can address this, but they're both complaint driven. There has to be a complaint filed. And right now, the only complaints that were filed were the ones on Thursday, and those have pretty much been resolved because the company called our office. Uh, they obtained the correct information as to what the proper living wage amounts were, and they apparently have already sent checks uh, to the uh, to the employees. So from right now, those three complaints are more than likely resolved. Okay. And and, and thank you very much for your update. Appreciate that, Grady. Mr. O'Brien, would you come forward again, please? Uh, yes. Could you tell me, are there other complaints that have been filed or are there others pending that will be well, filed? So the wage theft, uh, since we're following the procedure, uh, that office is not going to get the complaints. We have to wait 15 days. We, we believe we have to give the employer 15 days to remedy the problem. So that will come, I guess, next week. Um, we have gotten a complaint from at least one other a group of workers at another company. Um, and we are now, but we want to make sure we have to get doc, copies of pay stubs to make sure it's correct because we do know that these are serious allegations and we don't, we, we really, we make sure lawyers review all of our stuff before we make these complaints. And so we are meeting with those workers and getting copies of pay stubs from another company. Um, and again, I, I think in general there's some procedures. There are some challenges around the worker <coughs> retention policy that you passed uh, where some workers have fallen through the cracks and we have to figure out that's less of an enforcement, a clear enforcement path. I'd love to work with um, the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs and continue to bring those complaints to them. Um, but at the end of the day, if there is a consistent bad actor, we do think uh, it has to be brought to the board or, or the airport director. Okay. Miss um, Henry, is, 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 there's, there's no issue with uh, Ms. O'Brien working with Mr. Labrador to uh, go through the processes there? Again, I want to make sure that I understand uh, the, the two processes that we're talking about of wage recovery mm -hmm. and uh, living wage. Yes. The other issue um, with respect to worker retention, do yeah. you mean the situation where people are going from full-time to part-time? No, no, I'm no. sorry. Um, when a contractor, it was a policy you, you passed two years ago. Okay. When a contractor loses a contract, the workers are supposed to be able to remain for 45 days to ensure a stable okay. transition. Okay. Um, what's happened is uh, a, a big contract two years ago fell through, and it took around eight workers were out of work for months until we could get their jobs back, and they never got back pay, and we couldn't figure out how to enforce that. 
Um, and then now there's transitions now happening where we're hearing into a United Airlines contractor is switching and a JetBlue Airlines contractor is switching. And again, work, some workers are falling through the cracks. We're going to document the, those as much as possible, and we would like to bring them to the appropriate channels in for, for enforcement of that well, policy. It, it would certainly be helpful to us if you start with the airport director because at that okay. point they have the closest relationship with the with with these providers, He's, particularly. He <laughs> well, I mean, you, of course, that yeah. there, when you start talking, there are certain, um, uh, Eddie would know which, what item comes back, but I, but okay. when you we'll start. Okay, we'll do both. That's not a problem. Yeah. Or no, we'll do him first and then we'll go there. Is that, okay. is Thank that, you. yeah, we're, we'll do whatever works, whatever you recommend. So, <laughs> okay. You, you're saying that you went to the airport direct and he directed you to uh, Mr. No, no, Labrador? I, uh, no, he took the complaints and actually he uh, called, but just earlier, Ken George and I were talking during a break, and he said it would really be great if we could go to intergovernmental affairs. Um, but he's no longer the airport director, so right? That's correct. Okay. And what the, the issue that I'm making reference to at this point is that we there are different types of issues that you've raised, yeah. and some may be appropriate for Eddie and some may not. Okay. Got okay. It. Thank you. Committee. Okay, so so it appears as if, uh, Ms. O'Brien, that all processes uh, are working. Uh, uh, the definitely the living wage process is a victory when those workers received FedEx checks in the mail uh, yesterday and today. Um, that's huge, and I thank uh, the Intergovernmental Affairs Office. Uh, the wage theft that process will start. Uh, by next week, and we'll see how that goes. The worker retention will continuing to um, document, and we'll bring to the airport director. Thank you. Right, okay. Okay, so, all right, thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Wexler. I'm rereading and reading the actual item 56 that Commissioner Bogan brought forward, and boy, did we just bird walk into a million different areas here, and it's really, I think, I think it became abusive, actually, um, because you can. Yeah. And there are processes in place, and if and I, and I also had the opportunity to sit up here and reread the the um, ordinance that we passed on September seventeenth of two thousand and fifteen, that gives a all the um, amendments that we did and the processes that are in place and the provisions and what has to happen and yada 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 yada. Commissioner Bogan's motion is to direct the office of the county attorney to take appropriate and necessary action to enforce the terms of the airline provider agreement. Okay. And the living wage ordinance. Living wage ordinance. And if they're not complying, to have them comply with the terms of the agreement and the ordinance. Absolutely. That is a no-brainer. That is exactly what should be happening. As Ms. Henry said, there are processes in place for that to occur. You already had success. We, have, we went into wage theft. Wage theft isn't even mentioned in here to discuss. So we went, we went all over the place here today. And actually, if there is something that we can do to make sure that the <coughs> ordinance is enforced, then by all means, we need to give direction to do it. We supported it unanimously. We all, we all absolutely support it. If there are um, 
companies out there that are not complying with the ordinance, then I would like to know about it. But there is a process that is defined and clear in place. If it's not working, then please let us know. It is working, though. As you said, Rio delivered checks by way of FedEx. Then we got off of Yulin. I don't know where Yulin stands other than the fact that I suspect you're still working it through the process. So what do you want us to do here today? Thank you for asking. Thank you. Look, at, you know, people live on, on paycheck to paycheck. They don't get a minimum of, what we, of our salary here. So people at the airport are living paycheck to paycheck. And while there is a process, let's wait 15 days, let's go through this hearing, let's go through that hearing, they need help. And certainly, uh, you know, I tried calling Eula. They don't return phone calls to me. I met with the airport director. I met with Helene O'Brien. And, oh, okay, well, I, I'm, you know what? I want to find out information, and so I want to find out what I can find out. Okay, so, so you know, um, so in any case, when you ask me the question of what am I asking for, I'm asking to see if we can give direction to the county attorney to look into it. Commissioner Lamarca is claiming, I, I may, you know, I didn't use the word allege. I said we need to look into these, you know, these these wrongful, you know, alleged wrongful conduct. But I think your motion is fine. I don't see it reinforces I the agree. fact that we support this living wage ordinance and that we support these agreements and we support the process that's in place. That's all I see here. They've been all over the place, but that's all, what uh, am I missing? I just am asking this commission to give her the authority to look into it and to take any necessary reasonable action that she would deem appropriate, period. If it's nothing, it's nothing. If it's f sending a letter, if it's filing a lawsuit, whatever that appropriate action they deem appropriate, I'm looking to do that in support of the workers at the airport. That's it. Are you looking for her to bypass the process, though? You're not, right? Not at all. Okay, that's what I, I didn't think you were. I, I fully support the motion, then, because it's everything is in place. All we're doing is putting a light on it, shining a light on it, and saying, you know what? Yes, you have our blessing. Yes, Mr. Labrador, you have our blessing. Go forward. Use the process. If you can be aggressive in, in the use of it, but please, there is a charter. You do not want to call any providers up directly. Puts you in a puts us in a bad situation. Okay, thank you. So if, if you want to move it, I have no problem supporting it because it supports everything we've already got in place. Tim, a, a Commissioner Manatee Man wants to be recognized. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think what you want to do, Commissioner Bogan, is, and let me just see if I can state your motion to make you happy. I know you're not feeling well right now. Uh, how about a motion to uh, direct the county attorney to conduct an investigation to determine whether the um, airline service providers uh, have complied with the agreement with the living wage ordinance and report back to the county commission? Okay. There's a motion. Got a second? Second. There's been a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Show the item passes unanimously. Uh, we're now moving on to our last item of the day, um, which is item number 52, which is a motion to discuss the status of a proposal of a one-cent local option transportation tax. Uh, this was brought by Commissioner Ryan. There are no, wait a minute, there is one public speaker on the matter, but we will have 
Commissioner Ryan uh, speak first, and then we'll go to the public speaker. Thank you. I'd, I'd like to introduce the item, and I know that um, Mayor Joy, Joy Cooper, the mayor of Houndell Beach, who is the chair of the uh, Transportation Surtax Subcommittee with the Metropolitan Planning Organization, is here, and I hope that at some point she'll be recognized on this item. Um, we've had a discussion for several months on a penny sales tax for transportation, and the crux of the discussion has been trying to reach some agreement between the cities and the county over how the funds should be distributed. Uh, there is no legal requirement that the county um, reach some agreement with the cities um, to fund any portion of a penny sales tax for transportation directly to the cities. But we all know that having the cities as uh, partners uh, in an effort to bring a referendum for the voters to determine whether they want to impose a penny sales tax on themselves uh, for transportation is something that requires a, a strong consensus between uh, local and regional government. And, and I understand that the cities want to have some funds, some portion of the penny uh, directly provided to the cities. I think it's a matter of trust, a matter of local control, and of bonding capacity. Uh, we had a, a workshop on this issue several weeks ago, and the, the county commission made a clear statement uh, that it would proceed with a uh, discussion on a transportation surtax and was not interested in uh, promoting an infrastructure sales tax. Um, that was that information was relayed to the MPO, and I remind everyone the, re the MPO is a transportation planning agency, but some folks at the MPO have been you know, pushing an infrastructure tax. Uh, I, I tend to think it's a political move, and it's not really based on good policy. I haven't heard a discussion about an infrastructure tax until the county initiated a discussion on the transportation tax. But it, it seems like maybe we're having um, some difficult uh, negotiations, but that's really, I think, a reflection of what happens with the sunshine and the open meetings laws. Uh, negotiations always have a, a give and take back and forth, and I don't think that the public should believe that uh, the cities don't have a plan and the, and the county doesn't have a plan. In fact, at the workshop, there was a discussion on how we would have greater frequency and reliability in our transit service. We would be able to deliver bus service to areas of the county that we don't deliver at all now. We would have improved bus service in other areas. We are a part of the eighth largest metropolitan area by population in, this, in, in the nation. And with that, we do need to have some form of a light rail system uh, to move people around in the coming decades. Uh, these items, you know, when you talk about um, mass transit, they're expensive items. And that's why we, we've had this, this tension on trying to determine what would be an adequate uh, percentage that we could provide to the cities. You know, the, the cities like to talk about how, well, they, they, you know, there's more municipal roadways than there are county roads in the county. But if you look at the traffic load, and we're really our, our, core, our core effort here is to reduce traffic congestion. And that traffic congestion is on the county roads. The county runs, roads run through and across and within municipalities. In fact, 
95% of the population of Broward County is within municipalities. So when you talk about a division of the penny for the county's portion, which will be for county roads, traffic light synchronization, buses, and light rail, 95% of that goes into the cities. So the cities get a direct, uh, in our last proposal, I think it was like 25% goes directly to the cities. The other 75% goes for county projects, 95% of which are located within municipalities. So I, I believe we can get there. We can reach some consensus. Um, at our workshop, Commissioner Wexler had a, um, an interesting proposal about looking into the details of the county plan, specifically the county transit plan, and seeing, in, in her words, what we could peel back. By peeling back some portion of it, we might be able to move slightly off the 25% allocation to the cities. I, I didn't want to promise that it would go up to 30%. That's a big number. And I certainly don't see that we could go to 35% as a direct allocation to the cities for projects on city roads. Uh, but I had hoped that uh, Commissioner Wexler would be working with Mayor Joy Cooper. As I said, she's the chair of the Transportation Subcommittee at the MPO to try to see if they could reach some common ground. I realize that this requires the staff of the MPO to provide good information to Mayor Cooper. It requires that our staff here at Broward County provide good information and detailed information to Commissioner Wexler so that they might be able to effectively join in some discussions. Because I'm a member of the MPO, I can't talk to, to Mayor Cooper about this. And so I thought as uh, Commissioner Wexler being showing a, a keen interest in the issue with years of experience that she always reminds us of, that she would be a perfect person to, um, to be part of the discussion. She's very detail-oriented and I have all the confidence in her. She's shaking her head. Uh, so what I'm looking for this commission to do is if you would kind of uh, show some um, support for us to continue negotiations in the next couple of weeks to see if we still can keep this thing alive. We're on a, on a very short time frame. I think, is it in early June, we would have to have uh, ballot language to the supervisor of, ele of elections. And, um, and so if we're going to reach some <coughs> kind of an agreement, we've, we've got to do so in, in a very short time, I think within several weeks. Um, so that's the way I wanted to, uh, to put it out. I know that we also talked about an oversight board to ensure that we would have fiscal responsibility. That means fiscal responsibility means you have separate trust fund for this money. It's in the quote-unquote lockbox, and that um, the projects are really limited to relevant transportation projects. And it would be my hope that the transportation projects, in order to be funded, would have to uh, be approved by the Oversight Board with respect that it is actually a transportation project that is authorized under the statute. Uh, I think that the public deserves that, and uh, in order for us to, to have, I think, the necessary uh, confidence that we can provide to the voters. Uh, we need to have that independent oversight board. Uh, the last item I will say is um, if we don't act now, uh, we will continue to place an additional tax burden upon our property owners because the property owners uh, are funding through the ad valorem tax the, the deficits that are running in transit that are growing ever larger because we have a decreasing uh, amount 
of gas tax money and ever-increasing expenses to operate transit. So I believe the sales tax, which is imposed upon everyone, is a more fair and equitable way to, um, to fund a recurring funding source for transportation. So with that, Mr. Mayor, thank you for allowing me to introduce the issue. Uh, if you would call on Commissioner Wexler to, um, to provide uh, her comments, I'd, I'd be grateful. Um, before we do that, let's go to the, we're two members of the public that would like to speak, uh, and then we'll bring it back to the, the dais, and we have a number of folks, I believe, want to speak on this issue. Uh, the first person that signed up to speak was uh, Robin uh, Chiarelli, who is the executive director of the Downtown Fort Lauderdale uh, Transportation Management Association. Good afternoon, Mayor Care, Vice Mayor Sharif, Honorable Commissioners, and County Administrator Henry. I am humbled by the opportunity to speak with you this afternoon. My name is Robin Chiarelli, and I am the proud Executive Director of the Downtown Fort Lauderdale Transportation Management Association. We are a nonprofit organization that operates eight community bus routes. Uh, known as the Sun Trolley in partnership with Broward County Transit. Our Sun Trolley service provides transportation to over 550,000 passengers each and every year. Not unlike the rest of Broward County Transit's customer base, the majority of our customers are disenfranchised from low-income communities or are senior citizens that depend on the Sun Trolley and have no other way to reach education, employment, and basic human services. We depend on fare box dollars, private sponsorships, as well as grants to continue operating. Unfortunately, with the sunsetting of many of our grants, we are facing a significant funding shortfall in the coming years. In order to continue operating in the foreseeable future, we must have a dedicated funding source such as the transportation surtax. Without a dedicated source of funding, we will be faced with the hard decisions of reducing or eliminating some of our routes. On behalf of the Downtown Fort Lauderdale Transportation Management Association, please let the record show that we support the approval of item 52 on your agenda. Thank you again for the opportunity to speak, and I wish you the best of luck on your decision process. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, our next speaker is Hollandale Beach Mayor Joy Cooper. Thank you for being here with us today, Mayor Cooper. Um, first of all, uh, good afternoon, Mayor, uh, Vice Mayor, and Commission. I want to thank you all for your hard work, and that's why I'm here to show, show support of that work and how, uh, you know, like you said earlier, it's negotiations, and we all understand how transformative this decision is going to be, not just for all of Broward County, but every individual that may want to go apply for a job that might not have that transportation or the cities that need to address flooding and address making sure our roadways are safe. So I think we all get it. I'm just here in support of, of uh, Vice Mayor Ryan, and, of course, it was a pleasure to meet with uh, Commissioner Wexler, who has a wealth of knowledge. Oh, Commissioner, Vice Mayor, I'm sorry, sorry. Oh, it's like Vice Mayor Sharif. I'm sorry. Well, you've always been working. You've all been working on this issue uh, very diligently, and I'm just here again. I'm in support of these efforts, and I hope we all can come to, to agreement on something to move this uh, county forward as Great. partners. 
Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Cooper. It's uh, now back to the dais, and the first person actually to ask to speak was Commissioner Holness. So we'll start with uh, Commissioner Holness, and then I believe Commissioner Lamarca, and then we'll just, I believe there'll be a number of folks who want to speak on it today. And um, County Administrator Henry. <laughs> uh, we've, we've undertaken this process for some time, and I know that the county has come up with uh, some plans, some numbers as to what we need in order to fund uh, our transit transportation system in Broward County. Can you tell me what percentage we have uh, that we need to do this fully? I, uh, again, let me, let me start with where we were uh, at the very beginning of this process was something we'd like to see to be, uh, as uh, all the commissioners have indicated, something more collaborative. We have endeavored to work with the municipalities on, on what constitutes a city project, what constitutes a county project. So if you look at um, what we did in order to begin the conversation, um, we were looking at a program of about 87% uh, County-related projects, 13% municipality-related uh, projects. The commission indicated that um, they would like to see something at 7525. Uh, there's any number of ways we could do that. We're prepared to do that. And, um, and at this point, um, when we start going much lower than that, um, we just have to be realistic about what we can deliver over time. In, in terms of this 13%, how, how much money would that generate? Do you remember? Well, again, the entire um, the entire program um, over on an annual basis, and I just use round numbers because it's easy to talk about that. It's about 300 million dollars uh, for a full um, penny um, on an annual basis. So, when you're talking 10% of that, you're talking 30 million, and so forth and so on. So. Okay. So we're looking at, uh, pro I think it's about $36 million. Correct. Uh, and, 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 and that amount of money could be designated to the cities for them to utilize in whatever way they would like to utilize it. As long as it's related to transportation. Okay. Uh, if we were to go to 25%, would it affect some of the regional plans that we have, such as our light rail system expanding to the uh, education center, to other parts of the county where these transportation are needed? And we saw earlier today the students from FAU wanting to get uh, rides there. But there are many students in our community that go to Broward, Nova, and, and, and that educational complex that have a difficult time getting there now through a regular system. So if we were to look at a program at 75%, um, we would um, certainly continue to prioritize um, uh, rail um, in some level. But again, what's very difficult about this conversation is that, um, and I think C uh, Commissioner Ryan said it at the very beginning, 
whatever we do, 95% of it is within a municipality. So when you start to talk about um, buses, we're going throughout all of the municipalities. When you start talking about rail, um, we did the estimate around uh, to to accomplish 20 about 23 miles of rail, but you have to study alignments and those are the type of projects that you would not do without federal support uh, and state support. So again, it's for, for um, us, um, if whatever the, ultimately the board wants to do, we will develop a program around that amount and, and obviously involve the community in what's the best use of whatever that, that amount uh, ends up being. Okay, so you're saying we could prioritize and probably not necessarily do everything we want to do, but do whatever it is to, to negotiate this. Correct. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, and I know the conversation con continues, but when I look at Miami-Dade County and, and, and the congestion and, and, the, and, the, and the situation that exists there now, uh, having been down there in about two weeks, two weeks ago and couldn't get out, uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It took me 45 minutes from the southern part of Brickell to get to 95, and then I get congestion when I got to 95. I, I think we, we have to be really wise about how we utilize this and ensure that we're not s splitting this up in, into so many pieces and in so many parts and, and, and not really looking at the overall picture to the extent that we need to. Uh, and I understand the need for cities to control some money, I mean, I came from a city as a city commissioner, but I also have to look at the region as a whole and, and, and see how that function and how it interconnects, interconnects uh, with the cities. Uh, and I know in some areas, folks probably don't want, want rail. They want more buses. Uh, that's what we got to look at. How, how do we accomplish this? And, and, and the big part of us being able to have enough dedicated funding source to draw down capital from the state and from the federal government, which basically would augment a lot of what we need to do. I, I, I'm not comfortable, to be honest with you, going beyond that 25% at all. I, I think that we've, uh, and I, I think the 2006 plan, from what I heard, was allocating 12%. Now we're at 25%. That's a substantial amount uh, that needs to be done. I, I think we ought to look to see some way, somehow, uh, if we go with 25% and cities actually have a greater need beyond that, how we accommodate that within the overall scheme of things, rather than go out and put so much out that we can't really do what we need to do in, in the long run if the people of Broward County decide to uh, pa uh, vote for uh, this issue to tax themselves an additional penny, uh, one cent on each uh, dollar purchase that they make. So it, it is, it's, it's tough for me to, 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 to go beyond this 25%, to be honest with you. Commissioner Lamarca. Well, I did just check and make sure that we were still talking. What 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 numbers were twenty five or th or thirty five? You know, I I make it a, a habit to read what the ever so important opinions are of the the South Florida one hundred every Sunday, and I thought it was really I thought it was really interesting. It's very that wise one of them was <laughs> well, Marty's are always great. They're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. They're the best. Um, <laughs> if you were looking to find the definition of bad optics, try this. Broward County commissioners who gave away tens of thousands of dollars to charity because of budget surpluses are now considering putting a sales tax increase on the November ballot. 
Of course, what they gave away isn't a fraction of the revenue to be generated by higher sales taxes, but you wonder if they understand how bad it looks. Not only the uses of new revenue raise more taxes than it answers. Who's held accountable? Someone has to explain it to you. That was the guy that replaced me on the, on the city commission at Lighthouse Point, Brittany's former boss. Apparently, he doesn't even know that they want to put uh, 25, 35, 40% uh, sales tax proposition on the, on the ballot. So we got people who are working in cities that don't even know that they're part of this equation. I don't know if it's because it's such a small two and a half square mile bedroom community. Uh, I don't know the answer for that other than to use hyperbole and get some reactions on the weekend paragraph. But the reality is, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the eight cities that I represent. I'm going to see what they want to say. Uh, you know, do they want to be involved? I mean, Mayor Cooper, with, with all due respect, has been at every single transportation meeting. I was at the meeting that uh, she and, uh, yeah, but uh, Commissioner Ryan uh, w was at the, you know, the, the MPO meeting. I think you were down a couple of commissioners. You wanted me to do some uh, standing in for designated hitting, but I, I, was, I was happy to watch. Well, I was there. I saw it. But the, 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 the issue is, I mean, we honestly, we, we need to know that there's a lot, there are a lot of issues out there. Robin Chiarelli brought some forward. Um, Bruce Roberts spe speaks, uh, you know, confidently about the issues that the city of Fort Lauderdale needs. There are, there are infrastructure issues, uh, miles and miles of sidewalks, uh, pipes are bursting under, underground every day, water, you know, water or, or sewer pipes shutting down parts of the city of Fort Lauderdale because of the aging infrastructure. Um, now, if everyone wants to really sit at the table and figure, figure out what we do moving forward uh, as a community and not as you know, a city of 25 in Lazy Lake up to Fort Lauderdale at 175 or 180,000, um, we, we need to understand that, look, we'll, we'll put a plan forward that everyone will know what goes on, but this, this is a tax. It's a lot of money. It's $312 million. It's not a way to replace, and I'm uh, mayor, I'm not including you in this conversation, but it's not a way, because the list that was brought to us was fire trucks, police cars, God knows what else. Um, this is, you know, if this goes for infrastructure, it's infrastructure under or along with transportation. In other words, if, if you're going to rebuild the road and it's an it's a, uh, infrastructure tax that, that helps pay for it, that's the time to fix your pipes. Not later on, you rip the road up again. The, the concern I have, and I still, I'm totally honest with you, I, and Brittany put me in as a maybe, uh, I'm, I'm usually a 99.9% .9 chance no on, on, uh, on voting for a tax, but I think we're up, we're up here as representatives on a weekly basis to, to represent the, the communities that, that put us here, and at the same time, we're supposed to use our own intuition because they thought enough of us to put us there and we should make decisions. But something like this is we're just, we are only asking ourselves, what do we want to, do we want to put something to the voters and what do we want to put to the voters? Because ultimately it is 100% their decision. Whatever we decide to, to uh, put on that, on that ballot, when they decide yes or no on it, just like uh, Children's Services Council or the school board, it's, it's their decision. Um, you know, I, I've said it over and over, and I think the numbers around, I've heard anywhere from 30 to the 33 or even 35% of this is paid for by the now 15.4 million visitors we have. Um, that's going to continue to go up. This is sales tax uh, on things you buy when, say, you go to Atlanta, Georgia. 
you're there for a conference, you're going to pay sales tax, whatever it might be. It, it may be an extra penny that you're helping them fund their infrastructure. You're also, you know, look, looking at the fact that how else, if you're going to do these imp improvements, how are you going to do it where you're only paying 70 cents on the dollar or 69 or 68 cents on the dollar? Uh, so that's a very important and valuable piece of this equation. You would think we could get together cities, the county, and our regional transportation systems, be it uh, BCT uh, or the, the WAVE or other, other ways that, uh, or, or the Sun Trolley or other ways that we're looking forward to moving people around Broward County. I mean, we, I did a meeting with just a couple of folks over on the east side of uh, 17th Street Causeway. They've got a major tran transportation and traffic issue there because they can't get over the bridge. They can't get off the Barrier Island because of the traffic sometimes going in and out of the port. We don't want to stop the 4 million cruise passengers, but we've got to figure out a way and a method and a mode to get people around where we can eliminate some of this traffic. And it's not just limiting development or talking about development issues. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're a community of 2 million people in our county, but if, if we're going to have 15 million visitors, what's that going to swell to two or three times? So we could have six or seven million people in this county maybe even more at any given time around the holidays. So um, I'm still, Brittany, I'm still a maybe with a big question mark because, I mean, until I see where, we, where, where the split is, the idea, I believe the idea is good to be able to give the, the, the voters the opportunity to be able to vote on this. Um, but, and, and knowing that we have, whether it's the alliance, the workshop, the different, you know, the chambers, the different organizations want to see us have good, Transportation, the Convention of Visitors Bureau. I mean, we're that's a that's a tremendous part of our community, and we we will remain a tourism community, uh, at least with a priority on that for a long time. So we want to make sure that when people get here, that they have good service at the airport and the seaport, and that once they leave those those destinations, they can actually enjoy our community. So um, I'm a maybe, but I would I would really really like to see that the the majority of our colleagues on the city commission of the cities we represent understand that this is something that they need to be talking about. And again, folks like Joy Cooper and Bruce Roberts are talking about it every day, all day. And unfortunately, people from my town aren't really even aware that it's going on. Commissioner Wexler. Thank you, Mayor. Shortly after our workshop, a couple of weeks ago, um, I received a request from Commissioner Ryan, that if he had, if he went ahead with meetings with Mayor Cooper, that since they both serve on the MPO, um, it could potentially be a conflict. They'd have to advertise everything. They needed to talk. And would you, Commissioner Wexler, be kind enough, since you're not on the MPO any longer, to facilitate some meetings between you, myself, and Mayor Cooper? And I said I would attempt to do that. And Joy and I know each other and respect each other for a very, very long time. We serve on other boards together. And, and so that was okay. We set up a meeting. And um, after, our, after our commission workshop, this document came out. I hope you've all seen it. I don't know if it was part of our backup here today because I've got about two inches worth of files. It was put on the website. Um, did you include it in your doc in your no, backup no, today? 
Well, I know that, but it's really important that all the commissioners hear <coughs> because as a result of, well, it's it's on the it's on the um, it's on the website that was created for the penny sales tax, and there is a wealth of information that's on there as well. But this document was as a direct result of the direction that that staff heard us say um, they thought that there was interest in a 75-25 split as a result. And so they went back to the drawing board and they created a 75% to the county. This is what the plan would look like. And I took that document and I um, spent about four hours with staff um, and I submitted a lot of questions, which I will make public. I have shared it. It is part of my backup. I have not given it to you. Um, it, it, I did give a copy of it to Mayor Cooper when we met last week. And um, I will make sure that everybody has a copy of this through records and through Miss mm -hmm. Henry um, as soon as this meeting is over. But I took the various elements and the questions, because I am a detailed person, of what I saw within here and spent um, hours debriefing with Mr. Walton and his very capable staff and, and Ms. Cassini, who went out to Government Center West to meet with me, as I say, for hours to try to help me believe that what I was looking at was actually a plan. And I think that what happened as a result of that is everybody agreed that it really was a vision. And I can, I, I, I'm okay with it being a vision, but it's not a plan. It's the bare bones of where we want to go. And you'll see when you see the kinds of questions that I asked of staff and the answers that they gave that it's really the 30,000-foot view of many elements of it, park and ride, um, east-west, um, additional maintenance facilities, things such as that. So I took this, this, this document and scrutinized it, and who are you talking about? Okay, I'll keep going. I, I, I guess one of the things that came out of, and the most important thing for us that came out of the meeting that Mayor Cooper and I had together, if you recall, there's a letter attached that to this agenda item that shows the request from um, Vice Mayor Blattner. I, don't, I think he may be... He's the chair, chair of Well, he's chair of the MPO, but... I don't know what his title is in the city of Hollywood, Chair Blattner, that um, requests through motion that, that they passed two things, a 65-35 split and that this board take action by April 5th. Because Joy, Mayor Cooper and I had discussed that we would, we thought this was coming forward next week for discussion because we're not done. 
discussing. So when it was put on the agenda, my surprise was, well, I guess you're abiding by um, um, Chair Blattner's request and continuing to so-called move the ball down the field. You have the, the floor, Commissioner Webster, but the mayor has allowed me to, to answer that question. I did not want the members of the MPO to become discouraged and to think that we were ignoring their request. But at the same time, uh, I wanted it to be clear that at a workshop, it, it was a good point that Commissioner Lamarca made. Many of the commissioners, city commissioners, some of the city managers, some of the, the city attorneys uh, who have reached out to me didn't seem to have a, any real concept of, of what's happening here. I believe that two-thirds of the cities have not provided any plan, any vision whatsoever of how they would spend their portion of the money. So in, in a way, you know, it was important that, that we continue to push this along and then more and more people will become uh, aware of it. And, um, you know, there was this discussion about an infrastructure tax, and I was very clear, and I think it was in, in the Sun Sentinel today, that uh, we don't want to have a competing infrastructure tax and a transportation tax. And then if the cities insist on an infrastructure tax, as far as I'm concerned, I would just back away with it, back away from a transportation tax because it's a heavy lift. It's a lot of political capital that you have to get out for a, uh, a sales tax. And so if the cities want to go with an infrastructure tax, if they feel it's more important than a transportation tax, then they're going to be able to, to do that on their own. And I don't think this commission is going to compete on, a, on a, you know, a competing sales tax. So with that. Okay. So that's why it's on here today to continue the conversation. But I'm not sure what you want in the way of an action out of us here today. So at some point, I think you need to advise us what your intent is on that. I, I, can, I can answer that right now. Okay. Uh, I would hope that the uh, commission would show some support in allowing Commissioner Wexler, based upon the information that she has and the discussions that she has, she has initiated with the chair of the uh, Transportation Subcommittee of the MPO, to continue with some discussions and to try to work through the numbers and come back with a proposal that we could look at next week and perhaps and perhaps continue a discussion. I don't, it, apparently it will not be Listen, a plan in a Listen, I didn't week. want to serve on the MPO any longer. Pull out my fingernails one, uh, one at a time with no anesthesia, okay? I mean, I, I, I'm like, seriously? But this is what has uh, been your good fortune because now that you're not on the MPO, it gives you the opportunity to have discussions with an MPO member and still be in compliance with the Sunshine Law. I understand that factoid, but I am in the maybe column also, okay? And you know that. You know that. You know how I, 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 if you think that by giving me this task that it is going to bring me into the yes column, I don't know if that's I, going to work. I would work. not be so naive, but okay. I just want you to try to okay. work so, through the numbers because you are a numbers all person. Right. Well, that's what we have been doing, and it has taken an inordinate amount of time to even get this far. You, I'm going to just share with you that one of the things that was that had been presented to us previously was $20 an hour for the community buses. And quite frankly, I really believe that 
if we're going to go forward with this, and if this were to pass, one of the most important pieces of it is a robust, fully funded community bus program for every city in Broward County, Absolutely. period. Not just for Sunrise and Plantation, but for everybody. Not just for Fort Lauderdale, but for everybody. And, and who pays for it? This penny. Well, if you were to explain. On the county's dime. If you, if and, and by the way, in, in my negotiations with staff during those hours of meetings, they, this, and you will see that document, they will fully fund at 75-25 community bus service. So it's not just, it's maintenance, it's operation fully of community bus service. Now, how important that is that to us? How important is that to the cities? So, so, so Commissioner Wexler, so maybe what you end up doing in the next week is between you and, and Mayor Cooper, if you keep the number at a 75% allocation to the county for transit, community busing, rail, county roads, and 25% for the cities just for their city roads, that you have a detailed explanation of where that 75% goes. Maybe that's what turns the tide for the MPO members is if they can actually conceptualize what they're going to get, along with the message that the 75% the that goes to the county, 95% of that right. is spent within municipalities. That, well, I think that's is how kind you put of the what I together. needed to have. And so since I'm a maybe, I know what I would need to have here in order to even turn that maybe into a yes. Because right now that maybe is closer to turning into a no than a yes. So am I willing to continue working towards this? If Joy is willing to continue meeting with me, then we will continue to move the ball down the field. I can't <coughs> promise you anything. <coughs> County staff is willing to continue chatting with me and helping me to understand. I'm going to give you another example that I had seen in here. And please, colleagues, read this document. I, 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 I was just beside yeah, myself, beside myself when I read in there that they wanted to create a um, transit police force. What? Are you kidding me? So I said first to Chris Walton, I don't think so. And of course, it is out of the plan. Miss... <laughs> But I, I just, and it's not that safety isn't critically important. It is incredibly important. But there are other ways to do it and provide for a safe environment through, <coughs> without gearing up to have our own transit police like New York City and Detroit have. So I, I think that these are the kinds of things, Joy, that you may not be aware of that in my spare time I'm trying to look at different elements of it and what what makes sense what could we sell what can what will make the community angry um, what makes me angry you know and and kind of use that as a litmus test that's that's what I'm bringing to the table and if that's not what you want to come to the table then you got the wrong commissioner doing it um, mayor um, so let me just put out a motion and then we'll see who else. Before we, we have a commissioner for would like to speak. Right. Can, we, can we go to Commissioner Fur? Commissioner Fur, did you want me to pose a motion and then you speak to the motion or whatever issues or do you want to go first? Okay, okay so I just want to, to say that um, the, the ideas that Commissioner Wexler have are, are consistent with where I was hoping we would go. So I'm going to make a motion and then 
uh, defer to, um, uh, to Commissioner Furr, that, that the um, commission authorize Commissioner Wexler to engage in discussions and development of a transit plan, a, a county-city split without saying what specifically it would be, and you come back with some details at the, um, at the earliest possible time. Next Tuesday, yes. Come back and tell us what tell us what you have next Tuesday. Um, yes, uh, uh, Mayor Cooper, could you could you come up real fast? And um, I, all I heard was MPO meeting on the on the fifth. She had, there's a, there's an MPO meeting on the fourteenth, and so that oh. that is a week from Thursday. So you'd like to hear from us again? I would imagine Tuesday. next Tuesday. So you have more to talk about on Thursday. If I can, and I'm sorry for the clerk, I didn't announce myself, Mayor Joy Cooper, Mayor of the uh, City of Hallandale Beach. We have an MPO meeting, and I didn't want to go too far into it, but you had referenced early the infrastructure discussion. It's my understanding that there was a committee discussing infrastructure. So, again, we understand the urgency of this, but I know that I can't negotiate anything other than a 35-65 split. I can't, we can discuss the plans, we can discuss what can be done with it, but the MPOs above me, <laughs> I'm on the subcommittee. I love working on this issue, I understand this issue, and I've served on the MPO for many years. However, they need guidance, they need an answer, and we need an answer by that date, because we don't meet again. And last time you had asked me to hold a, a separate meeting, I, I don't have anything else to take back to them. So there, there is a, a level of frustration, and I agree to the point. It, a lot of it is a plan, and a lot of it is a vision, because it's 20, we're looking at 25 years. Even among technology may change within 25 years. So everybody wants this blueprint and, and a plan, but we don't necessarily always plan that way. We do five years, we do 10 years. We, as a city, have done 20 years. So we're there, and we need that bonding capacity to address that percentage. And while I agree with, yes, the buses go through on Hallandale Beach Boulevard, the train goes through on FEC, you know, US-1 is a county or a Dixie County, you know, we agree that goes, uh, again, I don't want to be long-winded. I think we need a resolution by that date, that MPO meeting. And, and that's very clear. And I know it's eminent, and, this, and I respect you all. This is an extremely difficult situation, a difficult decision. But I think if we all rise to the occasion and understand the importance that it will have on every individual in Broward County, that's what we're talking about. We're talking, again, I keep going back to it because <coughs> I know I've had robust you know, debates on the MPO about this. It might be the difference of somebody saying, I'm going to take that job in downtown Fort Lauderdale because I have a great bus system. It might make that difference for those individuals that really depend on this. That's why I'm supporting the transportation tax at this point as a mayor. As, as MPO, we support it, but we need to get there. We need to get the numbers already. And um, I don't know how you get there. That, sure. That's the balls in your court now. Let's also, so. let's, let's also Thank don't, you. don't go I'm, far, but let's also <laughs> share with them. I'm Let's trying. also share with them that the MPO's letter, which asked for the 65-35 split, actually was written the Monday before, before our workshop that took place um, a few weeks ago. The county at the workshop, the commissioners were playing, toying with the number 75-25. When you and I met, 
we were discussing 70-30. Okay? So I just, I, I just want you to know that, that you asked me to do something, you asked me to jump into this thing and get more involved and sit with my friend and try to figure something out, and she's got her direction from MPO by way of a motion and a letter that's been transmitted to us, which is clearly 6535. Do we give her any tools to work with? Do you give me any tools to work with? Or is it 7525 or 6535 or nothing? I don't know. Yeah, that's I'll sit what down now because you're making me nervous. No, I don't want you to sit down. <laughs> I'm like, this is your negotiation. This is no, your I, negotiation. I don't know. Is, it, is, do, is this going to be a negotiation? And if it's not, Tim, then I... I'm Okay. That'd be great. Thank Don't you. We, go far, we have a, a Commissioner Furr and then Commissioner Sharif, then we'll, we'll start again. We can kind of go okay, around. Thanks. Well, the cities I represent are very engaged. One, I represent Hollandale. I represent Hollywood with Chair Blattner and Pembroke Pines with Frank Works. So they are very involved on this. On this. Um, I don't know if, if that 6535 is a fixed number. I have a feeling 7030 might be a, a sweet spot. Um, and because, I mean, we did 75-25, they did 65-35, sweet spot might be 70-30. I do think the cities need the money to go straight to them for bonding capability. It makes all the difference in the world if, for those who've been a city commissioner of being able to say, okay, and, and we saw those uh, statistics of how many roads are in the, that the city are in cities as opposed to county. I think it's 90%, 10%. And for the eastern cities, not so much for the western cities, but for the eastern cities, there is a lot of work to do. And I don't mean just a little bit. You know in Dania, I know in Hollywood, I know in Hollandale, I'm sure Pompano and Fort Lauderdale, all the way up. And if you're talking complete streets at Lighthouse Point, you're talking complete streets, you're talking a ton of money that cities will not be able to get to for years and years and years without this. And that is, that, and, and I mentioned before, that local part of the transportation shouldn't be ignored as well. That is part of, that's your daily route to the grocery store. That's your, you're riding your bike here or there. Or that's the greenways, those kind of things. Um, so, but I, but I am frustrated a little bit with the lack of the fixed points of the plan. And I think you alluded to that. And I, I think all of us want to see that. I think people want to see that if they're going to vote for it. They will see that more with city projects than they will see with regard than, than the county projects. County projects are going to be an expansion of the, of bus services, it'll be expansion of shuttle, it'll be a few things like that. But those aren't going to be the, the salient and the selling points that get this over the line. And that's what I'm concerned with, because I look at this as not only a transportation um, surtax, but I look at it as, as one of those things that we look to, this creates an enormous amount of jobs. And, and we've all looked at the Alice report. We've all looked at what those wages are. These wages are higher. This is a guaranteed jobs program for a long time for this county that starts to deal with a lot of the other issues beyond just transportation. It starts to deal with our affordable housing issue. It starts to do with the median income. It starts to do with all of those things. This is an important thing to try to get through. And, and so I'm, I will, I'm supporting you to continue on that. 
um, all of us to continue not just you because I don't want to put that whole weight on you that's not fair um, and and I hope that the cities would be I, I'm fine with 70 30 I think we can find projects I mean the ones that I really want to see I, I'm, I'm looking at the FEC is because I do think that that's a subsidized I mean I, I look at that as a uh, a, mo a mode of transportation that may not have to be subsidized. Some of the uh, some of the other transit I think would have to be subsidized for a long time, and I'm not so sure about um, how many people want to get out of their cars from west to east. I think they do, but I'm not positive. But I know that connecting 41 cities on the eastern seaboard makes sense. That one makes sense to me. I actually, you know, and and, and I've already seen those uh, rails start. To, those double tracks have already been laid. They're already being put down. So there's stuff happening there. Um, so I, you know, I want to see it continue. I would, I would suggest we try to push for 70-30, find a sweet spot in there. You know, if some things have to take longer to, to happen on our side, okay. But that's, that's a spot where I think you're going to see um, improvement throughout the county on all kind of levels from your driveway to the to the to the roads that you take to the to the store all the way to when you go across county, I think it affects it all the way across the board, and for a lot again for some of those cities when you talk about with sea level rise having to raise roads and things like that is going to be incredibly expensive, and we need to recognize that some of those are not county roads, those are those are roads that are going to have to be acknowledged. So um, that's that's my main thought. I would like to see, I think everybody wants to see more um, specificity in what the plan is. Obviously, and I think um, uh, Mayor Cooper mentioned it, if you're talking 30, 40 years out, you do, you, you are, there's a, there's a part plan, part vision. And there's a lot, there's so much more. I mean, I, 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 I took that debut ride for Uber Pool the other day. And I've been watching what it's been happening in other places throughout the, um, country and you start to see where people are chaining rides together all the way through and we haven't even started uber pool is when you can you can choose you share rides and that's and when you're when you're doing uber now yeah yeah you you can choose do i want to you know go by myself do i want to have and you get cheaper rides and it goes those things we're not even considering and we're not and believe me we're talking about trying to do light rail out to the to the university you know, university students will jump in, a, in an Uber pool in a heartbeat. And, for, and, the, and the end price is almost the same. So it's like we have to really weigh those considerations very carefully. When you start looking at, uh, there was a mayor's conference out in uh, San Francisco uh, a few months ago. They talk, started talking about those cars that will be driverless. You know what? Maybe th those, when you can put through, you put a, driverless car where that has eight or ten passengers? <coughs> well, you haven't even started looking at that, and that is not that far away. So before we start thinking we've got to spend six, whatever, bazillion billions on, uh, <laughs> bazillion billions, a it's a lot of money, whatever that is, a lot of money, on some of those things, we need to really think in terms of what is, uh, what's coming down the road. And I don't think we've given, and, and you know what, it's hard for us to to, to forecast that. I'm not sure, you know, I don't, I don't know if any of us are in that position to do that yet. But we do know that the, that the, the local parts need work. We know the, we know the things that do need work. And you've, you've alluded to some of those. 
And I think the 70-30 gets us to those. Some of the other part we might have to, you know, it would be nice if there was a, if there was a part in there that allowed for a revisit after 10 years of recognizing the fact that we can't foretell the future. 10 years, we kind of look at, we reconsider the split or something like that. But that may, that may not work for bonding. But, but I think it also depends on that oversight committee. Yes. But the, and the only thing I'm going to say about the oversight committee is that there is, a, there is a necessity for the money to go directly to the cities and not have, buy, have to go through something for their own bonding capability. I think if it has to be dispersed outside of that, they lose their bonding capacity, but I'm not positive on that. But that, that's something that's important, that, because that gives the cities the kind of leverage that they need. Thank you. They would need to do it with, with their percentage that they would be getting. Correct. Correct. That's all I have. Vice Mayor Sharif. You know, this has been going back and forth for a while now, and we talked about this during our workshop, and I said something, we got to get something versus nothing. And if it takes a 65-35 split to bring us together and to bring the cities to the table, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, I know you said 70-30. Uh, I, I mean, whatever, whatever it takes to, to get to the point where we can work together and put this on the ballot, we need to do that because I think... Um, well, from my perspective in serving on the MPO, we are always seen as a separate body, but the county is a regional body. Everything we do benefits every city in the county, all 31, whether they're big or small. And so, um, you know what? This is the point at which if 5% is going to make that, that, that um, collaboration work, then um, I'm there. So... I think I, I thought that we were going to go around and kind of get a consensus as to where everybody was on this. So I just wanted to give my two cents for whatever it's worth. Um, pun intended. Two cents? <laughs> okay. All right. I anyway, I thought it was funny, too. It was, it was, it was and, witty. It was witty. Right? It was witty. Give me some. I give you some. There you go. So 65-35 or 70-30, I could work with either of those figures and... I'm good. So, I'm just to speak very quickly, and then we have a number of folks that are on the queue to speak uh, again. Um, I, it's no secret. Um, whatever comes before us, I'm very unlikely to vote for for a number of reasons. There'll be plenty of time later on to discuss the merits of what they are. Um, but I do believe it is responsible uh, to move forward uh, to give both Commissioner Ryan and Commissioner Wexler the opportunity to continue to discuss this matter with the MPO with Mayor Cooper and with the cities. Um, and so for that procedural reason, I would support this today. Uh, good, well, just moving forward for discussions. Right, the discussion, which is fine. And that's, and that's a responsible way of moving forward, and I think we should. Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, uh, Vice Mayor made comment about compromise, and I, I am, that's, that's what I would, that's what I would, uh, would suggest, but we're, we're, we're talking about a compromise, and I think Commissioner Furr nailed it. Um, the, the MPO brought us 65-35. Uh, Commissioner Ryan was 75-25. The, the median point is 30 percent, not 35 and not 25, it's 30, uh, which I think is an improvement of 
you multiply 5% times $300 million plus, we're talking about another $15 million. Um, with regard to what, uh, what needs to happen, there's two things. Number one, I, I wanted, I think I mentioned this in one of our conversations, I would like to see us, and Commissioner Fur brings up an important financial uh, instrument, and that's the, the uh, cities or the county would, would want to utilize this funding for bond capacity and the ability to, to go out to, to the market to do a project. So whether it's, I, I know that's not going to be a 10-year issue, so whether it's 15 or 20 years, I would like to see on, this, on the same ballot language there be a sunset provision for this, just like Palm Beach County did for the school bond issue, school board uh, bond issue, as well as uh, what they're proposing right now. Um, the final thing I would say is we should, we should be able to get, and I know that uh, Mayor Cooper doesn't speak on behalf of the entire MPO, um, but I would like to, to get a comfort level moving forward if, we, if we're willing to meet them in the middle at 70-30, that she would bring that back to her board and say, hey, you know, I, we, we're not at 35%, but we're also not at 25%. We've got 15 plus million dollars more to work with. Um, and then the biggest part of this is the only way you're ever going to get this passed on a, on a ballot, especially a president, well, not especially presidential, but probably better shot for it to be passed now uh, is that you need a plan moving forward. People, people in every one of the 31 cities need to know that there's a plan moving forward that addresses their issues. So whether that is a north-south north, uh, commuter rail, uh, addressing the port to airport con uh, connection, with uh, with the wave uh, and also addressing some of the some of the other issues that uh, Commissioner Fur brought up, I mean autonomous vehicles and everything else. But I mean a lot of that's really private private side. But if if there are accommodations made and maybe transit areas where there will be amenities, that's that's another issue. So I mean I think the cities have ideas that they want, but this all has to go on a document and literally go in front go in front of the voters. Uh, go in front of actually the supervisor's office not, not too long down the road. So we've got a, they've, uh, Commissioner Wax has got some conversations to have. But if it's a 70-30 split and there is a provision for 15 or 20 year uh, sunset, uh, they can move with the plan. You know, <laughs> we saw what you did with Fault Lauderdale last year, so. <laughs> We have a, a few people that haven't spoken yet, and then we'll go to Commissioner Holness. But first, it's Commissioner Bogan, then Commissioner Ritter. You know, I was just going to echo, Marty, what you said, that while I'm generally opposed to the uh, overall uh, tax, I would support what Tim's trying to do just for discussion purposes. So I just wanted to be on record for that. Thank you. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. I'd really like to see uh, from our staff a, some kind of matrix that, that details for me what a 100% of the tax plan is, what a 75%, which we already have, I know online, but what a 75% would look like and what a 65% would look like. How about a 70? A 70. Okay, and a 70. Oh, we already did the 75. So 165 and um, 70 and 65. <laughs> you guys know I'm not good at math. Um, <laughs> Because it's really difficult it, for, for me to have this, to, to weigh in on one side or the other unless I know what it is that will f be falling off the county's plan in the event we share 30% or 35%. In addition, uh, when Commissioner First says that the cities need a, to know how much they're getting in order to bond it, and so they can't 
they, they wouldn't, I think, this is, I think this is what I heard you say, they wouldn't be able to have to deal with an oversight committee be, because they may not at that point know how much money they are actually getting, then I certainly wouldn't want the county to have to uh, work with an oversight committee for our 65 or 70 or 75% if the cities didn't have to. So, and, and I'm not a big supporter of the oversight committee to begin with. I've made that clear last time. I think the buck stops with the county commission and, and that's it. So I would just, I, I know our time is short and I probably should have asked for this before, but in, in listening to this conversation today, I, I, just not, I just need to know what, what we give up with our plan if we give this much money to the cities um, in order for me to, yeah, but I don't know what that means. You know, I know how much, how much it is, but I don't know what that means. Does that mean that, I, that we don't get um, community buses? Does that mean that we're not gonna get, so if, if, that's, if it's possible. Um, just a general, you know, not a real specific, just something general, and you can stop by my office and talk to me if you want to and just give me some idea of what it is we're missing out on if we don't. No, that's that's up to you. I'm just, you know, qu quite frankly, I, things get put out in, in in writing, and they eventually get parsed parsed to such an extent that nobody understands what the initial memo was about in the first place or cares. So, um, you know, it might for me, however, the staff wants to do it, whether they want to do it verbally with me or they want to put a memo together in writing. That's up to them. Commissioner Ritter, uh, the mayor's allowed me to to um, comment on on the matrix, good idea. And I know you're gonna speak next, Commissioner Holness. I would say you do the matrix where everything was gonna be fully funded at 87%, so that would be the full plan. Then you could show a 75%, a 70%, and a 65%, and you'll see how each amount drops off. And, and then with that, then Commissioner Wexler, you could work with uh, Mayor Cooper on prioritizing and kind of trying to put the meat on the bones of, of what actually we will be able to accomplish where I'm, I'm kind of headed towards what Commissioner first said on, on a 70-30 in order to make it happen, so. Yeah. We're about to go to Commissioner Holness, but I just want to say, you know, this, with regard to Commissioner Wexler, it kind of reminds me of the Godfather line when Al Pacino says, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And that's what <laughs> this is right here. You know? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Commissioner Holness. <laughs> I, I don't know. We, we, we could say the Godmother, but that wouldn't sound as well as the Godfather, huh? <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I have. I, I, here's the trouble I have. We're here talking about how we cut back from the regional plan, and and I don't want to refer to it as the counties because it's a region. Okay, it, it's covering everybody. Whatever we do with that seventy-five percent, or or sixty-five percent, or seventy percent, whatever the number comes down to. Here's the troubling part. Most of these cities have no plan as to what they're going to do with their 25 percent, but they want 25. They want 35 percent. They don't even have a plan as to how they're going to do with five percent. But you want? <laughs> no, no, no. I understand that's not Hollandale and, and a couple of others, but most of them, I can tell you, haven't a clue. They haven't even discussed it yet as to what's going to happen. But there's this big push and this big demand for more and more and more of it, when in fact, when in fact, 
when in fact the county has a plan to utilize 87% of the money. There's, there's something there already. It's online. That's the number that, that's there, correct, uh, county administrator? 87% is what we're showing online? So there so there, there, there are different plans. There's one with 87%. There was one that was modified. The, when you look at the one that's modified from the, to 75, you have to go back to the original and pull from it because, I mean, we spent a lot of time GISing every project that we were going to by city, we're in that city. So to start to pull things back was a lot of work. So we did it grossly, and we that's why you, you don't see it as. So we would just do the same. And um, I, I think there, there are a number of uh, other issues that would be helpful. Um, and by that, I mean when we start talking about a 70-30, um, the 30 is that a uh, per pro rata distribution, how, how is that 30% um, uh, apportioned to municipalities? And the, and the reason I'm asking that question, because I'm going to get technical on you for a second. So when you start talking about a revenue source that you want to tie to debt, you have to, uh, as um, I think most, um, and Joy Cooper uh, mentioned that. So you need to know what that's going to be. Um, if you're going to lock it up for 20 years or whatever the the debt uh, time frame um, is, so once you have done that, then you've made that decision for the next 20 years that it's going to be distributed. However, the day you make that decision, that's how it's going to go for the next 20 years or so. Um, so I just think those are things that municipalities. Uh, need to talk about. They need to think that through as well. So when we start talking about um, those type of issues, um, and I think uh, as Commissioner Fur and Commissioner Wexler um, talked about, what is uh, appropriate today may not be appropriate 10 years from now, um, but we can tell you what what can happen immediately because in the foreseeable future, we're going to have buses. <laughs> And we're gonna, and we are in rail development as we speak. So there are some things that we literally can talk about. Mm -hmm. And then when we start talking about, we we do need to have a better understanding of what the expectation is. When we start talking about what's in the plan for the Bright Line or some that's on the city side, I mean th those are things that we on my team. You know, we we really do have to start to figure out because these are the things that start to get to a point where you you don't want to make a commitment to the public that you can't deliver. And so I, I recognize the commissioner Holder still has the floor, but I, I just wanted to mention that if you look at the the um, um, MPO resolution that's in your backup material, it does state that the uh, they asked for 35 percent and that it would be funded. Uh, proportionally by population and then so what your comment is is as you do the census every 10 years and the population changes uh, you know that's something we can work out in an interlocal agreement as to whether that funding would be affected by each census each 10 years and and again that will have a that will have an impact on any debt mm -hmm. that you issue so there's a lot that the cities need to work through and think through um, and, and, and again, because at the end of the day, when we start talking about um, whether there is an oversight board or not, I think that 
um, uh, the responsibility that you give the oversight board is is critical, and and for for the rest of us that feel like if we're ever going to have anything that we do tested or validated, we need to make sure that the money is spent on transportation <coughs> projects. And I know there's a lot of confusion out there about what's transportation infrastructure versus other infrastructure, but somebody, some, some formal way of doing that needs to be in place. Uh, Commissioner only still has the floor. Yes. Uh, <laughs> When, when, when we allocate by population, it's not by needs. That's another major issue we have. Okay. Uh, so, 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 so you might have you might have some some cities and some areas that have some tremendous needs that never get met because now we're not looking at projects and and, and, and programs that are going to really tie into this thing. So a city might have it; it might not even be able to utilize it at all. So my suggestion is this that any funds not utilized by a city, and we, we need to carve this into whatever agreement, reverts back into the regional pool to be utilized on a regional level. Okay, that, that and, I, and I, I personally still don't wanna go beyond 25%, because again, when you look at what we have up on the plan, we have 87% spent, 13% left over. So we're, we're going beyond doubling at 25, pretty much double at 25%, you go to 30%, you're way out there, which again limits what needs to be done to ensure that every resident of every city in Broward County benefits. It's not, when you say the county stuff, it's not the county, it's the cities, it's everybody. Because everybody who lives in Broad County lives in Broad County as a resident. So they're going to benefit from whatever we do on a regional basis. So again, that's a big piece of what I want to make sure that we have in place is that anything that's not utilized reverts back uh, to the regional uh, uh, funds to be utilized on a regional basis to benefit everybody. And, and, and finally, Mayor Cooper is very influential on the MPO. They listen to her. I've been on there for ex since I've been here except for one year, okay? And she's been chairing this subcommittee for a while. Uh, when Mayor Cooper speaks, the MPO listens. So if she goes back and says, and says, to, and says to, 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 the, to the MPO members that based on a lot of hours spent going through this whole process, this whole plan and everything, this is the best that we are gonna be able to do. And we are actually pushing the county beyond where they want it to be, beyond the comfort level level of the county. They will listen and I believe they'll act accordingly. Uh, because again, I, I know that there are many there Bertha. that wanna make sure, that wanna make sure that this thing happens for their cities, for the people in their city, and, and to have nothing is better is to have something is better than to have nothing. And if we if this doesn't work, many cities are going to have a tough time meeting many of the needs that they have for the residents within those cities. If it does, and again, the voters are going to decide this. All we're going to do here is say, look, we're giving you the option to look at what the needs are here, and if you so if you're so inclined, you vote for it. If you're not, you don't vote for it. That's the only thing we can do at this point in time. We can't. We're not going to impose any tax on anyone. They will decide whether or not they want 
to take this on after they have been educated and informed about all the options we have and what's going on with this. Thank you. We're about to bring this in for a landing, so before Commissioner Ryan closes, uh, Mayor Cooper wanted to say a couple words. dialogue is great, but I do want to go back to something that I think is critically important. We, as a city of Hallandale Beach, we do planning. Each city does planning, but we're not going to plan for something that, I'm not going to plan and spend money on a plan if I don't have a revenue. It's, it's like the chicken or egg, so I don't want to throw, you know, you're pointing to Hallandale Beach. We've been proactive because we put some of the tools in the toolbox to say to our developers, we, we have that local match where you do your transit. So I, all the cities plan according to what their budget is going to be. So understanding that what Commissioner Fur said, and I want to thank you for working on this issue as well, is that there will be planning components just like there's a county planning component. So I think um, thank you for moving this ball forward. I think I'm hearing your message. I do, again, I think it's a compromise, and I want to thank you for your time. But I did want to say that about the other municipalities questioning what they would have as a plan. Okay. Thank you, Mayor Cooper. Commissioner Ritter. You know, something Ms. Henry said um, really struck struck me, and that and that is that you have to structure this for so that the funding is in place for 20 years or whatever the plan is. You won't be able to change it because cities will be relying on those funds for bonding and et cetera. I represent newer cities in Broward County, way west of I-95. Initially, if this passes, if you don't do population, or even if you do, for that matter, then the older cities on the, easter, on, on the east side of Broward County are going to be receiving the funding and newer cities will be shut out, even though the east, their needs will increase as they age, just as the older eastern cities' needs are, have increased. So let's say that Coral Springs, which is a fairly new city, comparatively speaking, um, if you don't do it by population, a city like Coral Springs, whose needs are relatively few today, won't receive funding. But in 20 years or 10 years when its needs are greater because of its age and aging infrastructure, its needs will increase and yet it will be shut out because the funding will have been put in place 20 years before. That's a problem. In my opinion, that's a problem. Uh, and I don't know if that gets fixed. I don't know how you fix it if you are saying that in order for cities to bond, to be able to use the funds to bond, they need to know how much money they're getting at the very beginning, and it needs to continue as the 20 years progresses. So, <laughs> and, and those of us who represent newer cities, Weston, uh, for example, um, have to think very carefully about this before you just sign off on what, you know, on millions and millions of dollars that may or may not be coming to you. I mean, when we did resource recovery, it was, you know, the, the settlement, it was based on population. It was easy in a, in a sense, even though it was difficult. It was easy to figure out who gets how much money. This is really tough and it's very complicated. And, and for the, those of us who represent newer communities have to think very hard before we'll agree to vote for something that may shut our cities out 
in 10, 15, or 20 years when their needs become greater and greater. So I'm still a serious maybe also. And uh, for uh, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Ryan to take it in for a landing. All right. Um, uh, over this next week, um, let's have uh, Bertha, if you could have Bob Miracle and, and his group work on this, this bonding issue. I, I think that if you have a base, if you have a base number, he'll be leaving soon. If you have a, a base number and it fluctuates based upon uh, changes in, in the census every 10 years, I, I think that you have enough there, that portion that you can bond out. Because I, I understand the equity argument that the western cities will have a greater increase in population in the coming years, uh, although you're seeing you know, more people are living on the east side and we're getting higher density and we just approved 5,000 units in downtown Fort Lauderdale. So, you know, there could be some changes. I don't, I don't think that the variation is going to be that great that we can't, we can't get it done. With respect to um, transferring it to separate trust funds for each city that they can bond out, I'm okay with that, but I, I am going to insist that when we do the interlocal agreement that the oversight board uh, approve that it is a qualified transportation project because we want to make certain that these are actually transportation improvements. Beyond that, the, the, the cities can have the local control, they can bond it out, uh, they can have home rule. So between now and next week, I'd ask that, and this is just the direction, is that uh, Commissioner Wexler uh, can work with, uh, with Mayor Cooper to, to talk about specifics of what would be done I think we're either going to be at 75-25 or 70-30. I'm kind of moved towards let's get it done, compromise. And, and I could do the 70-30, although Commissioner Holness has much angst with that. But, I mean, 70-30 is better than zero on both ends of the ledger. So maybe that's where we go. And, uh, but I'd like to see the matrix on what could be accomplished with either 75-25 or 70-30. Because we're, you know, there's no agreement here to go 65-35, and we're not going to go with our original number of 87%. So I think that's where the matrix would be, is how much is going to fall off if we move from 75-25 to 70-30, and then you work, Commissioner Wexler, on exactly what specifics you can get in plans under both those scenarios. Come back, and then next week we'll vote on it. May, uh, Commissioner Wexler. I, well, I want to make sure also, because one of the pieces I think that is important is what an oversight committee might look like. I know that for at least some commissioners and city leaders, um, that is an element that they really want to see there. So Whether this board agrees or not, I don't know, but um, Mayor Cooper and I haven't even begun that conversation. And, and, and I've, had, I've had a proposal on it, and, and why don't we, we, maybe prob we probably need to allot a significant amount of time for next Tuesday so that we have this issue crystallized as much as possible so that the MPO can say yes or no next Thursday. Because if they say, if they say no to our proposal next Thursday, then we're done for four years. We come back and we can look at another transportation proposal in four years. So let's see what we can do. I'll come back with my suggestions for um, an oversight board that will ensure fiscal responsibility, and then other members will talk about how it will be constituted, what qualifications uh, and size. what their size, what their responsibilities would be. Great. Um, so there, I believe there, did, did you have a motion as yeah, well? So, so, 
The motion is that uh, we set this matter for uh, discussion for next Tuesday and in the interim over the week that um, Commissioner Wexler and Mayor Cooper do their homework uh, with cooperative staffs and come back answering the questions that we've raised here and uh, we'll have a We'll have a resolution on a on a final county proposal next Tuesday. Commissioner Rush, would you like to second that? No. Oh. <laughs> there has not there is there's been a motion and a second. <laughs> All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed. Show the item passes unanimously. Uh, Commissioner, your mic's on still. Um, we've now finished our regular agenda for the county commission. We're moving on to the mayor's report. Uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up was I had a very nice meeting with the Japanese consul who came to my office, a very nice guy. And while he was there, he brought a beautiful plate. And I have the plate here. And it is a, I have no idea, but it is very pretty. And um, I, well, I, um, I called up the county attorney's office and I asked, what do I do? Because generally when people are nice enough and they try to give me something, I usually tell them what well, we have an ethics code and it's not something that I can accept. I appreciate it very much. But, the, uh, but uh, after a consultation with the county attorney's office, we did not want to offend the consul. So um, uh, I was advised to bring it today uh, to ask if the county commission would like to accept this on behalf of the county and its taxpayers and to give it to Miss Henry to put in a wonderful, conspicuous place throughout the county so people can view it and admire it. And it is uh, a very pretty plate that I, we appreciate from Japan. So, <laughs> so uh, is, would that be uh, okay with everybody here? Great. Nobody objects. Miss Henry, the county taxpayers are presented with a beautiful plate for you to have. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the next thing I, w I was, uh, I wanted to, um, just to bring up uh, some neat numbers that I learned yesterday. Yesterday I had the privilege of uh, appearing along with Commissioner Holness and Commissioner Lamarca um, at Reverend Samuel DeVoe Memorial Park where the county has a, the mobile pet uh, spay and neuter facility. It's going to be there for approximately five months. I learned because it's not more than that because they would have needed a permit to have there after five months. So that's why it's going to be five months. Then we move to another place. But it's actually very exciting because it'll, this year alone, it will account for almost 5,000 uh, spay and neuters. And an interesting uh, fact that I found out from animal uh, control was that the county, as a result of the measures that this county commission has put in place over the past uh, few years, uh, the release rate for cats and dogs um, has risen from 60% to now it's at 82%. And these 5,000 spay and neuters are just going to make it even greater. So we are really, really moving forward and, and are making great progress in our ultimate goal of becoming a no-kill county. So I think that's a great thing. And I believe that the county commission and our county staff deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, the other uh, thing I wanted to bring up, I know that sometimes we get yelled at when we bring up about sports, but today's a very exciting day. And uh, this is for you, Commissioner Ritter, but sports are wonderful. Uh, the, uh, as you know, the Panthers made the playoffs, the Heat made the playoffs, and today is the opening day of baseball for the Florida Marlins. And so it is... Oh, that's right, the Miami Marlins. I still call them the Florida Marlins. It's, uh, and that is an exciting thing. I love sports. We all love sports. Our community loves sports. <laughs> it's they are they are in first place in the playoffs 
Uh, but with that said, that is the mayor's report. We are now going to start on this side today for Commissioner Bogan for non-agenda. They do plan sunrise. Nothing. Uh, I have nothing to say today except I'm going to be leaving right now. I hope I've just not been feeling well, so I'm going to depart. You say feel better, Commissioner. Commissioner Bogan. Commissioner Holness. Yes, thank you, Mayor. And and the, the, the site we were at yesterday, uh, it, if Mata Delavaux heard you said Del, the way you pronounce uh, the late Samuel Delavaux name, I want to make sure I correct that. She would expect me to. Thank you. So it's Reverend Samuel Delavaux Park, which oh. is located next to two great gems in District 9, uh, the African American Research Library and the Urban League Empowerment Center, uh, right at Northwest 27th Avenue and Sistrunk Boulevard, which is also referred to as Northwest 6th Street. It's a great facility. Uh, hopefully, we'll get people to come out and utilize this uh, very important uh, facility. Uh, it is first class. If you hear mobile and you think it is mobile, it is looking permanent. It is well-placed, well-put-together. Uh, it is it is it's absolutely a beautiful facility. Brand-new, sparklingly shine uh, facility inside, and, 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 and the utilization, I think, would be great for us uh, to ensure that uh, low-cost, no-cost uh, spay and neuter can be done within our community. Uh, this Saturday and Sunday, we'll continue our citizenship drive. <laughs> at the Lord Hill Mall from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. We, we do need volunteers. Uh, we, we continue to build on what we started uh, in late February. We've served and, and completed about 500 applications already, and uh, we're on our way to doing quite a bit more. I want to thank uh, the SEIU Flake, uh, Congressman Hastings' office, uh, and many other, the Lord Hill Mall, in uh, uh, coming together in a partnership to facilitate uh, this opportunity to ensure that we are empowering people in our community. Because what the studies have found also is that when someone becomes a citizen, it actually increases their earning power, which benefits our economy in Broward County. So we'll continue to do that. Anyone who would like to volunteer uh, may do so by contacting my office at 954-357-7009. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lamarca. Commissioner Holmes, I'd be happy to help you help you with that as long as I can bring some reg voter registration cards with me once they get <laughs> sworn in. Didn't sound like you were looking out for me there, buddy. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> awesome. I wanted to, you know, earlier I didn't. There's one item I didn't pull off uh, consent. I just wanted to to highlight the item number 37. Uh, the <coughs> new walking paths within uh, Deerfield Island Park, formerly known as Capone Island for obvious reasons. Uh, there was a, this is a 50-50 match with uh, the Florida Inland Navigation District, and they also built a 180-foot uh, dock just a couple of years ago there so people could use the island, but now the, the boardwalks will all be replaced. And I spoke to uh, Dan West, and they had actually looked at using Brazilian hardwoods uh, and other, other materials that were just too... Uh, cost prohibitive. Uh, they looked at using all aluminum, so it's going to be a, a 
a mix of aluminum framing and and, uh, and uh, pressure treated wood. So it'll be a nice new boardwalk in there. It's a 54 acre natural park uh, right there in Deerfield Beach. And you, on the weekends, you can get a ride over to the uh, to the park if you want to go. Uh, I wanted to highlight just a couple of quick things. Uh, I wanted to congratulate Tommy Cannon, otherwise known as just Cannon. One of our BCT bus drivers, uh, he won the state competition last weekend and will represent Broward County at the national competition in Charlotte in May, the Triple, Ca Triple Crown Bus Rodeo. Bus Rodeo. Heck yeah. Congratulations, Cannon. I also wanted to uh, thank, and, thank and wish the best to uh, both Diana Guidry and Bob Carew, who are uh, both... Uh, our outreach coordinator and our irrigation service coordinator at uh, Naturescape Broward. I know many, uh, many years ago, uh, Bob came to my house to make sure all my sprinklers were pointing in the right direction and using efficient water rates. And I know that uh, they've done a lot for our, for our community and uh, will be retiring on, well, retired on March 31st. How about that? Uh, a quick update on uh, segment two, our beach renourishment project. Uh, we will have to uh, cease operations on April 30th, due to the increase, we're already into turtle nesting season, but the increased population of uh, mother turtles visiting Fort Lauderdale Beach along with the 15 million visitors. Um, we, will, we will, however, we are finished at Lauderdale by the Sea and Pompano Beach to the north. Uh, in Fort Lauderdale, we have gone from the beginning of the Galt all the way down past Oakland Park Boulevard, uh, past where the auberge is being uh, built, and I want to thank the folks at Auberge, Andy Mitchell, who gave us access at 23rd Street so that we could have multiple access points for the, for the contractor Eastman Aggregates. Uh, we are actually uh, down through uh, the Finger Streets, which is where we had all the damage after Hurricane Superstorm <laughs> Sandy, uh, and we're gonna, we, we expect to be able to finish at 15th Court, Northeast 15th Court, uh, which is just before the end of those residential streets before you get to Birch State Park. Um, and the, the, uh, the work will pick up on November 1 or in and around there, and we will go from about 15th Court down to Terramar Street, which is really, uh, I, don't, I don't foresee us getting, uh, having to go past the end of uh, December if we get started early November, possibly early January for any small issues. But the great thing is we were able to build a complete dune in the Fort Lauderdale Reach uh, that will allow allow our beach to protect itself uh, and their plants uh, sea oats and the, the dune is uh, About 80% of the Galt buildings for example wanted the dune so you know we, we let people make a decision but that that uh, Those buildings that did choose to do it and the, the vast majority will be in real good shape. We have any God forbid we have any storms um, The mayor did uh, touch on the mobile spay and neuter uh, facility uh, 4,800 Spay and neuters a year, and the hope the hope is that we can get another one set it up in Southwest Broward, and then ultimately, when the six months comes up in Fort Lauderdale, we could go up maybe to Northwest or Northeast Broward, where we have wherever we have other uh, uh, volumes of uh, stray pets and, and other pets that would would come there. Uh, I want to, I want to. I know that his name was mentioned quickly today, but uh, I, I do want to uh, thank. Uh, Bob Miracle, our uh, CFO, who's going to be moving on to North Carolina uh, due to a family move, and uh, appreciate his service. Uh, one thing he won't be seeing is a championship UNC team because I believe Villanova threw in the threw the bucket in last night, the last second. Awesome. I didn't see it, but I heard it was great. My camp, uh, 
two volunteers that helped me in back in 2010, my campaign manager and my consultant, neither of them got a nickel, so they're volunteers, but they were UNC and Villanova grads, so I hope they had a, had a, a good time with that. Uh, finally, more, uh, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and that's what this little blue ribbon is. Uh, different organizations are, are uh, making uh, folks aware of those issues. I don't want to say celebrating it, but, but making people aware of those issues. So, Mayor, with that, thank you. Vice Mayor Sharif. Thank you, Mayor. Um, on March the 10th, since we haven't met for so long, um, just wanted to say that the um, professional career day at Miramar High School was great. I attended the City of Pembroke Pines Arts and Crafts Festival, which was uh, an amazing um, event. Um, lots of stuff out there um, to purchase. And <laughs> I attended the Broward County Annual um, Women's Hall of Fame at the Deer Creek Country Club. And um, the honor, one of the honorees was Felicia Bronson, Kathleen um, Ireland, Beth Lerner, Sharetta Rimicki, and Ghazala Salim. And um, I was very privileged to be invited to the White House to attend the Women's History Month reception. That was great. Um, sat in every chair I wanted to sit in ever. You're supposed to laugh at that. Go to the. I went to the blue Oval, room, the red room, the yellow room. The White House, the White House no. fits you well. I, I like that was a lot there. of fun. Anyway, what? Yeah, that's true. It's too late to laugh. Anyway, um, we have the we we have a great growth um, as far as jobs and business in the in Broward County, and I was very privileged to attend the Lufthansa Technic expansion with uh, Governor Rick Scott on Monday, March 21st. And um, the Broward Alliance and the Broward Workshop has done a phenomenal job of making sure that we highlight those businesses um, that are uh, creating jobs in Broward County. And as you know, we enjoy one of the lowest unemployment rates of any of the large urban counties. And so with that, I just want to say, Mayor, um, that concludes my remarks and um, welcome back. Great. Commissioner Ryan. I want to personally thank Vice Mayor Sharif. I now have a new moniker. I am <laughs> Man -man. Manatee Man. Absolutely. So who knew that we have a true artist up here on the dais? Thank very you. Impressive. A lot of time Vice effort Mayor. went into that. Uh, good news. Hooray for regionalism. <laughs> Palm Beach County passed the reclaimed water agreement today, 6 to 1. Uh, you will remember that that helps Broward meet the ocean outfall rule. It allows non-potable water to be used for irrigation. It's a great deal for both counties. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Commissioner Ritter. Thank you. Um, last week, I, along with some of you, attended the welcome reception hosted by the Broward Alliance for our brand new aviation director, Mark Gale, and, I'm sh and I, hope he, I hope he felt a warm, and, uh, a warm reception and a welcome one. Um, he probably had a glow until today when he had to attend a county commission meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's probably thinking, I probably didn't, I didn't negotiate enough <laughs> to have to deal with this. Um, and then I left early from that to attend the Arts Ed Forever Awards presentation ceremony um, at the Performing Arts Center where I was privileged to award and uh, to give the Legislative Recognition Award to our esteemed colleague, Commissioner Beamfer. 
Well deserved. Yes. Commissioner Wexler. Nothing. Commissioner Furr. And I want to say thank you for that, Stacy. It was nice. Nice nice event all together. And the the thing that we're working on that I think prompted that wouldn't be able to happen without your leadership on the cultural division because we couldn't do that whole project if there wasn't a stamp of, of approval from that, to be honest. So thank you for that. Um, I am glad it's opening day. Hope springs eternal. Uh, we haven't lost yet. You know, that's a good thing. Everybody's in number one at the beginning Everybody's of the Everybody's in first place. Yeah. That's good. That's great. You know, at least for a couple more hours. Um, uh, tomorrow I will be taking a, a field trip to the solid waste plant in St. Lucie. Anybody that would like to come, feel free. Yeah. But I am actually going to be seeing the, uh, the company that, was, that, that had won the bid for Recycle Community a number of years ago. Uh, is actually doing work up there. They're recycling glass, which nobody else is doing. So I'll be looking at a few things. Yes, I saw it. I know I saw it. Uh, but we didn't actually give them the award because somebody took their land away or whatever. I don't, I don't know the whole story. Um, but I will be going to see that tomorrow. <laughs> and I know, I know there will be takers to anybody that would like to come. That's all. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, Mayor, real quick. Before we – oh, sure, of course. Yeah. Uh, Lamar. So just – Real quick on something that the uh, that Commissioner Fur is going to that, that brought up with the, the, the recycling community, community recyclers, whatever they were called. Um, I've been reading reading some. You'd think I had better things to do, but I've, I've been reading some things in our governing and different magazines and things we get. And the reality is, and he may he'll know better than this because he's the garbage king. But recycling is not exactly a magical business where. Uh, we, you know, we had companies from time to time that say, well, you know, we'll, we'll pay you for this and it'll, you know, it'll give you points to your city. And there are probably credits and things you can get, but ultimately we're going to have to make a decision if we're going to, whether we do it uh, single stream or however we do it, we're going to have to make a decision if we want to really pay to get rid of all these, these recyclables and, and put them back into the, to the, uh, to the system in, in other forms or whatever, because it's just, I don't think it's a business that's going to go on forever of trying to create uh, revenue from things that need to go back. I mean, our, one of the things that I saw in locally here, our, our um, when we single stream, we put everything together. If you just put water bottles in one big pile, they can, they can send that material to, you know, us here or in uh, China makes um, uh, clothing out of, you know, dry fit clothing. But one of the things you can't do that when you've thrown it in there with the pizza box and everything else. And uh, Mr. McDonald, you get the Citizen of the Month Award for being a permanent fixture here at each county commission meeting. It's been well done. Oh. You know, <laughs> I think he did too. Ms. Henry. As we wrap up, I just wanted to remind everybody that April is Sexual um, Assault Awareness Month along with Child Abuse Prevention. And we have an exhibit in our lobby. So we invite people to see the, 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 our exhibit. We're having uh, a function at Sam the, the Delaval Park on April 16th from 11 to 3. And remember, on Tuesday, April 26th, we'll be wearing our jeans. Oh, I love Thank that. You. I love jeans day. Nice. Denim day. Thank you. Yes. Mr. Lukic. Thank you. Miss Coffee. We are adjourned. I wanted to bang the diablo. It was kind of fun. <laughs>